The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation, episode 344. How you doing? Merry Christmas! Ooh. Merry oh, yeah. Christmas and Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to the show. And last day for the Christmas tree. <laughs> so we got a panel full today. Let's see who we have here. Uh, hey, can I do this for old time's sake? Sure, go ahead. It's been a long time since I've been able to introduce the Hollywood Squares. Uh, in my square, in the upper left-hand corner, we have Mark Bosley in the house. Ah, the monkey that pushes the buttons. We have Henry Gerhardt. How you doing, Henry, from the break key? Hi there. How's everybody doing today? Welcome to the we Coco Nation. Have... Welcome, welcome. Everyone's favorite Arizonian, Ron hey. What's shaking? We got the guy who does hardware and waiting on parts, Rick Eulin in the house. How you doing there, Rick? Pretty good. Howdy, folks. Always waiting on a part. We got Mark Overholzer in the house. Marco. Glad Hold to be here. We have everyone's favorite Canadian, L. Curtis Boyle. Hey, how's it going, eh? Uh, I don't read lips, Curtis. We don't, we don't read lips. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I had it muted. Never Welcome to the show, everyone. <laughs> All right, we got Frederick Sigurd. How are you doing, Fred? I'm good. I'm another Canadian. So we're another Canadian, eh? Canadian. And he's not in the cabin, but he's still Canadian, Mr. Retro Things himself, Ken Waters. How you doing, Ken? I'm doing good, and I'm just hoping that uh, Curtis is going to stay muted through the whole show. All right. the news. <laughs> you can only hope. Well, we got the a guy news would be more interesting that way. Yes, it would. <laughs> we, we, we got a guy who some people might say has a problem, but I think he's got one of everything. That's Brian Weasler in the house. How you doing there, Brian? Mr. Collector himself. Doing very well, and the problem continues. <laughs> we, a, we have a guy who's got a CM8 monitor with the door intact, Bob Emery. How you doing, Bob? Doing great. Welcome, everybody. Howdy. Well, he's got a floppy disk, and he's a happy guy. It's David Ladd. <laughs> Why, hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the show today. This is going to be a uh, um, moving episode, so please stick around, have a seat, and enjoy the company. The Thunder from Down Under with his various new games and remastered games. Guy who likes to say, oh, crikey, Nick Morantes. G'day, Nick. 
Good day, everyone. Yep, I made it again, and uh, so it's safe for the show to proceed now. All right. <laughs> we got a guy who gets thinner every time I see him. Grant Leedy's in the house, a.k.a. Greg Leakey. How you doing there, Greg? Hey, how's it going, everybody? All right. Jason, the Cocoa Man Rikers here. Hello, Jason. Howdy, 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 Steve. And I've got my Diet Dr. Pepper, right. and I'm ready to go. Ooh. As seen at Pentest 2000, as seen in Hamvention and Hamcation. It's Trader seen at places Cocoa people Man didn't want to see me at. <laughs> we got Tim Linder in the house looking all kinds of pixelated there. Hello, hello, Tim. Hi, Steve. Hi, everybody. Good to see. You. I'm glad you're here. I know you had a relationship with Mr. Bjork. And uh, have I missed anyone? I don't think so. Everybody. There might be a few more popping by as the show progresses, though. Anybody so we'll who I haven't mentioned, um, too bad. All right. And uh, I'm somebody who used to be somebody who's now nobody. Uh, Stevie Stroh. How's it going? Hello, hello. And, you be somebody uh, again. Take it away, Mark B. Or Curtis, whoever's running this show. <laughs> <laughs> There's someone running this show? Okay, so... Subject of today's show, of course, the title is uh, Remembering uh, Steve Bjork, uh, whose name I probably still can't still can't pronounce properly. And it's like, what in the world's going on back there? Uh, it's just a cat. <laughs> cat cat distraction. The duct tape. Or bed, right. Uh, right. We, should, we should also acknowledge in the live chat, we've got D. Bruce Moore. Hello to Bruce. We've got Micro Hobbyist. We've got Mark Siegel. Hello, hello. Daddy Burrito. I am a bigger fan of his wife, Mama Enchilada. PJB Chris is in the house. Tom Eric Gunderson. Frank from Canadian, uh, not Canadian, is it Canadian Retro? No, Retro Rewind. Sorry, I get your Canadians confused. Mark Overholzer. Daddy Burrito. Uh, Paul Willard. We have TJB Chris. Eight bits in the basement. Dave and Sharon. Mr. Dave is out there. Daddy Burrito. Some for sexy. Karen is out there. Hey, Karen. Eight bit zone. AC's there. All right. So the audience has arrived. Right. Yep. I will mention too, uh, Dave or uh, Bruce and uh, Jacob were hoping to actually make it on today, but unfortunately they're both feeling pretty sick. So uh, they will be watching uh, in the chat, but they did send us a video, which we'll be playing. Okay. I have a story to share about that too. So yeah, that's cool. Okay. All right. So sorry, old uh, habits die hard. Uh, we, control we ready for kicking in. <laughs> <laughs> we ready for the first, uh, first presentation? Let me give it a whirl. All right. Here we go. Roll that beautiful footage. The Coco Nation remembers Steve Bjork. Now, sound on the Coco. You're going to hear this cry from me probably till I die. <laughs> there is no built-in sound chip. <laughs> uh, Steve Bjork, are you with us? I'm trying to get on. I think my headphone's not set. The, the star power has just reached stellar status at this point. <laughs> Let's not go in that direction, okay? <laughs> you don't know how many times I went to Tandy and begged them to put a sound chip in the coco you want some good sounding games put it in your freaking computer and they kind of <laughs> did that 
with the deluxe color computer, but it never came out. Now, Steve, were you involved with any of the emulators? Uh, no, except for v- VCC. The guy wanted to call it Bjork. I told him no way. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to keep my games on the that that bitter edge of being fun and challenging without tipping over into the frustrating level. And that my games would always kind of have, okay, you died. I will back off the difficulty just a little bit to give you a chance to kind of get your rhythm going again. My favorite programmer is tomorrow's me. You know, I'm always going to get better. That's the guy I'm shooting for. That's my favorite programmer. No, he shortened it to, who's your favorite programmer? Me. <laughs> Never going to live that one down. So a big thank you to yeah. Jason for producing that uh, that clip. Which yeah. Jason? Coco Man? Yeah. Yes. You know how to do that, Jason? I do. I I I, I have just accidentally learned a lot about video editing uh, since uh, you know running my uh, fairly amused uh, vlogging right. Good channel. For you. I've, Good I've, for you. Yes, I mean, but uh, it was a first attempt. I think it's uh, it's fitting. No, that's and, awesome uh, because it's like I was thinking we've got so much content. There are so many fragments, and we we never got a chance to do that interview, a formal interview. Which I will always blame Curtis for. Uh, yeah, and I was I will you know, likely blame Steve for it as well. Well, not but there's there's so many fragments of so many stories in there. There um, really is, and, and to, I, to I, extract all those is going to take a lifetime. I don't know if it'll take a lifetime, but I've I've just scratched the surface there. Really, I mean there there is so there is so much content, and there's just especially in the earlier days of the show, there's there's a lot of Steve Bjork in there, and a lot of good anecdotes and some of them do repeat and and you know i have to try to remember the some things are going did he tell me that on discord or was that on the show so i can right. actually find that particular anecdote but uh, there's there's a lot of good content i think maybe my goal at some point in the future would i would like to try to you know try to get those say you know segments together where some of those things came came together and maybe eventually put it into some type of viewable um uh, pseudo interview type format but that's a that's a huge undertaking oh, i don't absolutely. see it getting done anytime soon but uh, I, i've just scratched the surface here and started well, that taking was great some notes, that was great know. and the music was perfect and it was just enough um yeah that's great great way to kick it off i think that i think that uh they the name of that song is like a, a good gig in the clouds uh, it's uh, part of the youtube uh library but it, i thought that was fitting and very a little electronically electronic say, it sounded, sounding yeah it mm-hmm. sounded a lot like uh it sounded a lot like a piece from dark side of the moon so i think the great gig in the sky or something like that from dark side of the moon um uh, it wasn't from dark side of the moon it's just part oh, of yeah. the uh, youtube audio library I, I, yeah, but it I'd, ha- I'd have to look up i don't remember the artist uh off the top of my head here i'd have to look it up yeah definitely sp- definitely sounded inspired by it though could be. Good job, Jason. Good yeah, job. That was a good one. I, and I was only being half sarcastic. I, I know you would have the ability to video edit, but I'm impressed. So my my uh, my left-handed uh, diss was really a compliment. So 
That's what friends do, right? They, <laughs> right, they, right. Friends, yeah. they break each other down as a way to show that we care about you, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> and don't get me wrong, it's, that wasn't the first attempt, but that's, the, you know, <laughs> I, I've made mistakes along the way, you know. So. Oh, yeah. So can I, I don't know what order we're going in here. I feel like I'm, I've just hijacked the whole show and um, I don't know. Am I allowed to say thanks? Permission to speak freely? <laughs> well, we'll just be kind of round robining it through. I've got some quotes here that were put on Facebook and, and put in the discord chat okay. and stuff too, from people. So I've, you know, all, some of us have some stuff to show from, you know, magazine interviews that he did back in the day and stuff too. So it's just going to be randomly bouncing around and remembering Steve. So there's no particular order whatsoever. All right. So, I mean, uh, obviously, rest in peace, Steve. We miss you. You will be lost. You are a treasure to the community, to not only the Coco community, but to gaming and, and, and hardware and software and electronics at large, multi-talent and his haunt hackers and things he did with uh, Disney engineering or imagineering. And he, he had his hand in so many jars and, and so many talents. Um, the world has suffered a loss for sure. Um, I am grateful for the things he made for the computer. Uh, you know, when uh, I'll just say this briefly because I know people are saying it, you know, there are certain people out there who would uh, make the statement that, well, Steve Bjork's very overrated. He gets too much credit. He's not as talented as any other programmer, blah, blah, blah. So there are some people who are not in camp, Steve, and that's okay. You're entitled to your opinion. Um, I think his talent is completely undeniable. Um, there are things he did in the early days of the Coco that just haven't been done. The fact that he made audio spectrum analyzer, real-time uh, hardware um, you know, monitoring that he had to hand assemble, which was one of the stories he, he shared with us. He didn't have an assembler. He hand assembled some of those early color computer carts. Popcorn was hand assembled. Uh, audio spectrum analyzer, which is a which is a program that still gets accolades and people are still yeah. impressed with it to this day. He he did that. Um, he he had software emulate hardware. He had such a good understanding of both hardware and software. Um, the, his contrib his contributions were countless. The the games that he made were the games that made the people want to buy the color computer because they all had a quality. There was a stamp to it. There was graphics, there was sound, there was animation, there were sprites, there were title screens. Now, granted, again, if we're gonna play both sides of the fair coin, you know, a lot of that he did with Datasoft. Datasoft was a company with, with a team of people that were working on a lot of platforms. So I'm sure there were a lot of shared assets and shared talent. So he didn't have to invent all the wheels, but he still put together some really impressive wheels that help sell the color computer that help sell software. Um, a game like Zaxxon was completely mind blowing for its time. You know, uh, at one point in time, the gold standard for eight bit was like Donkey Kong on the ColecoVision and Zaxxon on the ColecoVision. Once we got Docking King and, and Zaxxon for the Coco, it's like Coleco what? You know what I mean? The Coco was established as a formidable game machine that was on par with, you know, name brand stuff that had all kinds of extra hardware. So he did things with the Coco that had not been done at the time they were done. And everything he did had a certain stamp of quality. Um, he wasn't the only talented programmer, even back then, you know, Greg Zumwalt, just as prolific, made just as many games. Um, but he was a, a force to be reckoned with. The mark he left on Coco gaming and graphics and all kinds of stuff uh, is undeniable. So anybody who's not in that camp and wants to, you know, fan a fart somewhere, uh, that's fine. 
but uh, you can't take away the talent um, that the man the man had. Uh, the other thing I want to say is that um, I feel honored that I got to meet him at Coco Fest. I feel honored that he not only came on the show, but became a vital part of the show and helped shape the show and yeah. mold it into something more professional. Uh, his insight was invaluable. Uh, the fact that he became one of the guys and just hung out on Discord. I just remember when I was teaching and I'd be driving home at 10, 11 o'clock at night, we'd just be shooting the shit on Discord. And there's Steve Bjork in the chat, just one of the guys. We're just hanging out, shooting the shit. Um, the fact that he, um, I'm, I'm going to cry here in a second, but um, he created that assembly language series for for the show. But I almost feel like he created it for me too, you know? And so to have somebody who you grew up with do that for you there it is i'm crying um you know so anybody who wants to talk shit about you know he's not as talented as other people or yes was he arrogant or did he have problems with certain people sure we all do um but the steve york i got to meet i i feel honored that i did and i'll leave it at that yeah no, well put. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll concur on the audio spectrum analyzer. People, you know, in you know the last five years are just stunned that he managed to pull that off with you know no hardware to support, just the CPU and timing and stuff. Um, I, I first got to meet Steve myself at Rainbow Fest, the very first Rainbow Fest I ever went to. Actually, Bill Noble and I went, nineteen eighty six Chicago, and we got invited up on the I think it was Saturday night to somebody's room in the hotel at the Hyatt Regency. It was a uh, somebody we'd met, you know, on Friday night type thing and kind of visited during the fest. And this is when it was busy, like 14,000 people type thing. And uh, Bill and I were talking with somebody else and Bill and I were just getting into semi-language, like getting to truly understand it somewhat. And we were talking about, you know, how we could optimize uh, graphics routine. And Steve, who I, I didn't realize was behind us, actually was listening in the conversation that he just popped in. So have you guys discovered stack blasting yet? And we took a, you know, turned to look you know, around who it was. Of course, we kind of didn't know what he sounded like. But uh, I instantly recognized him from the interview he did in the February 1984 Computer Magazine, uh, which I'll be showing a little bit later. Um, I recognized his face from that. I, of course, had no idea what he sounded like, but uh, we were just like, holy crap, that's Steve Bjork. <laughs> and and he, he just went in a conversation. He taught us what stack blasting was, how it worked and everything else. And we were just going, wow, cool. And we actually went up to our rooms on Sunday morning and, and tried it out you know, very briefly. And Wow, this is really fast, you know, type thing. So I know some people like he was very tight with copyrights and trademarks, et cetera, too. Like, like he wouldn't just give away source code, but he'd give away techniques. And he did that for lots of people in the community. He did that for people on the show. He did it in the assembly language program course. People on Discord would ask questions. People on Facebook would ask questions. And he was always, you know, really good at giving the the general techniques and stuff. He wasn't going to give you like the source for Zaxxon or anything like that, but he would give you the techniques and the clues of the techniques that actually do that kind of stuff. And how prolific he was is something like, you know, as Steve mentioned, you know, him and Greg Zumwalt are probably the most prolific Cocoa programmers for commercial products out there. And I mean, Steve lasted the entire run of the Cocoa. He started, you know, in 1981, you know, when he first released his uh, screen edit control system through Datasoft, the very first program they did for them, uh, which I'll also get into a little bit later here too as well, uh, right up until Marty's Nightmare in 1990, you know, a Cocoa 3, you know, vertical scrolling, Pac-Man style with some digitized voice stuff and a tribute to marty goodman i'll be getting into that story as well later for the uh coordinated coco conference call which i'll let tim talk about a little bit later as well too but yeah there's just so much stuff and the games were fun and and like he mentioned that one little clip there that he would you know have the difficulty back off like some people programming the games back then didn't do that 
So if you got started dying, you just kept dying over and over again, and you just have to like beat your head against the wall until you could finally get past that point. But he backed it off to kind of tease you into wanting to do it without getting too frustrated. And I think that was a, a hallmark of, of most of his games that uh, he actually you know took that into consideration. Whereas a lot, like we always joke about the European games where they just are, they're out to kill you. That's all they're really designed to do type thing. And uh, he he kind of had that more subtle nuance. I think that's just Europeans in general. It's kind of their. (laughs) Now, didn't didn't somebody Activision or somebody just patent the uh, difficulty judged by the player that Steve's been doing since day one? I I don't know, but someone's tried to patent that concept of of uh, learning the player's skill and basing the difficulty on that. Well, they, yeah, Which they just is, call that adaptive. That's an adaptive technology that can be applied to a lot of different things. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm no lawyer, but I think it'd be kind of hard to patent right. yeah. adaptive concepts because even Especially, you know, IT exams are adaptive. You know, the, the the more difficult the question, the more points you get. It gets harder. You can finish sooner if you if you if you miss a hard question. It gives you a softball, and you got to answer more questions. So. That concept, you know, Steve probably did it in the early days of gaming, but that concept in software has been around a long time. Yeah, I, I think you news, could patent so. that because, I mean, it, anything where you've had press precedent and they try to patent something that somebody's already done before, that usually fails. Yeah. So I'd be really surprised if that actually and made it through. Another thing he talked about a lot was how he, what he did was his programming was always object-oriented, and he created operating systems. And his, every object was its almost its own sentient being inside his code. And so all he had to do was kind of build all these different robots what the frick is going on? I don't know. Here, there it is, Stevie, going. distracted by noise. <laughs> Check your bingo cards, everyone. Right. <laughs> it's those Spinal Tap headphones he's wearing. Yeah, I mean, Steve built up a big library of routines and stuff. So when you got the uh, challenge for doing the Rampage port and he was offered a bonus, if he could get it done in a very limited time frame, and you know he did it in 31 days, so... You know, start to finish, and uh, I, I know a few other Coco programmers that did that. Um, Ken Rogaway, who did Rescue and Fractalus, and uh, Cronus Rift, he he did those in I think eight weeks for the first one, six weeks for the second, and he'd never touched a Coco before, but he had you know here's all the assets and here's the source code from like the Atari version, so he had something to base it on right. to go off of. I think he said it was the PC version actually, but um, whatever it was, he or, or something, but yeah, he he did yeah. have something. But he still he still had to code it and make it work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. No, this is because the the things he accomplished. It's just it's it's hard to qualify and quantify. Like you know, like when, when we're talking about Jason. I mean, it's the things we did on our show. Just to take all those snippets and put them together is going to take a long <laughs> time. But to span oh, just, his career, you know. Yeah, how many times was Zaxxon referenced? How many different Zaxxon stories? There was a. Uh, when I was pulling clips, there was uh, a, a, a anecdote he was talking about where he was at um, Disneyland, and I think it was around the time that Tron was being released, and they had actually set up a Flynn's Arcade Ooh. at at Ooh. Disneyland at the time, yeah. and he was um, he was playing the uh, Zaxxon arcade game there and was doing rather well, and kind of kind of pulled a Flynn on him. He's like, "Well, you know, I wrote the program," and. He, <laughs> And he had, he had stated previously not you know not only did he do the Coco port but he had also he had also done some work helping with the uh, the uh, arcade port especially or the arcade version especially for a U.S. release because uh, I guess uh, yeah compared to the Japanese, Japanese one which was a fair bit different for the original release too yeah and had pastel colors and things so yeah 
Just to give people an idea, if they if they don't know fully know Steve's career, I mean, he started off like he was working on Sauls and some other stuff when he was a teenager, um, and then he started doing some Tier City Model One stuff, and he got into the cocoa, which was basically his living for you know a good span of years, and then he did some stuff on some of the video game consoles. So actually, I've kind of compiled a list here of all the stuff that he worked on that I know of, <clears throat> including a few that he's uncredited on, and there's a few other things that he I think he was involved with, but I don't know too much about them. But I thought I'd rattle some off. So the Tier City Model 1 in 1979 and 1980, he cranked out Spaceball, <clears throat> which is a game. Soft Music uh, Musical Editor, Galactic Fighter, Soft Term, which I believe is a terminal program, Spaceball 2, and then Soft Video, which is kind of an animation thing. And then on the Coco, and he did this through Datasoft and through Tandy and through SRB Software, et cetera, and GamePoint. I won't mention all the companies for each individual, but all those ones are involved. So he did one called SECS Sex which is a screen edit control system. And that was by Datasoft. And I think I'm, this is probably a good time for me to share that particular screen so you guys can see what I'm referring to here. So if that's showing up here, this is one of the earliest Datasoft ads for stuff for the Coco. Uh, Sigmon, now Mark, uh, I talked to Mark Siegel about these. Uh, Sigmon, I believe, is actually a Motorola product that Datasoft got permission to sell, which is a machine language monitor for developing system, but not an assembler. And then SES, if, if you guys remember that any of the old timers were around when the Coke One first came out, Extended Basic was delayed. Um, and so Steve wrote uh, SECS, the Screen Edit Control System, which actually added a full screen editor so you could actually edit your basic statements and stuff without having to retype them, which in Color Basic was the only way you could do it. You had to retype the whole damn line if you had one mistake in it. Um, the edit command came with Extended Basic, and I think that actually finally got released around November, December of 1980. This ad here is from basically February of 1981 uh, of 80 micro, but that would have been, you know, a couple months ahead of time when it was advertised. So it didn't uh, last too long. In fact, there's a little bit of an audio clip from the coordinated Cocoa conference that I'll, I'll play where he talks about this particular program because it was needed at the time. And then, you know, it was basically obsoleted, you know, a couple months later when Extended Basic finally got released a little bit behind schedule. Um, In that ad there, is that supposed to be Steve in that little cartoon caricature there? I wonder. I don't know. I don't think so, though, because he never wore glasses. Oh, he never did wear glasses. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, on the Coco, uh, he started off with that one. And then these are roughly in chronological order, but there's some you know question as to specific months as to which came out first. But I'll just rattle off the other ones here. So Audio Spectrum Analyzer. And there's two versions of it. There's the semi-graphics version that most of us are familiar with. And then the last few years, we actually discovered there's an updated P-Mode uh, 4 one which actually runs probably in the Coco 3, but this was released around 83, 84. And I'm not sure why they redid it, because, I mean, there was no reason technically to redo it, except maybe maybe Tandy was trying to get away from having semi-graphics officially supported, even though with several other programs that they did. If I had to take them. a wild guess, I'd say Brian Weezer probably has one. He's not the only one. Yeah, <laughs> but doesn't the cartridge look exactly the same? There's like yeah, no, there's no change at all. No the manual's not changed. Part number or anything different. The, the copyright dates not changed. Nothing. It's like a crapshoot <laughs> if you're going to get the old, the old or the rare. Yeah, one, huh? I believe Terry Steggy has one, and somebody else in the Facebook group mentioned they found out they have it too. So there's at least three known copies of the the revised one. Uh, popcorn, of course. Shooting gallery. Um, which Did actually he has an uncredited gallery? assist on it. It's it's listed as being by James Gron, but uh, and I. Ref Talk to Mark about this too, just because I know Steve had claimed that he actually did quite a bit of the programming on a few of the Datasoft games, but it was looking like he was doing everything. So he decided to let the other people share their credits um, without having to mention him on every single one. So shooting galleries one, uh, clowns and balloons, uh, micro painter. Now 
Uh, he actually had some private versions of MicroPainter to work with both the Kokomax cartridge and the X-Pad as well, which were never released, uh, which would be kind of interesting. Uh, Megabug, which is a port of Dung Beetles, of course, from the Apple II. And there's a third name, for, I think, for the Atari one. I don't know why they kept renaming it from Datasoft, but they did. Sands of Egypt, in which case it was uh, written with Ralph Burris, James Groen, and Steve Bjork. Zaxxon, of course, the most famous one. Uh, Canyon Climber, that's another uncredited programming assist he did along with James Garron as well. Uh, Puyan, another uncredited assist that uh, was along with James Garron and Jerry Humphrey. Uh, Stellar Lifeline, which I think is a favorite of a lot of us here. Uh, Desert Rider, which uh, is an interesting combination of bump and jump and pole position, if you haven't played that one. And and he didn't just do games. Here's an, uh, one, Bjork Blocks, which is one he sold through Morton Bay Software. And this was basically a tile editor for doing uh, graphics backgrounds and stuff, specifically designed for that. And it's a utility that I know a few games actually used, uh, game programs used to actually create their backgrounds, et cetera. Gone Abuana. And we'll we'll get into a little bit on that. Um, and I'll have Mark kind of pipe in a little bit here in the chat in here, because if you look at the binary of Gone Abuana actually on the disk, there's a hidden message in it hinting at a Ghana Bonnet too. And uh, this was news to Mark. <laughs> I think I think Steve had mentioned he did Ghana Bonnet for the Tandy 2000. 2000, yeah. Wow. Which was, yeah. well, that was the 80186 short-lived yeah. PC, right? Yeah. Um, I would be, it would be interesting to see that somewhere, even on an emulator. And uh, I don't know what kind of graphics modes that, that thing had. I know it had like a high res 16. Yeah, it went up to 640 color. by 400 by eight colors or something, I think. It was a high, so I don't know which mode he used. but I want to say it was 720 by, but I can't remember off the top of my head. That might have been monochrome. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head either. Uh, other ones he did, one-on-one, -on -one, the port of that to the Coco. Um, he did a bouncing ball demo for OS 9 level one, which I'll be showing a little bit later here too, because uh, just to prove that you could do some fast graphics under OS 9 if you... Uh, did direct screen writes instead of, you know, running through the actual OS escape codes. Uh, Pitfall 2, Lost Caverns, which is still to this day the best use of the sound speech cartridge of anything on the Coco game. It's really. the only use of the sound on the sound <laughs> speech cartridge. Well, we've got a few. I mean, F-16 Assault does have some explosion sounds. And sound, I mean, bits. music. I mean, music. It's the only oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. advantage of music. I meant, yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of them just took advantage of the voice, which is the worst part. Yeah, of the which is the laziest, the laziest thing to do. <laughs> I, I hated like spending thirty bucks on a game that said it uses speech card. No, it doesn't yeah. use the sound at all. Player one, you know, that, yeah, it's, 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 right. That's almost so, as bad as the uh, the cover art making the game look amazing and having it be a, you know shite in the box, but then expecting anything that sounded like music just to hear that robot voice. I was like, oh man, stab my ears now. <laughs> Uh, another one he did is he did a series of articles in Rainbow from July to September of 1986 of the for the high-res uh, interface mouse drivers. So the high-res was actually announced before the Coco 3 was. And the drivers he initially published were for the Coco 1 and 2 to use that little box. But of course, he you know knew the Coco 3 was coming out, so he's kind of you know secretly preparing all of us for it. And that was a collaboration. Uh, the high-res interface design itself was a collaboration between Mark Siegel and then and Steve Bjork as well. Uh, he also did the Color Computer Artist, which is one of the first Coco 3 drawing programs. Warp Fighter 3D, which I actually demonstrated at uh, BoatFest this last year and actually took some 3D glasses with it. So it's kind of a simplified version of Star Raiders or Project Nebula, uh, but with a true 3D perspective. Uh, Mine Rescue, which is kind of the basis for Super Pitfall. It's basically the same game engine with a little bit of different play. You have to take oxygen tanks and give them to miners to rescue them. A bash, which uh, is kind of the precursor of Arkanoid. Uh, it, it didn't have the uh, lasers and some of the other stuff that Arkanoid had, but had multi balls and basically, you know, 
various screens full of different blocks and was also a fat binary just like Arkanoid was that it had both Coco 1, 2 and Coco 3 unique versions included. Uh, then Super Pitfall itself came out. Arkanoid itself came out. Uh, those are official ports. Rampage, which we talked about before, is the one he completed in 31 days for a bonus. Uh, Z89, his uh, sequel to uh, his 1983 you know, hit Zaxxon, except this time with the Coco 3 and digitized sound effects. Mm -hmm. Snake Pit, which for some reason people think is really rare. I bought it from him at Coco Fest in 89, I think it was, or maybe 1990. So it was definitely on sale. Um, and then Marty's Nightmare, which was a tribute to Marty Goodman. And we'll get into the story behind that a little bit later here, too. But uh, that came out in 1990 for the Atlanta Coco Fest. And then he did some other stuff after the Coco for some game consoles. He did Crystal Quest in 1991 for the Game Boy. In 1992, he did Captain Planet and the Planeteers for the Genesis and the Rocketeer for the Super Nintendo. 1995, he did the Mask and uh, Bass Masters Classic on the Super Nintendo. And then he also did Bass Masters Classic Pro Edition in 1996 for the Genesis. So that's just his software stuff. And then he did Haunt Hackers and a whole bunch of other stuff that I don't have, you know, a lot of specific details on. But he kept active. So you're saying um, he had he didn't really do that much. No, no. <laughs> just in he roughly years. doubled the number of Steve York programs that I have. <laughs> right. By, by naming all of the unattributed things. I, and I think he did mention something like that, that there were, you know, and, and that's kind of why Activision got formed because you know, the famous uh, Marinette thing where he couldn't get his name on Adventure and he put in the Easter egg. And so Activision's like, we just want to get credit. And and for whatever reason, while the only reason why any of us knew the name Steve Bjork at the time is because his name was on the games. And so certain names were associated with quality, whereas sometimes it was just a company like Spectral Associates as a company. You know, you know they're going to have a good game. That that's a reputable, you know, Mark Data, uh, Tom Mix. They're they're probably got good products, but they they weren't like household names. The 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 game the the programmer wasn't always a household name, but somebody like Steve Bjork pretty much was, because his name was front and center on and the on. So the name recognition with the quality product became synonymous. Um, and but apparently, from what he was saying or what you were just saying there too, not you didn't always get a, a dual credit. So he let other people take the headline, uh, and that's fine. I mean, at the end of the day, if he's getting paid, that's great. I, I can't even, and, and I know you I know we've interviewed Mark Siegel, and I remember listening to it, but I don't remember all the details. But I'm just trying to imagine what it would have been like being in that room in Datasoft. You know what I mean? Like all those <laughs> systems they were developing for the the Atari 8-bit and the Commodore and the, you know, uh, Cocos. And, they you know, they, they made a product that went on every single 8-bit system. What would that? environment have been like was would it have been fun was you know you know it's hard to imagine um and having you know all these other people who have talent and are making games with you and stuff it, it probably was yeah was there a competitive rivalry between the people doing stuff for the ataris yeah. and the ti's i, I have and... a feeling there had to have been a lot of collaboration because there had to be so many shared assets and the source code and everything else because you know data soft is a brand and you know something like canyon climber was a title so um i have i would have to imagine that a lot of that and you know and when you speaking of canyon climber it's an interesting game it's very repetitive at some point in time you'd say to yourself why am i still playing this but you want you, you want to keep coming back to it but when you look at like the Atari 8-bit version, which had nicer colors and nice brown mountains and blue skies and had all the thing, all the visual cues that we lacked, the gameplay on the Atari 8-bit blew. 
You know what yeah. I mean? It's just like the Coco version just got faster and faster and faster and faster the more you played, you know, and it just got to the point where it almost became unplayable. Um, so if you, you know, nowadays they call that speed running where you can just, you know, keep going through a game and get to so many levels in so much time. That to me, was one of, probably one of the first games that you, that invented speed running, you know, at least the Coco version, because I hadn't played too many other versions. Um, but yeah, very cool stuff. How yeah. do you speed run if you only get to level one, Stevie? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a speed die, right? So Yeah, well, ask Mark Bosley. He's the expert on level one. So, uh, uh, Mark? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Just got a level two. I'd love to see it. Yeah, yeah. and then Steve had also mentioned, and another thing, too, not only was he a great contribution to the Coco Talk Show, the predecessor, which, by the way, in the opening statement of the Coco Nation the world's first live talk show. I could, I could pick a bone about that, but that's okay. It's um, a continuation. Yes, um, there's a lot of bones that could be picked. There's there. a lot of Let's bones. Let's not go yes. there. Yes, yes. But yeah. um, not only was he instrumental in kind of shaping Coco Talk, but all the Coco Talk after darks we had pretty much were surrounded by Steve Bjork and freaking uh, Al and his Star Trek stuff. But um, you know, the conversations we would have about how he somehow helped out with uh, Jet Propulsion Labs and somehow had his hand in the making of the DVD. And it's like, wait a second, what else? What has he not done? Did, did, you want to, did he write the Bible? <laughs> did you write the Bible? Um, did you invent the internal combustion engine? Uh, and what about the molecule? I think he was somehow influential in developing the molecule, if I'm not mistaken, right? So he, didn't get, he didn't get credit for that, but he helped. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were only shit. allowed to have one person's name on it, so he let the, the other person. This guy get. said he had his hands in, and of course, then there's a lot of things he made claims on that people will dispute, including Mark Siegel, who I know is in the live chat. Because I know earlier when you played that clip, he was saying I asked Tandy to put a sound chip in the computer, and I remember Mark saying the funny thing is he never asked for that, you know, and how he kept saying that the MC10 killed the deluxe color computer. I'm sure there are people who could maybe say maybe that's not necessarily true or that's how you remember it. Um, and that's OK. That's this becomes kind of the fabric. You know, he's the one who started the term doorstop and referring to the MC-10, which <laughs> was a huge running gag for <laughs> forever. Um, that's the joke that doesn't die. And Simon Jonasson is here, the madman. Hey, Simon. Good to see you, mate. Hello, guys. Hey, have you got one of those skinny cigarettes? You got a fag on you there, Simon? Yeah, I can get one. and as Um, far as people misremembering things after so many years that's gonna we all do that yeah Yeah, we all do that steve remembers it one way mark remembers remembers it another way that that's just something that comes yeah yeah but i mean that's just i mean but honestly as much it it just became a running gag whether or not it was true it just became good content for the show um uh, he was definitely a great addition. And, and earlier I had mentioned, and since Simon's here, I'll, I'll tie those two um, thoughts together. You know, there are some people who will say he's not the most, uh, you know, he gets, he's overhyped. He's not as talented as people give him credit for. Another thing that he was infamous for before I ever met him was, you know, for lack of a better term, being somewhat arrogant because of his talent and not everybody got along with him or maybe he was not always nice to people. And on that note, which we also addressed on the on the former show, and Simon is here, when he was doing his assembly series and Simon tried to chime in, there were times he was not polite to Simon on our show. So did I witness Steve not being nice to everybody? Absolutely. So is there some reality and basis to he wasn't always the nicest person sure and that's true for all of us 
But like I had also said earlier, he kind of became one of the guys. So whether or not he got along for everybody, or maybe it was just like, hey, this is my segment. You can talk about your shit when you're and some other time, but let me have my segment. Maybe he was just being possessive of it. I'm not, you know, but, you know, um, the, he wasn't perfect. None of us are perfect, but the guy was incredibly talented, incredibly gifted and gave a tremendous gifts to us. So uh, I, you can't take that away from him. And Simon, I love you, man. How you doing? Yeah, but Steve, you're, you're a sexy you're beast. About? You're a sexy yeah. beast, Simon. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> what are you saying about that? You have to respect the guy, you know? You have to respect him for what he done. Absolutely, know? absolutely. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Yeah, I, I think Jeff Tennyson in, in uh, Discord a week or so ago actually kind of summed it up really nice. You have to have some arrogance to uh, complete projects. If you don't, you don't have enough confidence in yourself. You won't finish them. And a lot of people, uh, you might might have some technical skill, but they they start it and then they kind of get bored and they wander off of it, and then that's that's it. It just dies there. And you have to have some sort of supreme self-confidence to will yourself to go through a long hard project i mean people like nick morandi simon and others that have completed games and demos and all this kind of stuff this is why i don't consider myself in that same plateau because mike stein's been going on for 30 years and i'm still not done the damn thing yet so <laughs> I, I would mention that we call that maintenance <laughs> yeah um but he was a, he was definitely a character he was definitely a character. I'm glad I got to meet him. At the, was it 2018 he came to Coco Fest? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and so unfortunately, that was the first and only time I would have met him in person, although he was on the show for a long time. You kind of felt like you knew him. And there was a moment, or I think it was on a Sunday or something, where he's like, hey, let's all go to the arcade. Let's go to the Galloping Ghost Arcade. And, and you know, when you're at Coco Fest, it's really hard to herd all the cats because the kittens are all over the place, right? But um, we couldn't get everybody to get their shit together and this and that and the other. And I was just in a lot of pain and uncomfortable. So I was like, yeah, I'm just not really feeling going to the Galloping Ghost. Um, and I regret that because that would have been more quality time I could have spent with Steve. But as much as I regretted it even before Steve passed, the one thing, and if you mentioned Bruce, uh, D. Bruce. DeBruce Moore and, and Jacob Moore are not here, but Bruce and Jacob got to go with him and he played Rampage with uh, Jacob Moore and shared secrets on the gameplay and the game and the AI and the mechanics. And so that story. So as much as I would have liked to have spent some time hanging out with Steve Bjork at an arcade, would that be cool? Awesome. Is that an awesome story? Yeah. Is it as good as the 8-Bit Guy story? Yeah, but um, well, and speaking of that story, they Jacob and Bruce actually sent in the whole story as a video, and that's a pretty good cue up, I think, to ah, play okay. that. So, um, so while I didn't get a chance to have that, I'm glad that Jacob did because I was 14 when Steve Bjork was my hero. So, to have a next generation of somebody around 14 to be able to hang out with an arcade hero, I, I am so grateful that Bruce and Jacob got that experience. And I wouldn't say I'm jealous. I would say I'm delighted that someone got to have something I wish I could have had when I was his age. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Mark, you got that queued up? It's ready to go. Here we go. Hello, fellow Coco enthusiasts. My name is Bruce Moore. And I'm Jacob Moore. And we're here to tell you our story of Steve Bjork and pay tribute to him. So 
I grew up with the Coco One and the Coco Two, and of course I would see Steve's name in uh, various magazines over the years, especially on the game Zaxxon. Oh, if I could have had Zaxxon, I could never afford any of these things. <laughs> never did have a Steve Bjork game at the time. Fast forward to 2018, we came to Coco Fest at Heron Point. Jacob and I set up a booth there. And we're kitty corner to us was somebody setting up some non-coco stuff. It was like, what is this? Like Halloween stuff or something. Haunt hackers, it said. Turns out it was Steve Bjork. I was like, whoa, that is pretty cool. The Steve Bjork guy right beside us. The guy who made Zaxxon and apparently a whole bunch of other games. Like uh, Megabug, which I happen to own now. Yay. So, uh, Jacob was in 2018. How old were you? Oh, I would have been 10. Okay, 10 years old. So he's a sweet little guy. And uh, it seems that Steve took a bit of a shine to Jacob. And I believe that started at the auction. So Jacob had uh, maybe $30 available to him for bidding. I wanted him to have fun with the bidding. And there was this um, item that was donated, iCade it was called. It was uh, a Bluetooth arcade controller that connected to an iPad and it had a bunch of games built in it. Oh, he desperately wanted this thing. And he bid, and he bid, and he bid, and then it just went beyond his money. And uh, I was going to let him learn a hard life lesson there <laughs> and not jump in and keep bidding. And so it was sold to somebody. Went, the bid went up a couple more times. Jacob's kind of sad. And then this fella gets up and comes over and gives it to Jacob. And Jacob's sitting there with this in his hand, this eye candy in the box, like with this dumbfounded look on his face just sitting right next to us is Steve Bjork he's watching all this and, I, and the guy goes back and sits down and Jacob pops up unprompted and goes over there and thanks the guy profusely for it Steve Bjork watches that and he turns and looks at me and says there aren't too many kids who would bother to have done that you know that's that's a good kid you got there of course I'm you know, feeling very proud about it and all that <laughs> So Jacob thought, or Jacob, Steve thought that, that Jacob was uh, seemed to be a pretty good kid. So we go forward a little bit further, and we're going through around all the tables, and we come to Cloud9, Mark Marlette. He's got all those cartridges there. We find a Rampage cartridge there. See, Jacob, this is like one of the best Coco 3 games. It's based on the arcade game, and guess who ported it? Steve Bjork. So he was very keen to put his money that he didn't have to pay on the auction towards getting that cartridge. And uh, where is that cartridge, Jacob? Right here. Right here. This cartridge, once he got it, I said, Jacob, you know, the guy who coded that is here. Why don't you go ask him for his autograph? Thanks, Steve. Jacob, show it here. Show it to the camera. Show it to the camera. Show it to the camera. Yeah! You do some damage. There are a lot of There are certain ones that you want to use. We're like they're like in Ghostbusters now. We've got three streams going on. What the? He's got to step on the thing now and suck in the ghost. <laughs> Jacob's, Jacob's getting that, that, that all the, the cheats on Rampage ah, here from, from the man. No fair! But, but the thing is, if you go find an arcade game, you're going to be able to break up after finding that one for a while because 
it is. Really <laughs> but Steve was very gracious. He went and found a proper felt pen and he uh, signed it and uh, warned Jacob not to smudge it because it was going to be wet for a while. So we put a little piece of tape over it to try and keep it from smudging. And Jacob was very thrilled to have this autographed copy of Rampage. So we go forward a little bit later. There's some guys who have been talking about going to the Galloping Ghost, which was a big arcade that had all the um, original arcade console games in there. And uh, so the night had come, and we came through the, the lobby, and there was you know, always some guys hanging in the lobby there. Steve Bjork was there. And we said that, hey, you know, we're, we're going to go, and uh, we've got you know, lots of room in the back of our rental car if anybody wants to catch a ride. And people were hemming and hawing. They weren't sure if they're ready to go or if they wanted to go or who was going. So we chatted for a little while. And then it says, okay, well, we're on our way. So as we're walking out, this voice pipes up behind us. Say, hey, uh, I think I'll catch a ride with you. It was Steve Bjork. It's like, okay, sure. Come on, Steve. So he hopped in the back of our car. And away we drove. And as we're driving along, he, he told us some stories. Like when he got his driver's license... Uh, so he would have been 16, which is your age right now. Jacob just got his driver's license. So when he was Jacob's age right now, he would, on Fridays, skip school, take his parents' car and drive, I'm not sure if it was up the coast or down the coast, to the Homebrew Computer Club to see what was going on there. And as he's telling this story, I'm thinking, Homebrew Computer Club? Wait a minute. Isn't that Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, did you meet Steve Jobs? He says, well, he was there. He was, you know, he was kind of, he always kind of wandered around the background. He didn't say much, but he was always kind of paying attention to stuff. And he said that, you know, he found Steve Wozniak way more interesting. You know, all the hardware tinkering, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, what? You know, like, okay, so we're getting, we're getting the, the down low on, on a different era of computing straight from somebody who's been there. It was, uh, I was pretty thrilled. And every once in a while I'm saying to myself, Steve Bjork's in the back of my car. What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I told us stuff about being, uh, uh, you know, being extras in movies on the, in California and uh, like surfer music, you know, we kind of got that stuff. So we arrive at the Galloping Ghost. And um, as we go in, wouldn't you know, one of the big consoles just within sight on the side is Rampage. And as we go up to pay our fee to get in, of course, Steve, you know, makes sure he tells the guy taking the money that, hey, uh, yeah, I'm the guy who programmed it for the Coco 3. <laughs> so the guy was suitably impressed. Oh, I wish the owner was here. I, I would uh, I would introduce you to him. And yeah, yada. So anyway, Steve got his little bit of fame there. And then uh, he headed over to the Rampage. He said, Jacob, Jacob, come here. And so, you know, and it's a two-player in this case, and so he here and he gets fires it up, and he, and he starts playing rampage with Jacob, and then he starts telling him all the tips and tricks, like all the all the little features and secrets and all that. Yeah, yeah, and ways to you know not die, maximize your score, the whole bit. So Jacob got the inside scoop on the Cocoa version, which of course he you know tried to make as much like the arcade version as possible. So, Coco Fest is over, we're back home, Jacob's rampaging all over the place. <laughs> and he's like, I'm gonna, I want to get the world high score. Now, we, we haven't been able to find what the world high score is. We're, it's in a Rainbow Magazine somewhere, I suppose, or maybe the Game On Challenge. I don't know. If any of you guys know, could find it, please let us know. Because Jacob was playing, and uh, of course, it takes a pretty long time to accumulate 
a huge score. So we turned the monitor off in between, the monitor which I used for other things. Well, after four or five days of this, I, uh, yeah, I made a mistake. Jacob was, what score were you at at that point? Oh, I think about four million. <laughs> yeah, Jacob's around four million points and the monitor's off. And of course, we all know there's no power light on the Coco. So I thought it wasn't on. I didn't know he was playing and I unplugged it and moved it. Totally wrecked his score. So right now, currently he has four million. But if anybody could find out what the world record is, Jacob is quite prepared as a tribute to Steve Bjork to take all those tips that Steve gave him and and beat that and set the score along the on the cocoa at least for Rampage. Jacob, Jacob, would you please tell our viewers, would you please pass on at least one of the tricks that Steve Bjork told you about Rampage? I'll tell you it has something to do with having more than one controller hooked up. More than one controller. And that's all you're gonna say? Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, I see you got one there and one there. But there's something tricky about that, eh? Okay, well, you viewers, you can try and figure that out yourself. <laughs> Thanks. Bye, all. Cut. Are we done? I guess. Okay. So big thank you to Jacob awesome. and Bruce for uh, supplying that. They were Bruce hoping to be Jacob. here, but unfortunately, they're pretty sick. So, yeah, that is awesome. So I'm glad they got that one-on-one -on -one time with Steve. Am I not hearing Curtis cool. again, or am I, is my volume turned down somewhere? I don't know. We hear Curtis. It's you, man. Testies one, testies two. We can hear you, Steve, but I don't know if you're hearing us. Okay. Am I here? Thank you to Bruce and Jacob Moore for that. That was awesome. I think that I think that kind of echoes what I was saying. How Steve definitely became one of the guys with the Coco community, and I think he was before because you mentioned earlier, Curtis, that there were these calls that they were doing, these Skype calls, and I know Tim Lindner was part of that too. Before there was yeah. a Coco talk, before there were podcasts and stuff, there was a handful of group calls, these Skype calls that I think are recorded and archived somewhere, and. Steve was, was part of those. Um, so, you know, he went to computer clubs all the time uh, for different systems. And I think about one of his most infamous lines was, you know, I've seen some of the stuff from the computer clubs that's going on on the Amiga and they got nothing on the Coco. I know that's another big controversial statement he had said at one point in time, I think. Somebody took that sound bite and posted it and called it the great lie. Like he basically, Steve lied to us. He made us buy a color computer three because he said it was better than the Amiga. That son of a bitch, right? So there's people who are going to chew on what they want to chew on and spin it how they want to spin it. But um, I think if you're going to a computer club and you see a demo at a computer club made by a computer enthusiast, and what he saw in those demos probably wasn't stacking up to things he knew he could do on the Coco 3. It wasn't a false statement. You know, and the things that we're doing now on the Coco 3 with the transcodes and everything else, and, and dare I even say like Nitrous 9, you know what I mean? Um, the things that Coco 3 is doing is it's, uh, he didn't lie. The Coco 3, you know, it's hard to hold a candle to the Coco 3 being an 8-bit system, you know? So yep. uh, he didn't lie to us, contrary to some people's opinions. Yeah. I also want to mention too, like he was active in the community even before the, the conference, uh, which took place in 2010, 2011, which I'll let Tim get into shortly here. 
But he was also very active on Delphi and CompuServe in the Coco and the OS9 groups, both, you know, from the early 80s on. He was always answering questions and helping people out with tips and tricks and um, very active. Some of that stuff's been archived from the 90s. Uh, so you can actually visit those. I've got, actually got a chunk of them once from CompuServe on my website. If you want to go through, you'll see his name pop up numerous times. Um, so he was always kind of helpful in the community just, you know, whenever he could. Uh, but he's also very strict on copyrights and uh you know, he definitely didn't want his stuff pirated, and we'll get into that. There's actually a clip I, I'll be playing from one of the Cocoa conferences uh, with uh, when Marty Goodman was the guest uh, interviewee on that one. They actually talk about the first meeting, which had a big stink about you know the Zaxxon and copy protection breaking right, and stuff right. like that. And so, so yeah, that 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 infamous rivalry turned into a, an amazing friendship that lasted yeah. forever. But you know, and you, you having again only virtually met Marty Goodman one time, but another person who kind of was infamous and larger than life um, through people's recounting of things. Um, what you know, and then having him on that interview was great. And you know, Marty's whole thought was, listen, if if I paid for something. I should have the right to make a backup and that's valid, but he's also basically showing people how to, you know, make illegal copies. And, and as we all know, none of us did that back in the day, we all paid for everything and respected um, that. So, um, but, you know, Marty's uh, idea behind that wasn't, you know, wasn't to um, beat the system and scam and, you know, steal software, but sharing that information opened that door. And, and so yeah. I could, and which would, um, cut into some revenue for the the people involved in the production of that thing. So I can see why you would be upset by that. You know, yeah. well, I've got a well, five minute clip where actually they're both Steve and Marty are talking about this specifically. But before I do that, I, I wanted Tim to kind of talk about the uh, co coordinated conference. Uh, how did how did that start? And how did Steve become involved? And I think Aaron was the other guy that was kind of co funding, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, Aaron Wolf. Aaron Wolf and I. Um... I don't know how it started. It, we, uh, oh, actually, I remember hearing about some um, uh, ham radio conferences that were done on the um, that were done with the, it's the topic of the color computer. And I think Aaron is a ham operator. I, I think he was involved with that. And I wasn't. I've, I've never been a ham. But I, I one well, day. Don't kid yourself, Tim. You're a huge ham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you never been a ham radio enthusiast, but ham. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> so I thought, I I thought you know opening that up to more people would be would be fun, and and I heard about Skype, and I talked to Aaron, and and we got together, and we decided to host some uh, Skype calls, and we you know made an announcement, you know gave a time and a date and and a thing, and gave it a stupid name, and we just started <laughs> recording them, and that's how it started. And I think you should preference this. This is the early days of Skype when Skype was audio only. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because now when you hear Skype, you're thinking video call, you're thinking Zoom, all these things. It was audio. So I remember listening to you guys all had to say who you were. Oh, by the way, this is Tim. And I need to say this. And this is Steve. <laughs> and I need to say that. So you guys were kind of annotating who you were uh, before each sentence because it's all audio. You know what I mean? Which I thought was interesting. And when I heard some of those back in the day, I'm like, man, this is the grandfather of cocoa talk you know what i mean it's just people talking about the cocoa it's freaking cool yeah and the uh, audio thing was kind of fun too because I, I remember listening to the episodes and, and i won't play that particular part of it but at one point because you couldn't see a visual cue that somebody else was wanting to speak you'd have to like say whatever you're saying then go over over, pass it over the next <laughs> like, one. I'm on the radio like over a cb now. radio 10 four. 
What's your 20? Yeah. yeah, I don't think it multiplexed very well. So if if we if you didn't do that kind of thing, nobody would be able to understand anything. Now, I noticed when I was going through them, uh, there were six episodes. Is that correct, Tim? That sounds about right. The first three you were hosting, and Steve was kind of a co-host, but then the, the last three, Steve was hosting pretty well solo. Uh, I know the first one that he hosted solo, he'd mentioned that you had gotten really busy at work. Is that what happened, why you didn't do much on the other, the last three? Or I, I don't recall. Okay. Anyways, two clips I kind of highlighted here. One was about that SECS, um, Datasoft's first commercial program, which I showed the ad for before. It's just like a one-minute clip, so I'll play that first, and then we'll play about a five-minute clip where Steve's talking with Marty Goodman. It's the first time they've talked in, in quite a few years. So I think Tim see. put that together for us. You arranged that Marty interview, didn't you, Tim? Uh, uh, way back. The one we did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The many contributions of Tim Linder. We need to do a Tim Linder special next. Wait till I die. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this should be the one about the SECS, the screen editor software. Nothing yet. He hasn't hit play yet. Oh, the line's not moving. Are you guys hearing that or no? No. Uh, no, why is it not sharing? You still running on that old crappy iMac, Curtis? <laughs> <laughs> of course you guys are you taking point. your podcast money and buying a real computer yet <laughs> you know how much the podcast money is there's no way that's happening <laughs> right. that's why i'm living in the swiss alps right now and i retired on the coco talk windfall let me see if i forgot to check share sound like an idiot that's why <laughs> share sound like an idiot okay <laughs> Curtis forgot to check share sound that never happened <laughs> <laughs> Having Stevie back on here just throwing me right off my game, man. Like, oh, okay. it's, it's very, it's very jolting. Uh, uh, something that was called sex. It was it, um, something like system extended control system or something like that. They liked the names where it came out sex. I don't know why. It was basically an enhancement to the basic, similar to what you got with extended color basic. Because at the time when the color computer came out, it didn't have extended color basic. It only had the original basic. So we went through, uh, gave it high-resolution graphics. We gave you a screen editor and a bunch of other stuff. You load this thing in from uh, tape and would use up some of your RAM and give you these extra capabilities. So anyway, that was his uh, little talk about that. And I'd never even heard of the program before that particular episode. And then you know, I, much later, you know, hunted down ads and stuff for it. So that's like going into the very early history of the Cocoa One. And then I'll switch to the other one. This will be about five minutes with uh, Marty Goodman. This is from the middle of the interview. I was talking about the first time they met and the, the little bit of controversy over Zaxxon at the West Coast Computer Fair, by coincidence. Don't forget to share Probably. a sound. Like did, okay, did you come through there, that brief little clip? Yeah, I hear it, yeah. Okay. The third annual or fourth annual uh, uh, West Coast Computer Fair. Anyways... Datasoft, for the first time, was going to have a booth at the show, and they're premiering Zaxxon and all these other games that they've created, and they were very excited about sharing what they had, you know, a fully licensed version of Zaxxon and what we were able to get on the machines. Well, I hadn't been able to get up there yet, but I got a, on the first day of the show, I got a call from my boss and <laughs> the head of the company, and he was outraged by oh. the... Or 
uh, unbelievable gall this person had to take a photocopy sheets of how to break Zaxxon's copy protection and put them next to the color computer that was demonstrating it at the boot. <laughs> Could not believe it. He's reading back these instructions to me saying, will this break this? And I'm kind of going, I'm shocked by have somebody broke it already because the game had only been out in the market for about two weeks. And anyways, I I have some friends that uh, uh, run some of the different uh, computer societies and especially the Color Computer Society, and I had them track down who would do such a thing. <laughs> and sure enough, they came up with the name Marty Goodman. Now, I had never heard of Marty Goodman before, <laughs> but they you know they were saying, oh well, he's really a good guy and like that and. I find out a little, you know, they told me a little bit more. First of all, he was a card-carrying communist uh, at the time, <laughs> and he lives in Berkeley, belongs there. He's definitely part of that culture. It's, and it's, that interests me, Steve, I, and I certainly don't deny it. I'm proud of my leftist background and my current leftist <laughs> position, but it's interesting that that was, that was put forward uh, in, in the first breath as a description of me. I, I, I'm delighted to hear it, but I didn't realize that that was, was being talked about in, in the oh, world of the collar computer. Oh, oh yeah. Well, it was just, you know, they were trying to explain who is this guy that would put how to break the copy protection for right. a game at the company that's trying to sell the game and put the copy protection in the first place. Anyways. The, 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 that was sort of more an expression of my own personality that I didn't really want to hurt anybody. And, in fact, that's why I chose to put it there where, of course, it would be immediately spotted. Folks would know about it. I assumed it would be immediately taken away. The idea was not to harm. The idea was to perform a grand jest. The grand jest, and I do understand, it's that everybody has the right to make sure their software works for into you know forever. You know if what happens, you know what happens to this one disc if it breaks. You know I, I understand completely. But well, you, at the you, time, you were always very good about that. You 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 <laughs> you I, candidly, you brought me around over the course of the next year or two or three. Well, so actually, I think it only took a couple of years um, to you know appreciate what's involved in making software and what's involved in making your living making software and and all of that. And frankly, my own feelings about all that shifted considerably in in large part through my acquaintance with you. And anyways, there's a little bit more to the story before <laughs> I met like Marty and before I got up there. I started find you know find out more about Marty, and of course. I was a little upset, to say the least, and I said in jest to my friends, I'm going to send the Luigi brothers up there to explain life to Marty, probably having something to do with his knees being you know, kind of cut off there. You mean the famous, the famous Sicilian orthopedic surgeon, Luigi? <laughs> yes, well, Luigi brothers, it's two guys. They, they, make sure, they make sure the job is done right. Anyways. I don't know if Marty took it uh, literally or if Marty realized that somebody was mad. But when I, for the first day or two when I was at the West Coast Computer Fair, when uh, he got a clue that I was in the area, from what I understand from my spies, you were doing your best to avoid me for a little while. I was trying to check out the situation. I didn't know what the hell kind of a character I deal with. I knew you had reason to be less than feeling really warm to me. <laughs> But we did have, we finally did meet and we did talk and I got a kick out of the fact that you were starting to think the Luigi brothers were real. <laughs> 
But uh, since then, I was concerned about your ire, and I and 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 folks have been known to express express uh, ill will in some fairly strong ways. (laughs) (laughs) True, true, true. But you know, still, we managed to become great friends. I had some great times when I'd come up to to the San Francisco region. You have invited me on your infamous three-week hikes, which I have always declined. You should have you should have gone on one of them. You would have loved it. (laughs) I would I would have loved it, but I have to admit, my hiking I used usually keep to nothing more than one overnight. <laughs> and these days, I enjoy the comfort of a uh, Regency so much, I just can't <laughs> stand roughing it anymore. So <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's the clip I wanted to share there, kind of getting into the history of how the two of them met. That sounds like classic Steve and classic Marty from the Marty I got to meet one time on, on our show. It sounds like yeah. they, they those personality types have not changed and. 40 years uh and i'm and i'm grateful for both of those personalities <laughs> what a hoot that was <laughs> yeah i think that's really a lost uh coco game uh concept there Lu- the, the luigi brothers i think that's a you know you're 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 you're, 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 you're uh, looking for marty goodman yeah are those are those recordings available anywhere for for people to get because i wouldn't mind listening to them again i know the first three are on tim's site um okay if, if Tim can dig out the link, because I don't have it handy here you know, for later on to pop in the chat here. But the first three episodes he's got on his site. And the last three, I think uh, I got copies off Nick. So I'll have to get those. Uh, I don't know if you have those, Tim, or not, because you weren't directly involved with those shows. But I can send them if you want to make the complete collection available on your site. I'll have to check and see what I have. Um, I want to mention something about the autograph. Um, because Bruce and Jacob mentioned how they got Steve's autograph on the um on the Rampage cartridge. Now that year that uh, Steve Bjork was there, um, we had also created a special um, Best of Coco Talk DVD, Volume One and Volume Two, and we had recorded a, a never aired episode of Coco Talk that we had recorded like the week before Coco Fest. And it was basically all of us talking about which is what Coco Talk started off as. This is talking about what we're excited about. We expect this year's Coco Fest to be about. But we recorded a uh, um, a bonus episode with Steve Bjork talking about the Coco Fest that he would end up coming to, which would unfortunately be for a lot of us the first time we would beat him and the last time he would be on a Coco Fest. But um, that Coco Fest also... Um, I had these cards. So the DVDs had a blank card for people to sign their autographs. And I had like four or five of them. And everybody who was at Coco Fest that year autographed all those cards. And so it was everybody, not just your quote unquote celebrities, but anybody who attended, we all signed those cards and there's four or five of them. And then I was then going to give the signed ones away as raffles and whatnot. But I also scanned all those signed cards and I still have them as high res scans. And I think I even turned them into a poster a Coco Fest poster that included, I think, the logo that Ron Delvo had made that year. And I think that's on the Swag Shop site, which I haven't looked at in like 40 years. But I think the Swag Shop site is still there where you can buy like the T-shirts and mugs and stuff. And one of the things there is that poster, which is pretty big. It's like two foot by four foot tall. And and I scanned them really high detailed, like 600 dots per inch or something insane. The highest I could scan with on my consumer-grade technology. But so there there is a poster large size that has multiple copies of Steve Bjork's autograph, not to mention other people who are there, Rick Adams and the Coco crew and the Coco talk people and other attendees. I don't know if Simon, were you there that year that Steve Bjork was there, Simon, or was that a future year? I think it was the year after. Okay. 
So uh, it would be priceless if, if Simon Jonasson's autograph was on there too. But um, so there, so if somebody wants to get Steve Bjork's autograph, it's, it's out there. And I'm not saying this is now as a cash grab. Um, I think I've got the, I'll have to find the digital copies. If you wanted one right away, they're probably there, but I could also find the, the digital copies and I'll share them with you guys. Um, but it's unfortunate, it's unfortunate that it gets to the point where somebody's already gone, where we, we have to like, cherish simple things like that you know um, I, I remember at the show he would not sign any mc10 ah, i know you tried <laughs> to get him to autograph it yeah, um, yeah i forgot about that do it yeah um, i want to mention the chat to uh, doug maston said i have limited contact with him but admires programming skills even to this day i even dissembled zaxon to learn how to write games and, and doug's our guest next week for writing contras for the coco 3 which is a, a rather landmark title as well so uh, thanks for the comment there, Doug, and we'll see you next week. Um, you guys are talking about signatures, and one of the things that I've really enjoyed in my collection here is uh, Nightmare Highway. Nightmare and it, it's both, Highway. Or, or, or <laughs> night, uh, Marty's Nightmare, sorry. Um, but Marty's it has both, Nightmare. <laughs> but it has both Steve <laughs> and, uh, and Marty's uh, signature on it. Oh, so awesome. So awesome. Kind of, uh, oh, man, I, I didn't get Marty. He was... I've got I've got you beat. I've got a I've got a floppy disk saved signed by David Ladd. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh really? Yeah. I thought Marty's was kind of interesting. There, the G is kind of a snake looking. Oh, yeah, yeah he spent a lot of time drawing that, didn't he? <laughs> is that a hammer and sickle, or did he have a stamp? <laughs> Damn card carrying <laughs> communist. Uh. <laughs> I think I think that one of the most funny things was like when I presented a demo at um, it was some uh, what was it uh, assembly Tandy assembly where it was real time vectors real time wireframe vectors on an MC10 and Steve Bjork was none too impressed. <laughs> well, he should have been. Well, I mean, just you, just you muted Simon. I'm not muted now, am I? No, no you're, you're back on, but you were talking there and you were you were muted at the time. For yeah, sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of drunk. <laughs> it's, it's late at night. I'm kind of drunk. It so it's not early morning there is what you're telling us. Yeah, it's like uh, quarter past nine at night. <laughs> so anyway, before I... Before I get back on to showing some of the other, like you know, his interviews and stuff uh, from the magazines, et cetera, I just wanted to kind of go through the panel here. Like I know not everybody here got a chance to meet Stevie. Some of the old timers did, obviously. Um, but a lot of you have played his games or used some of his software. And I was just kind of, if we could kind of like round robin, go through everybody here on the panel and people in the chat can join it as well. What was your favorite Steve VR game or program? It doesn't have to be Coco. If you played some of the Genesis and Game Boy and whatever stuff, you can include those as well. But I was wondering, going around the round table here, what, what was your favorite game? I have a, uh, a very quick uh, comparison of that. So in uh, 90, 92 Fest, I guess, I talked to Steve very briefly. He wasn't very impressed by me, but he did uh, sign. Mark, can you zoom out? Rick's uh, screen is actually showing some uh, manuals and stuff from some of the games. Um, okay, so I can find them. <laughs> he's got he's got the four the four software. Oh, there covers we are. In yeah. there, there uh, I was uh, looking. Ken Riker says Ken Riker says his favorite was the talking skull he had at Coco Fest 2018. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he he. Uh, he sold this little bundle at I think the '92 Fest, 
Okay. And I spoke to him briefly, he signed my thing. I never could catch Marty. We were he was doing his own Marty's nightmare running away as fast as I could chase him. Uh-huh. So I never got that sign. I've got a hardware problem. Exactly. Um <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we could we could actually uh don't 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 tempt me. <laughs> don't tempt me. Oh my goodness. Yeah, because Steve actually digitized his own voice for all the little uh, sound or voice clips that are in this game. Here we go. <laughs> so anyway, besides that, we also have, uh, let's see, um, a, a little bit of a popularity contest. Um, did this change? Come on, change your, change your stroll. Here we go. Go this way. So um, the kids liked Bash and Mine Rescue, as witnessed by the dirty fingerprints on the top. Yeah. And the adults preferred Z89 and Marty's Nightmare, mainly because Marty's Nightmare was a Pac-Man that didn't follow any known Pac-Man patterns, so we could really okay. crush the, the people who thought they knew everything there was to know about a Pac-Man type game. Um, but basically, that's that's my whole Steve story. I, I met him, I talked to him, he didn't think I was very... Uh, <laughs> very capable imagine that um but it was it was fun and did you tell him you were waiting on parts for a project yeah i probably did because at the time <laughs> I, I probably was <laughs> so anyway um yeah marty's nightmare it was fun okay who's next on the panel i don't know are we seeing the same order yeah let's go on to uh, ron ron devoe we didn't talk to you yet and you're, you're actually first in the list here so what, what's okay. your favorite? Well, let me share my screen here. Let me share my screen. There's my favorite right there. I do uh, Spectrum Analyzer. Analyzer. Yeah, what a winner. Yeah. And that's the original semi-graphics version. Yeah. And one of the things he said was what he demoed this with was the um, Main Street Parade um soundtrack so that was the software that was used to demo this to corporate to get it on the market or something like that there's yeah, a and it made a guest appearance on the night rider car didn't it and um and in revenge of the nerds the yep. original revenge of the nerds when they're doing their concert and uh and this was uh his comment um, that he made that I brought to fru- fruition <laughs> the door <laughs> my front door <laughs> And he wouldn't sign, like I say, he wouldn't sign the He wouldn't MC sign 10. the MC ten be- <laughs> no. because it killed the deluxe color computer. That's right. <laughs> and uh, I had noticed a while back that uh, there was there two were different, different title versions. screens. Yeah, some had yeah. graphics, some did not. Yeah, thought that was interesting. Yeah. And um, what else do I have here? Um, I this came up. Um, he was at this uh, in California expo his name is listed in here yeah, and good. then um what else did i have that's about it i have a picture of him on my um since i shared the screen i could probably go to my uh, uh this here do we have this any is, uh, screen uh, sharing was, music to play while we wait here? what it was like uh at the uh, <laughs> rainbow fest 84 I took a bunch of pictures of um, oh. Rainbow Fest with my uh, Yashica camera. We're not and, seeing them yet. Yeah, we're not seeing that right now. We're still seeing nope. the audio spectrum. 
let's see. Maybe stop the share the and is, share again. The screen is paused. It says at the top. Well, why would that be? Uh, stop sharing and reshare. Okay. Yeah. Do I have to do that? Let me clear my trope. Gosh, what would I pick here? Okay. You see it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, this was a table. There was a hard drive here, I think. And um, back in the day, this is 84, and to see a hard drive was cool. Yeah. For sure. And um, especially an external one. Yeah. And this was just looking across while I was watching uh, somebody talk. And I don't know who these guys are, but I just took the picture. <laughs> also, who this are picture. These people? I think uh, that's Dale Puckett on the left. Uh, the, a guy on the right with his back facing us is Lonnie Folk. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Lonnie. And this guy, do you know? Uh, is that Roger Krupski, the guy from Allware? Maybe. Not sure. And Curtis I is thought a they were important. <laughs> I didn't bother him. I just went uh, drive by photo. Uh, naturally, I found this uh, license plate out in the parking lot. Uh, and this, that, that, I just Steve found in the background. That's Steve, yeah. Tim. Yeah, he was giving a talk. Looks like he had a little bit of a fro back then. Well, he yeah, always had a little bit of a fro, didn't he? Yeah. We'll, we'll see that when I show you the color computer interview. Color computer magazine yeah. interview. And this was on sale at the show. You couldn't get these this cheap. I don't know if they had a special shipment or whatever. Oh, and also sweet. seeing this TV is interesting. because That's the uh, the original Tandy uh, color. Yeah. Monitor, huh? yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind having one of those. Uh, this is a buddy that went uh, at the same time I did, and he was at my computer um, uh, you know, club. And actually, this guy that I just showed, he, he's the, uh, his uncle there's, was the- There's um, Lonnie right there on the right, yeah, right? Yeah, Lonnie on the right. Exactly. Yep. I don't know- uh, if that's him also in the picture, but I have a couple. He did have a stash for a little bit, so it could be. What a time capsule this, this is. This was Chicago, and um, I think this is Lonnie talking, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, as you can capsule. see, I wasn't real good with my uh, Electro 35 camera. But, um, yeah, there, there was monitors here. Um, is that the like New another... York Times unit on top of that cocoa there that's plugged into it? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> okay. A dot matrix, matrix printers, 99, 99, Jason, 99. Yeah. They had show yeah. specials. Look yeah. at this 10 meg drive was, uh, gosh, I don't know, 19. It was at least a dollar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was at least a dollar. <laughs> for a dollar. I, I'd <laughs> buy that for a dollar. <laughs> somebody making some, you know, business. These are drives uh, that are opened up on their case, you know, uh, driving closures you could buy. Oh, yeah. Really? yeah. And, you know, this is Marty, I think. No, nope, that's Bob Rosen. Bob Rosen, that's his name. Yeah, uh, I got to meet him, and I, I shook his hand, and you know, looked at his stuff, and bought a couple of things. And this guy, don't recognize him off the top of my head. Is that Cheech or Chong? I can't tell. Yeah. Okay, see what. <laughs> don't know, but um, it's it's advertising ADOS that could be Art Flexer. I don't remember yeah, what Art looks like. But I did use uh, ADOS for sure. That's why I took that picture. <laughs> this machine here is a pt210 teletype and somebody somebody uh put a cocoa in it stuck a cocoa had, in it cool. yeah. inside the case of a teletype yes and and uh at the time i saw that i thought it was unusual because you always hear repacks in pc yeah. cases or yeah. you know in something yeah. else but this is it that's and a cool repack I, I remember um 
Steve Bjork coming over to me next to me looking at this thing and and i was saying is this yours he goes no i wouldn't do anything like that <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't realize who he was until later but um i asked steve when i saw him at the show at the coco fest if uh do you remember this the pt210 and he goes no i said are you sure you were there looking at it and he goes well you remember but I don't at all. <laughs> I said, okay. And I kind of felt bad, but I'm a software guy. I don't it, care. About this. It was like, I knew nothing. I don't know uh, who some of these other. Oh my God. Look at that chick with the freaking scarf thing. She looks like a damn flight attendant. I mean, well, that is, is 84. Like, so. That's yeah. the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so is that like an ascot or something? That was still happening in 86 when I was there too. Yeah. This is my wife. Oh, just as <laughs> and, lovely and today, Ron. Yes, and there's uh, uh, Lonnie again. Lonnie, I got yeah. to talk to him a little bit. And, you know, a lot of the times he was t engaged with people. It was hard to get him to, t to talk to you, you know? Right. Yeah, but, yeah. the um, most talking Bill and I did with him was on an elevator ride. Oh, <laughs> did you tell him about that time you hooked up all those printers and you saved the world by using them, the uh, Coco 3 and OS 9? <laughs> there you go. Steve. 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 Look at that mustache. Yeah. And uh, I what wish a I could see what was on his shirt, or you know, but um, maybe that's the name actually in that picture there. He looks like one of the Guido brothers that would break some knee. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? That's, that's probably why Marty was on. so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was a, a unique picture and something I could contribute to today's thing. And that is uh, that is classic. That yeah. is great. That's golden right there. Yeah, Rob. He's got some guns there and everything. Yeah, go. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, that's me. This that's, is what I would have looked like at the show. This is, was our own computer fest. That was the one you did in the mall, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you right, know how to so party, Ron. Ron brings cocos to the mall. He knows how to party. That's right. So that that shirt that Steve wearing, <laughs> Steve was wearing, was almost a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, right. It reminded me of the, the precursor. Yeah, there, I can. I, I I obviously wasn't. I'm sorry, Jason. I cut you off. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jason. I was just pointing to Ken's Hawaiian shirt. Oh, okay. Never stopped um, me before. There, there was an event that I, I heard about that Steve went to when they were showing off Desert Rider, and he was like, they had a like a real dune buggy type vehicle ATV there at that event, and he was like, he rode in on that or sat on that and posed for. I have event. pictures of that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Remember hearing about that? That's uh. Yeah, he was part of the Color America Users Group is what they renamed it. They were just called the whatever computer club before that. But uh, you'll actually notice they're part of the credits on uh, Desert Rider. If you look, it says Steve Bjork and the Color America Users Group. Oh, neat. So they helped to design it. But uh, I just want to get a couple things in the chat here. Um, Fred Provence says my favorite Steve Bjork game was probably Super Pitfall. I played that game a lot. Beat the game a few times, got a high score up in the millions somewhere. And then 8-Bits in the Basement says, for me, I think Stellar Lifeline I like best. I didn't know Steve did it until he said it on the show, but the three-ball bouncing sample code he wrote for the assembly tutorial taught me loads. And me. of course, that's the tutorial he did for us. So. Um, yeah, I just had a flashback, too, to how we got him on the show, right? So there's that famous misquote where he did that interview, and, and the headline was, my favorite programmer is me, right? And then somebody shared that on Facebook, and it started that conversation started circuit. There it is playing around. Look at that. <laughs> and that so that conversation came back up. And then that's when Steve replied on Facebook saying, yeah, I, I hate that because they misquoted me. And then I remember I, I immediately responded saying, well, um, we would love to have you on the show and give you full control over um, anything you want to say. So nothing can be misquoted. So I immediately tried to jump on that. 
you know, grenade and try to get him on the show. And then at that point in time, he's like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of busy, blah, blah, blah. So, okay, that's the big wash. That's the saying F you without saying F you. And then one time he's in the chat when we're doing the show. And I'm like, oh, my God, Steve Bjork's in the chat. You know, oh, that's so cool. And then I'm like, well, now he's seen the show. He'll never be on the show. Right? <laughs> and, then, and then next thing you know, he comes on the show one day. I'm like, holy shit, Steve Bjork's on the show. And that was just like the beginning of that relationship. And, you know, that whole thing started by somebody reposting that picture on Facebook and trying to establish that opportunity to get that you know to that would be a big get to have somebody like steve bjork on our little show you know yeah and we tried uh, numerous times it just never never panned out and i think at the end you know the last couple of times we tried i think his health like he had trouble with his eyesight and stuff he ended up getting cataract surgery and things and he just didn't feel he was up to doing it and i think he was hoping he was going to get better but obviously that never happened yeah you know and the funny thing is is that the reason why i even found out was that i guess the minute that auction that estate sale went on facebook because i'm not like watching facebook I'm, I'm barely watching Facebook and I'm definitely not watching Coco Facebook, but I got a Antonio Jimenez had texted me and he goes, Hey, do you know anything about Steve Bjork? Because there's his estate auction. Do you know if he's passed or not? And do you have any phone numbers for him? I'm like, no, I don't know anything. So of course I start looking and I see it. And of course, then I call Curtis and I start talking to Curtis. I'm like, dude, what's going on? And Curtis is like, well, we'll start trying to find out. And so when we're all trying to speculate, has he passed away? Did he not pass away? Because nobody had heard from him in a while. He used to be on Discord and then kind of went MIA. Um, you know, there was a lot of speculation, but we, we're not sure. You know, he had mentioned that a lot of things got robbed from storage and maybe this is his storage that's now put on sale. But I couldn't help but think there's no way Steve would let his stuff end up in an estate sale if he had any say in that matter. So I don't know what happened with his health, but obviously something must have went south quickly because the things he had, the source code for The Last Ninja, his original Coco, and he talked about all his cross-development systems and his Model 1, all these things. There's no way he would just let that end up on auction. Um, yeah. So He even stated uh, in, in July of 2021 that he was planning on willing all of his stuff to Glenside. Okay. But obviously whatever happened to his health happened fast enough that he couldn't do it. I know he had mentioned too that he had had cataract surgery because basically he was legally blind at that point. He couldn't okay. see the screen. That's why he didn't show up in Discord because he couldn't see what he was typing. Um, but we'll have to give a big, big thank you to Eric Canales of the Glenside uh, Computer Club because he's the one who ultimately found out what happened. And then he actually created an obituary for him because there was no obituary. He died way back in April. And Yeah, tragic. He died just before our show, our uh, Cocoa Fest. Yeah, and none of us had any idea. Well, Steve, you know, Mr. Bjork was a very private person, and obviously, right there to the end, he didn't even have an obituary. So I'm not. Yeah, and yeah. he didn't, and he didn't like to talk about his health, and he didn't want any health issues he had being, you know, just openly talked about, which you could respect. You know, I can respect yeah. that. Um, I mean, a few of us uh, knew some of it from when he, you know, showed up in the pre-show chats and stuff, and you'd kind of mention, yeah, you know, he's doing a like we were trying to set up the interview, and he was hoping. Uh, because of some of his medical conditions at the time that he, he just didn't have the energy for it. And then, of course, yeah. his eyesight was going, so he couldn't even see the screen to type stuff in or anything. So, On the 13th uh, Coco Talk, when he uh, first started his talk, he said that his voice would uh, run out or get lower as time went on. So yeah. he, he asked, uh, you know, if you could just bear with him. <laughs> so uh, yeah. maybe that but had something to do with I'll just too. you know, I'll just say it again. I am grateful I got to meet him. And the Steve Bjork I got to meet was definitely a kinder, gentler Steve Bjork than maybe the picture of this guy here on the uh, Suzuki or, you know, so. Um, yeah, I think he mailed with time like a lot of us. Yeah, do. yeah. yeah. Um, when was so, that? 
do you think? This one? Yeah. 84. Well, it was published in February 1984, Computer Magazine, so the interview probably would have taken place late 1983. So that was before uh, the Cocoa Fest. The yeah, before you saw him. I took, yeah. Yeah. Because at this point, he's still working at Datasoft, <laughs> you guys, who wasn't doing some of his independent stuff, so. But yeah, this is the famous quad picture here, and these are all yeah. kind of staged. And you, this was with the Color America Users Group, which actually the article mentions, I think, at the bottom here that they just renamed the group as this was being written. Okay. Um, yeah, LACCUG, the LA Color Computer Users Group, is now called the Color America Users Group. And like I said, you can see their credit on on Desert Rider. And he kind of goes through a little bit of his history and stuff here with with Datasoft and the Coco. Um, definitely go read it. It's, oh, this is on the archive under Color Computer Magazine. Uh, just get the February 1984 issue. You can, you can go through. I'm not going to read the whole thing here, obviously. Um, but it's a, a pretty good one. And he, I mean, here you can see this dash, 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 where they cut the word out that he said he actually did say on the interview. And they kind of shortened it to that. Um, but yeah, it gives some details on on programming and some of the games he wrote. And it's... Uh, it's a good. It's a good article. I mean, he was not happy with this quote. This is the one that he, he yeah. said he'd never lived down. Yeah, click, click, and it wasn't quite what he said, according to him. Right. So yeah, and um, I remember before we ever met him and before he ever came on the show, you had found some other archive of some interviews he did where he was talking about the light pen. And I remember yeah, for the Model there, One, there was some. There was one night where I think it was you and me and Nick Morenis, and we're doing like a dramatic reading of this. They were <laughs> talking about the light pen, and it was hysterical at the time. I had never met the guy or anything, but uh, it was an interesting article. And um, yeah, he's just talking about how yeah, I just you know, I he learned he learned he, in order for him to learn software, he had to learn ho- hardware. And back in the early days of computers, you know, not not a lot of people knew things. So you, there was a lot of figuring stuff out, but. He made a light pen. He'd made the uh, high-res joystick interface. So, you know, he wasn't, he was no stranger to the soldering iron and, 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 and making stuff, hardware stuff too. And obviously in order to do all the games, you have to understand the hardware pretty well. Cause he did a lot of stuff with white noise generation, like those explosions and Zaxxon and stuff like that. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, the things he did were just, again, there was, there were certain games, you know, back in the competitive days of eight bit system, everybody's like, well, mine's bigger than yours. My, my Commodore's better than your Atari. My Atari's better than your Apple. There were certain games where you could show your douchebag friends on your Cocoa and say, well, all of you guys can suck it. Cause look at this, I've got Zaxxon, <laughs> you know? So, um, there were certain, there were certain titles that made you proud of your color computer in public. You were always proud in private. You were a closet, you know? coconut but you could like do like rondo vote take this to a mall and show it to people and say so look on look at this bitches we got zaxxon right so um yeah this great uh shot here this is actually from one of the people that did buy stuff at steve's uh, estate sale uh because there was multiple people the estate sale lasted from a thursday to a saturday and uh i think i noticed it the sunday night because people were already starting to post stuff uh, but this is some of the stuff that he. I don't think he's put this part up to auction yet, or maybe he did. I missed it. But uh, the whole I, thing I all the seems like such a morbid vulture fest. When you're... Yeah, and it, it is. I mean, because especially I was trying to get arrangements done between Michael Furman and and myself and one of the guys that had some of the discs. You know, could we at least copy some of the the source code discs? You know, like you can sell them archive for whatever them. you want. I mean, it's a valuable yeah. thing. You know, being the originals from him, but we want to try to archive it for a thing. And he agreed to it, and the next day it was up on eBay. So. Obviously, he was just milking me for you know details or something. But anyway, he was very active in the uh, the Color America Users Group, and they were active with him, like I mentioned with Desert Rider. So this is actually from the 1987 uh, 
Cocoa County Fair that was ran there, and he actually had these in his possession. Uh, so these are just some of the you know the first, second, and third place uh, ribbons that he was giving out. I'm not sure exactly what they were judging. It was a software hardware. So anybody who says he's overrated, suck it. Because look at this, he's a blue ribbon winner. All of you guys can <laughs> suck it. All right, he's got multiple ribbons. Suck it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I, I wish I wish things that especially with the, I wish we'd known first of all that it had happened back in April yes. or that he was getting that yeah. bad. And I wish that his final wishes that he published in July 2021 that made it to estate lawyers, whatever, so that giving stuff to Glenside, which was his plan, would have actually happened too. Now it's a free for all. I will mention one of the people that bought some of the lots who picked up his uh, Cocoa One repackage into a Model 3 case is planning on taking that computer to the SoCal uh, Gaming Expo in Southern California. And he's okay. actually going to have it as a display. So at least you can go see it. Okay. Cool. So if anybody's Sorry, in the said, uh, the LA area, that, that's happening in April, I think. On that repack, um, the monitor came from a, uh, um, well, it wasn't like a, a black and white TV. It was a, uh, um, what do you call it, the data terminal. And he made it so that he, he could send, a, I think it was hooked up to the serial port to, to make a, to do his, um, you know, his programming and stuff. Hey, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just found the link to that poster with all the autographs that do include okay, Steve, Steve York. No, I don't have to share it. I just posted it in the live chat on. Um, oh, okay. I posted it on uh, YouTube. I don't know if that's going to make its way everywhere, but um, I mean, we only we'll put make it, it to Facebook. But it, uh, I'll I put it in the chat, I guess, so that way you guys can also put it in the restream chat. Um, I posted yeah, it about a half hour ago, actually. The the poster um, that where I have all the high res scans of the signatures, including Ron Delvaux's um, Cocoa Fest logo. I don't know if they chose his his artwork that year or not, but so that's there. Um, it's the 2018 autographs. Um, eight there's an eight inch by twelve inch, and then I think there's a bigger size too on that poster. Um, there is a 24 by 36, so basically two feet by three feet poster. And I tried to scan them with as much detail as possible. So if you want to see a bunch of autographs from the 2018 Cocoa Fest, including Steve Bjork's, it's a nice little poster keepsake thingy. And if anybody wants me to say, I'm not trying, again, I'm not trying to do this as a cash grab and take advantage of someone's passing, just saying it's there if you want that as a keepsake. But if anybody wants a digital copy, you can just email me or whatever, and I will try to find a digital file and send it to you at no cost. Do you remember what the covers look like on those two CDs? Uh, was it CDs that you... The DVDs? Um, the DVDs? I think it was a variation of the Coco Talk guy with one of them had blue stripes in the background and one of them had green stripes in the background. Honestly, I don't remember. I've got some physical copies somewhere. I thought um, maybe on the back of one was some of those signatures. No, the back of it was just blank. It was just a blank card. It just said Coco Talk. And then I think there was some fine print on the bottom that says, you know, commemorating whatever year Coco Fest. So this is definitely a dated time capsule thing. Um, and I will also, that interview that we did with him, that was an exclusive episode that was only available through that DVD that you purchased. I will post that and give the links to you guys on that. Um, okay. Yeah, we can share it on the. On the one next of the event. things that I that I did now, I I I created a um, which I haven't used yet. I actually created a separate Coco Talk channel on YouTube that I plan on putting permanent archives of everything on from the entire history 
going back to the early interviews, to some of the live marathons and all the stuff that led up to Coco Talk and then a lot of other behind the scenes footage and all kinds of stuff. So I have everything archived and organized and I do plan on making a channel just dedicated to the life cycle of Coco Talk. In there, I will also put that video that was never publicly released, that special um, video that the the episode we did um, celebrating Coco Fest before Steve came to that Coco Fest. On the, so I'll post that as well. DVD. It's on the DVD. Yeah. If you buy the right. best of volume one and two, there's part one and part two. It's like a two hour show. So it's on the DVD for those who have it. But again, again, I'm not trying to turn this into a, a way to exploit and extort people. Um, just more of FYI, there's content out there that I will make available. Cool. Um, I've got some quotes here. I'm just going to start scattering in throughout there. Either we're either on Discord or on Facebook too from uh, people that you know, aren't on the show. Um, I'll read three right now. Uh, from Mr. Dave 609, Steve Bjork loved the 6809 CPU, which is a good thing because he sure programmed a lot of games on it. Right from the start of Coco Gaming, I can remember seeing the dancing megabugs on the Radio Shack Coco's on display. Later on, I followed his assembly tutorials, and he even gave me some personal pointers on how to get my ship scrolling through deep space. It's sad we lost him so soon. He certainly won't be forgotten. And I think I'll intermix inter these with going through the panel here. So I think Mark, actually, everybody shifted around again. Uh, Mark Oberholzer, um, do you have a particular favorite game that you've tried that Steve wrote? Well, 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 um, I'm not that much of a gamer, unfortunately. Um, so, um, but I'm, and all the time spent talking with him and stuff and seeing all the various games he's done, it's like, wow, he uh, definitely has. Uh, tackled a lot of different genres done a very good job and especially hearing some time like that stuff on it's like wow he's an uber programmer it's like you got to respect that as steve Jobs said winner ship and yeah. uh, steve did steve bjork did so uh i was just i was just impressed to meet him actually um um at the coco fest in 2018 and then also uh he would hang out on discord and the voice channels and uh yeah, it's like you see all the hype, you know, especially the the misquote in the magazine about the best he's the best programmer. And it's like, yeah, that would that would kind of irritate me to know that, yeah, I'm saying, you know, the best programmer is going to be me and, you know, my best programmer is going to be me in the future as they get better and more knowledgeable. So he really was, uh, and again, he's probably mellowed with age, but he is much more humble from all the write-ups I've seen of him. So it was really nice getting to know the real him. So, yeah, anyway. I agree. Um, since I'm next on the I box, did play on the a bit. Oh, you did play Rampage. Okay, I did play uh, Rampage. I did play Rampage a little bit in uh, uh, at VCF West in 2019. So I did like that. It was cool. Okay. Um, since I'm next on the boxes here, I'll, I'll I'll do that. And then I'll read another one, and then we'll continue on um, from the people that have put it in, in Facebook and on Discord. Um, my favorite. That's a tough one because uh, there's a couple of them that I, I really really enjoyed. Um, Super Pitfall, um, just because of such an expansive, large game, you, like, you, you keep yourself occupied for hours. Um, Stellar Lifeline, because I like the original concept of it. Uh, Zaxxon, obviously, and Z89, the sequel. Um, yeah, that's probably my favorites. I mean, I, I do like Rampage, but it's it's not a genre I play that often. Though I did like, appreciate the fact it supported three simultaneous players. So that would be my picks. Um, now one little quote here, and we'll get to Ken. Uh, so Salvador Garcia said, I'm grateful for the semi-language videos that Steve created for the show just a few years ago. That's the ones that are on the Cocoa Talk 
uh, section that Steve will be creating a separate channel for. So uh, thanks for letting us know that. Ken Waters, uh, what is your favorite? Uh, and I think did you get you got a chance to interact with Steve on here no. a little bit. Um, it, last time he was around was uh, just shortly before I started getting really involved with everything. So I unfortunately never did get to meet him, but. Probably my favorite game by him was one of the very first Coco games I ever owned. When I got my very first Coco 2, I got it with Stellar Lifeline. And I played the crap out of that, and I still play it. I've got like four copies of it now on cartridge. So Cool. Um, uh, next. Real quick, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's, uh, had a, um, this, this thought will go away. We talked about how he the pitfall... Our Super Pitfall was one of the first games that actually used the music of the speech sound cartridge. But actually, the first one that he did as well was Ghana Buana. Ghana Buana also had music. It wasn't multi-voice music, but if you had the speech sound pack, it did have that opening music. And as a matter of fact, I think historically speaking, that was probably the first game commercially released that actually used the music of the speech sound cartridge was Ghana Buana. And I actually enjoy that game. Every game you guys have mentioned, none of them suck, but Ghana Buana is kind of unique in the sense that, you know, it kind of reminded me of Congo Bongo and it was just a neat game. It was different than most games of that time. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, next one I'll read from the, the, the text ones from Damon Beals. He says, I won't be able to join the show today, but I do want to say, like others, sad to hear about the passing of Steve. Megabug was one of the first games we had on the Coco, and I played it for hours. If you saw a game that had his name on it, you knew it was going to be a fun game and worth the money I worked hard for. Sad the Coco community did not find out about his passing sooner. And then, Steve, what is your favorite, you think? It's hard to have a favorite. I mean, Zaxxon was or top three or something like I had to do um, too. <laughs> um, I would have to say Ganabuana, Zaxxon, and um, not Arkanoid's a great game, but it's just not my game. I'm not into Pong, no matter what you do to it, or you know, Breakout. Um, so I would say that's probably it. I would say, oh, Pitfall, uh, Super Pit. Or Pitfall Super 2. Pitfall or Pitfall or no, 2? Pit, pit, okay, Pitfall 2, Zaxxon, and Ghanabuana would be my three favorites. Okay. Next one, uh, this is from Mark Siegel that he posted earlier into the Discord. I'm very sad to hear a lot about the loss of Steve Bjork. I introduced the Coco to him, and then a sh short time later, hired him to write software for the machine at Datasoft. Then after he left, I gave him Radio Shack projects to do. So we worked together for many years. That ended when he could not complete a project assignment, and for that, I am sad. Nevertheless, he was a very talented individual and someone who will be remembered. Being remembered for something you did in life is the greatest afterlife you can attain. Thank you, Steve. And of course, he's referring to The Last Ninja, which, you know, pummeled a couple of Cocoa programmers with ridiculous timelines. Uh, so next up, Bob Emery, what what would your favorite be? And then, like I said, these don't have to be games. If you guys use Bjork blocks to design graphics or something like that, or color computer arts, you can include stuff like that as well. All right, well... Um... Basically, color computer one is my audio coming through, first of all. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, basically, when I first got my color computer, I got uh, Zaxxon on cassette. So, obviously, that was my number one favorite. That's why I've got it playing on my Coco one right here. But uh, Zaxxon and uh, Ganabuana, many, many, many hours. And then when I did get a Coco 3, it was... I played a lot of Rampage in the arcade, so I love that cartridge. I would say that's still one of my favorite Coco 3 games today. 
Okay. Uh, next one from the text chat from Torsten Sido. Uh, anyway, de mortulis nihil nisi bin. I have no idea what that means. It's probably Latin or something. He said, Steve Bjork was one of the guys who inspired many of us and made the Coco special until today. I would say continuing to. Uh, and I'm glad he was not an untouchable superhero, but grounded himself by showing strength and weaknesses like all human beings share. So I thought that was rather well put. Uh, Brian Weasler. Um, probably my favorite games uh, is a common one you guys have been mentioning. That's Zaxxon, only because I played a lot of it in the arcade as well. So that's probably the one that I remember the most um, uh, playing. And as far as any memories of him, I guess I never really had a lot of contact with him other than through the Discord. Um, but I do remember driving back from one of the first Coco Fests that I went to. Um, it wasn't one that he attended. It was, uh, I think, maybe the year after that. And there was a whole bunch of us on Discord just chatting and everything. And I think it was a late night drive for me. I want to say it was like 1230 at night. And uh, most of you had uh, hopped off. And uh, it was basically just Steve and I. And I think we talked for like a half an hour. And I don't remember what we talked about. It was just general conversation and stuff like that. And like a lot of you have said, um, you know, he was just uh, courteous with his time. And and it was just a nice little pleasant conversation. So that's probably the, the main memories that I have of him. Okay. Next one from the text chat from Christopher Perrault. Uh, I never got to know Steve, but I grew up on his games. I didn't realize he was part of the early homebrew club. Really sad milestone for all of us. Um, Frederick, uh, you, you probably haven't played too much Coco stuff yet. So I don't no, know if you have well, a favorite one or even a favorite from the I, ones I you've seen. I have a but... favorite one from, uh, from when I was young. It was Zaxxon, and I started okay. to play a bit Zaxxon on a Coco because I got my hands on a few now. Um but what I do have a small story to say during COVID when there was a lockdown, I was bored out of my mind and I needed to do something. And I remembered that in my college years, when I learned electronics, we uh, programmed on the 6809 and I started to rewatch some, how to program again in assembler. And I came across uh, Steve's um, assembly programming uh, tutorial, I believe. Was it, was it then or was it a bit after that? And no, that was, yeah, I would have been yeah. out around that time. Okay. And I remember because I just searched through it again and I looked, hey, I, I did watch all of these. And um, I, I was really mesmerized by the way he was teaching. And I think somebody mentioned in the panel that was this course, you know, targeted at me directly? I, I kind of feel like in a way it was because I was yeah. dabbling in writing in basic and he wanted to help me. Mm -hmm. And so he did it for the show, but I also feel that he was doing it to help me as well. And I know if I watch it again now, I'm probably going to cry again too, but um, to hear it, to hear his voice again, but um, yeah, no, he did. It was very gracious. And of course there was a little bit of controversy about one of the episodes where he talked about the arithmetic shift left. And then that, was the shot heard around the world and you know all of the um the dancing dragons decided to, to huff and puff uh, around that one um so uh it wasn't without a little bit of um let's just say controversy over one of the things he did but um it was well presented it was really good informative um and then of course we did have uh, a little bit later um uh, George Jansen did something that was a little bit more hands on and actually doing code this was more about what the processor was and what the registers were and giving you some examples 
but it was really good. And um, and they they were kind of segments on the show. And then I think I, I, I I'm not not nearly as talented as Jason Reichard, but I think I did cut them out and edit them into just standalone videos where you could watch just that segment. And I put it in a playlist um, on that assembly series. And uh, I think he even joked at one point in time that this would be something that Steve Steve being me could use to uh, cash in on after he's gone or something like that. He, he kind of joked about that, but um, uh, no, I'm glad he did it, you know? And I think one of the things that we've been fortunate to do on this show is to capture history. You know, another kind of heartbreaking one was we got to interview Dale Lear who did double back and all these other cool games for the Coco. And then he passed a year or two after that. So I think it's really important to try to capture this history and, and archive these conversations and these stories because they will live on past yeah. all of us. You know, the Coco's 40 years old. Um, there, there are some of us who, you know, are in you know, the other thing too, just to be more cliche, but tr- treasure the people in your lives you know those relationships because you never know who who who's going to be here today or who's going to be here tomorrow and whatever petty grievances you may have you know life is more important than that and 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 just be happy for the people who are in your lives now you know because you you take those things for granted so i'm i'm gonna cry again but yeah i am so grateful that he was part of our lives for the time that he was you know yeah, I agree. All of you talk, and it really makes me want to. Uh, I would have liked to have known him. He's good people, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, definitely, if you if you listen to those Coco uh, coordinated conference episodes that uh, hopefully Tim will be hosting a bit later on, uh, Steve's active in every single one of them. You'll get a lot of backstories and stuff here. So it's almost that's about the closest thing to a full interview we have. Okay. Um, aside from you know bits we had on our show as well. Uh, a good place is episode 13. That was uh, Steve's first episode. And there's a lot of good anecdotes there that I don't know if I had seen that one originally, but uh, I did recognize a lot of the anecdotes in it. So I think they were repeated a few times, but it's a great place to start. Yeah. One last one from the text uh, from Jose Riz. He said he was an innovator, nice guy too. Met him at a Cocoa Fest a few years ago. Rest in peace. Condolences to his family. Uh, now we got Sloopy, so another newer to the Coco person, and he is a bit of a game player because he's uh, one of the head guys of our game on Challenge live. Um, you've had a chance to play some Steve York games. I don't know if you've tried them all yet, but uh, what what has been your favorites there, Sloopy? Honestly, I've not actually played all his games. I've played a good number of them, and they definitely uh, run the gamut of uh, of the genres of games and such, and. Picking one is not an easy task because he set the bar pretty high um, for quality games with excellent gameplay. Because obviously the, the the graphics on the systems back then were not like what we have today. So you had to have your games much more uh, reliant on the actual gameplay and the mechanics and such. And he definitely seemed to be someone who understood that and really made the Coco shine with what it had to offer. Um, I can't really pin down one, two uh, games as my quote-unquote favorite, but I do know that I go back and play Stellar Lifeline quite a bit, and I have played the, um, the, the, uh, the Zaxxon quite a bit. Um, 
Uh, unfortunately, I never got to meet the man himself in uh, person, uh, but I was able to uh, interact and chat with him uh, several times in the Discord. And I must say that it was a uh, experience that I will treasure, uh, especially chatting with him in the uh, voice chat. Yeah, agreed. Okay, well, that's all the text ones I had. So I'll keep an eye on the chat if anybody else uh, mentioned some other ones there too. But uh, next on the list, oh, they keep moving around to me here. So I guess, Jason, you're next. Ooh. Okay, I'm next. Oh, yes, I'm next. Exciting. Uh, you know, again, with... with and I, I, I highly doubt I've played every Steve Bjork game on the color computer. Um, unlike I'm sure Curtis has, I'm sure they're all indexed on your site, right? Uh, I don't know if I have but, them all up there yet. <laughs> I'm not even sure how many there are, but um, break the internet if you pull them all up on one page. <laughs> I, but I, I'd have to say, I can't pick one either, but. You know, some of my favorites, especially from back in the day, you know, childhood memories of playing them, you know, you have, you have, um, you have me bumping that, uh, you have, uh, you have like Desert Rider, I, that, that, like we brought that up earlier, that, I still enjoy that game, that, that's, 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 a, that's a fun one, um, and uh, everyone says Zaxxon, and I'm pretty sure, from my understanding, Steve didn't want to be known as the guy who wrote Zaxxon. The guy, as many the guy who made Zaxxon. As many times as that was referenced in jest, I, I there there's so much more of that. Not that it's it, it is a great game, and I love it. That's a great version for the color computer. And uh, last, but you know, not not least, I wouldn't say last. I can't really say in any order, but I always enjoyed. Ghana Bawana. I even have one right here. I, I have a it's actually still sealed but with the, the comic book and everything in it. Yeah. And uh, it, it it's fun. It's a little hard but it, it makes great use of the speech sound pack. You're right. The the natives say Uga when you shoot them. Yeah they say Uga because I remember having a conversation <laughs> with 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 uh, with Mr. Bjork on discord or I, i'm pretty sure it was discord it, it's something it, you know as many of the conversations as we we all had with steve it, the, the line starts to blur what did that happen on the show or did that happen on discord yeah i right? don't remember yeah exactly but one of the things was like oh what does the guy say when you when you get him with the air well he says ooga and i added a word to it and he's like no it just says ooga i'm like okay he's like so be clear but he was very clear he's, like, he's right that's that's all the guy says is ooga when you when you shoot him with the arrow but um... now the comic book that came with that, I think, was done by the artist who was doing the Indiana Jones comic books for Marvel at the time, too. So it's a famous yeah, it was a Marvel comics artist. that Yeah. Just, uh, Mark. Actually, that too. Mark, if if you're ready, we actually do have a clip about Ghana Buana. Oh, yes, we can. Is this, are oh, we, are okay. we ready? I feel I feel a song coming on. The creator of Ghana Bawana, Steve Bjork, is with us. Hello, Steve. Hey, everybody. Thank you for a great game. Thank you for many great games. So we had an incredibly great game to play this week. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro. Ghana Bawana. <laughs> and a bearded jaw. Ghana Bawana. Gonna wanna, gonna wanna. 
Ganabana, Ganabana. Buka Toruga, let's no take no chance. Grab all the big arrows, shoot them in the pants. Ganabana, Ganabana. Steve Bjork is here. This was Steve's game. Were you in, were you insulted or offended in any way? <laughs> the only thought I had is when we we're developing this game, I never thought it would come to this. <laughs> but one comment I bring up was all that beautiful artwork that you saw. Mm -hmm. That was done by the same guy that did the Indiana Jones comic book. Ah, oh, yes, wow. for Marvel Comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tandy was very. The, I, I remember Mark Siegel goes, we got him. I got guy who we got the guy that did, um, uh, you know, the Indiana Jones comic book for Marvel. Wow. I think it was Marvel. And, oh, it, I, was there a problem game? Oh, we just had to pay him. So, yeah, so what'd you guys think of the game? Keeping him on the authors here. <laughs> I, <laughs> was any of the original code of Zaxxon reused in this? Oh, and God, yes. <laughs> okay, and then another question was, was Congo Bongo an inspiration for this game? We had to get all the concepts done so we could get the comic book done. But yes, I would say that uh, as much as Zaxxon was an inspiration for Congo Bongo, it was the same thing. It's that, um, um, you know, the it's just that they were taking their engine, their stuff, and they put it in a new format. And we kind of did a similar thing. Similar, but not exact. By the way, this game did show up in an arcade cabinet. Really? Yep. Uh, the Color Computer Expo back in, I think it was 87. Um, I took my Defender's machine and suck a cocoa inside of it and modified it to go to the monitor. And so you got to play it in, our, uh, in an arcade machine at the Expo. Wow. Oh, that's cool. And did you have the speech sound pack in there too for the full sound effect? Yep. I mean, it's the cocoa fit very nicely in the bottom of the case. Does anybody have any feedback on playing the game this week? I just remember sucking at it back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say probably the number one complaint. It's too hard. <laughs> I think one of the best compliments that I got was from Marty Goodman where he said that in the design of my games, I try and make it so that A... The difficulty level builds slowly based on your skill. And two, that when you do die, I back off on the difficulty level. So it gives you a chance to get going again. Ah, bittersweet, bittersweet. Fond memory and unfortunate circumstances in which to share that memory. It yeah. really is. I mean, and just, you know, going over all these clips and things, it's, you know, I know when I edit my own videos, I, you know, especially when I'm going to events and stuff, I kind of at, at a point relive some of that, even though some of these programs I weren't on, but it, I wasn't on. But uh, yeah, it was it's it's 
Um, it is bittersweet to, well, to hear, the, to hear from the, him again. The sweet part was seeing Nick Marota and that golden locks of hair that he had. The Fabio, <laughs> the Fabio, and and speaking of hair, what how, what the hell is up with me with my bald ass and that thing? That's that that um, you called that your David Ladd haircut. Oh, in that particular ooh, episode. Yeah, yes. so, yeah, I was trying to I was trying to get third place in the David Ladd yeah. contest that he came in fourth place to. Yeah, um, also those ribbons we showed earlier before. Yeah. I now I do have one complaint though, Ron Delvaux, you keep blocking. A uh, handsome guy behind you there in your virtual wallpaper there. Who is that guy behind you that you keep cutting off? Myself. Okay. <laughs> All right. Also, I mentioned in the chat here, uh, Paul Thayer's joined the chat, and uh, he said uh, Bonagana was his favorite as well. So he doesn't know a lot of his games, honestly. But that that seems to be a rather popular one to pick from. I think so, I oh, it's got a catchy sunglasses. tune with it now. I think I wore sunglasses in that particular video to uh, <laughs> keep from watching the nasty video i was watching you did have sunglasses else. yes i yes. I, <laughs> I always remember that the uh samuel games was a, was one of rondovo's favorite favorite <laughs> <laughs> always had something Gross. positive to say well uh, you know he's very talented but just not in the way that i liked <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, we say that a lot about stevie too uh-huh except that they don't even use the word talented um speaking of talented brian schubering the music man has joined the show all the way from sunny chicago suburb area how you doing there brian schubering uh still muted does he still come on with that annoying voice changer thing don't, don't remind him voice thing i'm cool <laughs> <laughs> Is oh, Brian live from the nothing. kitchen? That looks like kitchen cabinets behind him. Yeah. Well, sunglasses aren't that bad then, are they? <laughs> but while Brian's working out his audio yeah. thing here, uh, we'll continue like your, down the panel. I like your play uh, school, my first headset that he's got there, too. Well, that's, well, that's, that's <laughs> at least he won't lose him in the dark. Yeah, right. um, Mark Bosley, <laughs> how about you? Mark Bosley. By the way, I have the Gimes episode of Guanabuana queued up if anyone wants to hear it. Oh, the full so, version. The full version. Uh, but as far as a Steve Bjork game, um, I mean, on Zaxxon, I could find level two. <laughs> <laughs> level two, I is could... that when you're shooting the spaceships in outer space, or is it the second island where you have to go up and down through the laser shields? Well, I could get to the part of uh, shooting the uh, ships in space. Okay. That's oh, so between, level one and a half. That's between level one and a half. <laughs> okay. Again, this, that this from our resident expert on level one of every game. Mm-hmm. I think my cholesterol is going up because somebody's a little salty today. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you come from? Uh, okay. Brian Schubring, you got your audio things fixed? Can you hear me? Yes, yes we, we can hear can. you. And unfortunately, hey, we can see you too. Uh, Yes, I've been I've been around. I've been just taking care of life things and all that. So, well, since we just introduced you because you joined the panel, do you want to go next, and then we'll come back to David Ladd and, and Nick and the rest as to what uh, your favorite sure. Steve Bjork you know, program is? I remember meeting Steve at one of the real early Coco Fest way back in the day in the nineties. I think. Yeah, he's had a few of them in the nineties. I remember. Yeah, I, I, I remember that. Um, I think Zaxxon was the best one uh, that I like to play that i'm not a big gamer but you know that was one of the more fun ones so, okay yeah cool. i i've had some memories of uh steve i didn't really get involved a whole lot with him but uh he's always been uh very knowledgeable of uh, what he does didn't he make some kind of an audio thing or was going to make it and didn't 
did that intrigue you at all? Oh, that was the audio spectrum analyzer? No, after that. Um, he, he had mentioned um, the DAC and wanting to have something that he would put together. That was in the Oh, I can't recall. I remember that there, he wanted to do a repatch of uh, th that for the Coco 3 because it only worked on the Coco 1 and Coco 2, the audio spectrum analyzer, properly. I know there is a patch now for the 3, but... Okay. How about Mr. David Ladd? Ooh. Thank Hello. God he didn't write Predator, right? Um. Well, yeah, because... Yeah, Steve would have definitely heard heard that comment from me. But um well let's see here. I had several. Um so on the Coco one and two, Guanabuana and Zaxxon. Um on the and uh Coco three, it would have been super pitfall. Um and the other stuff that I was appreciative of Steve was his times that he spent talking with me in Discord on assembly and his hot hacker stuff. Um, Coco Fest 2018, when he gave me my first SSD, he was very adamant about making sure I upgrade to SSDs. <laughs> um, and and we sat down and chatted about stuff then and it it um he 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 made me feel very welcome and and he was always nice to me that was you know won't be a hard person to replace yeah agreed uh nick morantes you actually worked with him kind of uh, through gamepoint software and you started selling your software in the states uh, which also involved Pete Ellison, which was at the time his brother-in-law. Um, so that's right. Yeah. No. Um, so, go ahead. Yep. Go Sorry. What were you saying? I, I was just going to say you you've got a couple of angles here, like you know maybe some favorite Steve programs or games, but also you actually got to talk to him, and you actually have, a, have some recordings of conversations. Unfortunately, the audio is pretty bad in them, so we're going to have to try really try to clean them up before we ever try to play them in public, but. Um, you actually had some phone conversations uh, with mostly with Pete, you know, setting up the stuff with GamePoint software. But you also got to talk to Steve for an extended period of time on the first one, and you guys got to chat about the cocoa market in general and all kinds of things. So you have a couple of angles to approach uh, of, of memories with Steve. Well, basically, Steve. Uh, even before I got to talk to him, Steve, I um, what is what I classify as a professional commercial game developer for the coco i thought he he was the standout he was the he was the rock star game developer for the coco back in the day he would his name would appear in um you know um, rainbows his games all had his name on it and you and you knew when you saw his name on it that the game would be a polished game it would be very well done now the people who know me know that i'm I'm pretty critical of a lot of Coco 2 games. You know, I sort of am pretty fussy and think, oh, that that doesn't look good. That that graphics no, are you? <laughs> and all that. Yeah, yeah. They are surprising as as I know. But Steve had polish. He he did he he was he was a professional. He knew how to develop uh software for a large company. He worked within the uh 
the requirements needed for the end product. In other words, writing a game to fit into a, a, a game cartridge where you have limitations on how much uh, uh, memory space you can make it. He was able to do everything, you know, on, on uh, a ROM cart. He wrote to deadlines. He knew that in order to produce software rapidly for the commercial market that was being demanded by Radio Shack or even Datasoft before that, he knew that the best thing was to develop libraries to uh, reuse bits of code that he had developed in previous games um, so that, again, he ended up with a, a, a very rapid development and very professional. You could always tell a Steve York game because it did a lot of them did have uh, similar sound effects and, and uh, the style of uh, the presentation, like the title pages and all that, were common because... And some people would say, oh, he doesn't really do anything that's really, really groundbreaking. Well, he's, th that's just it. He wasn't really a person who would just sit there and just spend years on trying to make a brilliant, brilliant program. He knew he had you know, a, a, um, two, a month or two or three or whatever, and he had to develop a product. He had to supply a product, and he knew how to work to that deadline and he knew how to make it very professional. So his game stood out. And I, even me back in the day, who was, even though I'd never met him and everything by that time, he was the rock star of the Coco um, programming world. Um, and then eventually for me, where you were saying I, I spoke to him on the phone, I uh, my own software um, was starting to be distributed by Game Point software by the end of the 80s. And uh, that was run by Peter Ellison, who was, as you said, it, it, that at the time was Steve York's brother-in-law. So uh, with no internet back in the day, the only way to communicate with uh, Game Point software was by phone call. And uh, he would ring me, luckily, because it would have been very expensive for, for <laughs> me to dial the US uh, at that time. We're talking... Uh, roughly 1988, and the first time he rang me, uh, Pete Ellison, to talk to me about, you know, business, let's say, um, he also had Steve York, and luckily, I I actually had a record, uh, the ability to record a phone conversation, and I did actually record that whole phone conversation, and uh, yeah, that was, that was when I first, uh, uh, in quotes, met Steve York, and we, we spoke for about half an hour. I mean, I don't know how much the phone bill cost, but uh, Peter was paying. And, uh, yeah, that's where I met. I got to meet the uh, Coco rock star. And even to this day, he's still, well, up till his last days, he, he still was really the Coco rock star. Um, yeah, so it was a, a sad loss, but uh, life happens, I guess. And do you have a favourite? game or two from him or i can't i i i um i wouldn't call it a favorite as such i thought all his games were good you know but again I, i'm a stickler for uh, the presentation and the and the quality and everything from you know clowns and balloons to zaxon were in my opinion were very good quality he he had a very good uh, attention to detail um 
in all these games. If I was to say which one do I think is the most visually impressive, maybe it, for back in the Coco one and two ones, uh, Zaxxon, obviously. It's it's the one that stands out in everyone's minds because of the 3D and all that. But all his games were really good quality. Everything from clowns and balloons and popcorns and everything. One, one thing I will say, though, that back in the early days before when I started off as a model TRS-80 Model 1 programmer and I was switching off off that to go to a colour computer, uh, well, to, a, to another colour machine, um, I looked at the colour computer first, being a Tandy guy, I thought the, that was the obvious move, uh, but I, I didn't really like the colour computer because, well, over here we didn't have artefact colours. So all these games that used P-Mode 4, were terrible. They looked terrible colour-wise. So I wasn't impressed. Zaxxon and all those were the most impressive and, and Donkey Kings and all that, but they looked awful because of the lack of artefact colours. So that did impress me, and I was veering away from the colour computer until I saw Spectrum Analyzer by Steve York, the, uh, the cartridge, and I saw eight colours, black background. I said, hang on a second. So the colour computer can do colour reasonably high-res uh, graphics. Black border too, Nick. Yeah, black border too. So seeing that cartridge, um, I thought, well, yeah, Steve York as well. It's it's surprising. And that got me interested in the colour computer again. And that's why I've, uh, of all the programs I've written, um, I've never done a P-Mode 4 black and white game because... I always wanted to try get color into the game, and uh, when I did my first color computer game was a semi graphics game, Neutroid. You know, one of the best programs ever created, as you know, Curtis. Um, oh, I just shuddered. <laughs> we couldn't go one show without Neutroid, could we? That's right. I got it in. Um, so that was my first Coco game, and it did use semi graphics, and it it's and it's seeing. Um, the spectrum analyzer is what convinced me to go to the color computer after all. I mean, if it wasn't for that, I would have probably looked at getting, I don't know, Commodore 64 or, or some of those lesser machines, you know? So, <laughs> uh, uh, Nick, Nick, maybe you kind of already answered the question by what you were just sharing with us there, but um, as a yes, Neutroid really is one of the best games. <laughs> I agree. No, no, Can somebody mute him already? No, and, and maybe maybe it's Spectrum Analyzer, or maybe it's Zaxxon. But um, was there anything that you saw from Steve Bjork as a as a programmer yourself that like wow? And you you scratching your head trying to figure out how did he do that? How did he pull that off? Was there anything that really jumped well, out at you that you remember? Well, yeah, well, one of the main thing with all his programs is he did do. Um, the, the the sound effects didn't um, pause the um, the graphics. You know, it, it flowed. The, the graphics flowed smoothly, and yet it did have some fairly good sound effects, which were more than just a beep and all that, which were a lot of the Coco games were doing back then. Um, he did actually uh, multitask the graphics and the sound professionally. You know, you'd almost think the Coco did have a sound chip, but you know, you could see. From that point, he uh, he knew what he was doing when when he was programming. The 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 frame rate of his games were all consistent, so he knew how to how to how to time it with the vertical syncs correctly. Uh, it was just like I said, it's the polish of all his games. 
And Zaxxon stood out because of, you know, the 3D and all that. Um, but, yeah, he, he had good graphics in, in most of his games. Okay, cool. Before I get to Grant here, i got a couple more uh, contributions from the chat here. Um, so uh, George Jansen, who's currently doing the new Coco 3 assembly language series, uh, he says his favorite program was Bjork Blocks, which is the uh, screen and tile editor. Um, Dave Veery says... Uh, some old Coco games really hold up today. Mega Bug and Donut Dilemma. Oh, geez, he's plugging Nick again. Would be great app games. <laughs> and he also mentioned uh, earlier that uh, Z89 was very impressive. Uh, I think it he took a bit more time to show off on that one, and I, I agree. Grant Leedy, your turn. Greg. Hey, what's up, guys? So I actually remember uh, Steve Bjork for the first time. It was the first time I ever went to Coco Fest, which was back, I want to say it was 2006 when we were still in um, uh, over there at the Holiday Inn. I can't remember the Elgin? name. Elgin? Elgin, thank you. Yeah, yeah and then he gave a big speech about uh, making the emulators and saying that's going to be the new way to uh, work on the Coco was doing an emulator because uh, the hardware is starting to get harder and harder to find. So that's how I remember him um, for the first time. And then, of course, I met him with everybody else back in 2018 at that Coco Fest. Um, I enjoyed going to the uh, arcade with him uh, as well. That was a lot of fun. And uh, my favorite memories of him is just, you know, late at night, you know, was bored and decided to get on Discord and just listening to his stories that he would just tell everybody on Discord, you know, while we were listening and so forth. So very nice guy. Uh, I had no problems with him, uh, but um, he'll definitely will be missed. Um, my favorite uh, games was Mega Bug. I loved that game. Uh, it was a lot of Which fun. Surprisingly, he hated it. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, I think he, he disliked color. He he disliked color computer artists more though. True. True. Uh, uh, and then uh, Zaxxon, of course, and then uh, Rampage was my uh, favorite Coco 3 game. So I know those late night Discord chats. The fun part was it wasn't just Coco. He would talk about the history of computers through the, you know, the old computer fairs up in the San Francisco area, or he talk about Disney or he talk about sometimes it'd be politics or whatever. I mean, he. Yeah. You just had general flowing conversations on every subject under the sun if he happened to be on that evening. It, and I only stepped away for a brief moment. I had to. um I had to drop off David Ladd at the pool, but um, did Tim Linder chime in at all? Do we miss the Tim Linder? Tim Tim uh, disconnected at some point, so of okay. course I can't. Um, yeah, he he was a big fan of Disneyland, California's Disneyland. He talked about that all the time and how fond he was of going there and how he somehow had a relationship with the Imagineers who worked on the rides and the technology and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I was hoping Alan Huffman would be here because that's a shared passion that they both had, and they used to go meet and go through uh, Disneyland. And Steve knew some of the people there still, and he would take Alan and show behind the scenes stuff and yeah. things like yeah, that. So I was really hoping to. Didn't no, Disney? Land, didn't they? Once, he talked about the uh, animation of the different um, characters in in one section of yeah, didn't, yeah Pirates didn't, of the Caribbean or something. I think it was. Yeah. Didn't OS Nine sink the pirate ship for years? Was no, it? that was at the uh, the Vegas uh, pirate. Oh, that was show. At the Vegas thing. Okay. At, <laughs> Was it the Bellagio? I can't remember which one it was now. But yeah, because Alan, Alan uh, you know, had his Disney fans website that he did for years too. And he used to go meet Steve down there. They would both go down and, and visit people and, and take a look at the you know way things were done behind the scenes and stuff. And he was hoping to make it onto the show today too, but uh, apparently wasn't able to make it either. And we're on to the last one on the panel here. 
Henry. Oh, you're muted. You can oh, how's that? Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Beautiful. Yeah, sorry. Hopefully my bandwidth holds out because it's been going all wonky. But yeah, really, the name Steve Bjork is my early childhood. It's uh, I never actually I never actually got to meet him because by the time I got out of the uh, out of the cocoa scene, I didn't get back into it until a couple of years ago. Um, but popcorn. That's probably the first game that I remember playing on the TRCD color computer is popcorn, and definitely Zaxxon. And I mean, every just about everybody's going to say Zaxxon. But the one thing that I still remember to this day about Zaxxon is why are the why are the explosions showing that they're worth 25 points and they're not? There's a 25 right there in those ex explosions. Look at them. It's a 25. I'd have to take a look at that. I, I didn't don't remember if I was seeing that. It's in the it's in the pixels. It's something that my eye catches on to. So it may or may not um, actually be a thing that everybody notices. Okay. I don't see any other ones in the chat. I did want to show share a couple of other things here. So in I think it was whoops, 2007, I believe, Mary Kramer, who'd kind of joined the Coco community after inheriting her uh, late father's Coco stuff, and she got quite involved for a while. She actually started running the Coconuts um newsletter slash magazine and she did an interview with steve in uh, may 2007 so i thought it's sort of screenshot that's actually got some screenshots of the two of them talking during the interview and some screenshots of his games and stuff too so let me share my screen again is she still around Alive. we've been trying to see like she i know she had kids and stuff so she might have just gotten too busy with real life but uh no one none of us have actually really talked to her in years now i think But uh, it's a it's nice uh, if you if you go in the color computer archive, uh, these are all archived there too, and it's the uh, specific issue that I'd mentioned there, the uh, May two thousand seven, volume three issue two that she does the interview with Steve, and that was actually at a Coco Fest, I believe. Um, but you got some pictures of the games itself, and then the two of them talking here with Steve, uh, obviously on the left here, and talking about the early days of the uh, computer fair up in the San Francisco area, what we talked about earlier with Steve, you know, Jobs and Steve Wozniak and a bunch of other, the big hitters from the earliest times talks about his early using stuff as a teen. Um, talking about his early, you know, working with the model one with the light pen and some of the games that he started on there. Yeah. West Coast computer fair. It's a pretty lengthy interview. Actually. Here's a, you know, what's baseball, one of these earliest games on the uh, tier setting model one. There's the light pen. Yep. Now there is uh he did have some discs with light pen for the cocoa. Now there was a few light pens sold for the cocoa that I know of Spectrum Projects, uh Bob Rosen's company sold one. I don't know if that one of those was Steve's because I never had a light pen. I don't know if anybody here in the panel did, but uh Mine I'm not sure which heavy. one he did. And then you know I think that's the end of the interview there. Yeah, that's the interview there. So there's a couple pages of interview from uh Mary. That was a really, really nicely done interview, very well presented. Yeah. His her whole newsletter was awesome, to be honest. Another nugget in a time capsule. Who did you say your husband was? I have no idea who her husband was. Oh, her father was active in the community when he lived in Florida. Oh, but then he, um, I think I don't remember the details, but I think he died of nefarious means type thing. Oh, hey Grant, is Greg still out there? I must be away. He's got muted. Uh, so 
Well, don't uh, behind me. You can see it on my wall. I have my illegally obtained poster from the last Cocoa Fest I was at. That's the one that had all the artwork from all the other Cocoa Fest from around the years. Is that the thirtieth annual Cocoa Fest? Yeah. So yeah. that's that's hanging up on the wall back here. Just want to figure out show Grant that I a little souvenir I got for myself. <laughs> souvenir, eh? Souvenir, eh? <laughs> yeah. You know, just just to fall back on the you know meeting Steve at. Uh, Steve Bjork at Coco Fest. Uh, I, by the time I'd met him in person, I already felt that I knew him to a certain amount just because of all the time he was on Discord chatting with all of us. Uh, but just, uh, I think one of the one of the funniest or kind of just at the time kind of surreal moments. And and Steve, you'll remember this when we went to go get pizza, and we, <laughs> they, and the hotel sends us to a pizza place with no seating. Yes, I was there too for that one. Yeah. And we're sitting yeah. in the parking lot trying to figure out we're going to eat here or what. Yeah, we we, we <laughs> like, had to take two you, different I'm cars, and they're like, "Well, there's 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 no seating." I go, "Well, what is it full? Or are they going to do we have to wait?" My yeah. lead like, Steve, "No, there's like, no seating. There's, said... there's literally no seats." <laughs> but yeah, you're like, "How long?" I don't. I said, "I don't know. It might be years till they add on." But um... <laughs> yeah, I was there for that too. But yeah. then we then we all went to that other pizza place, that brick oven thing. And we just kind of got a bunch of different pizzas, and then we just yeah. all kind of shared. And I ended up I ended up yeah. sitting right next to Steve Bjork. Of all, it was just kind of I was he's like he's like come on in, you know. I'm like okay, you know, I'm 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 especially at that time, you know, I'm not that I'm not I'm not of that caliber. Never never have never will be. But it just it was just kind of surreal. But it's super nice guy. I mean, I could see maybe you know some people had unfavorable things to see about him he was a very confident person but that that again that goes along with success so i i just you know that i i never had a problem with him i i always enjoyed uh chatting with him and uh, that was a great experience and it was a shame we that was the only coco yeah. fest i got to attend yeah. that was my first coco fest so that to you know to attend that uh and then didn't get to attend again i know i had, had an offer from him maybe being able to do like a Disneyland thing at one point, but um, of course that never, never worked itself out, but you know, can't predict the future. So, you know, that, that's just how that goes. Did your brother go to that one? He did. Yeah, yes. He yeah. Yeah. I remember He's that. I, I was, yeah. That I picture used to too. be in the slideshow on the bottom of the show. Yeah. yeah. I went to that one too. Yeah. yeah. And you, and you were there and you yeah. were, that's there. when he refused to sign the MC 10. Yeah, I mean, and and that just kind of goes back to kind of solidify what I was saying. He 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 just he became one of the guys, you know, like he was hanging out in Discord. He would chat with us. We we all had pizza together. Um, well, you know, I can he, remember him saying stuff like, uh, "Is the color computer ever going to die?" I mean, because we're all bringing <laughs> it back, please. Right. Yeah. I, like, I, how I, can I we, how can we miss it you think... if you don't go away? <laughs> I, ahead, I hate to say it, but I think the the that will be dead before the cocoa will be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah. we don't have a bunch of uh, other shows like this, including some of these members oh, here. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the David Ladd Memorial is going to go on for uh, like a week. There's going to be they're going to stop traffic in downtown, and, and take, we'll there's going to be a parade. A, we'll yeah, parade. Get a disc in the mail. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's going to be held at the uh, the uh, Taco Bell on David Ladd Boulevard. Yeah, that Dr. <laughs> really, <laughs> really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, Mark, Mark Mosley, a... do you have any other video clips to play? I've got a couple other things I want to show, but uh, I've uh, just got the, a couple left. So should we take oh, a no. break? Maybe.
Well, I think we're just about done. So the, 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 have we not had the Rondell vote designated potty break yet? This entire episode. We, we do. We do need to do a. We need to do at least one break, don't we, Mark? Yes, at least one. It's, it's in okay, Mark. Okay, well, let's it, do that. It, it'll be a bit pretty quick here, yeah. Mark. You said you have no more clips to do. It's in Ron's uh, writer. No, no, there's no more clips. Okay, so I'll just finish off my two little bits. I want to show some of my Steve Beer collection stuff here. I didn't find everything, but I got a fair bit. So for those who are not seeing it, here's the Clowns of Balloons cartridge. Mm-hmm. Canyon Climber, where he was kind of an uncredited assist. Where's my mouse? Canyon and a bunch of others' favorite game. Um, Another favorite for others well, for the Coco 3. Super, Super Pitfall. Pitfall. I don't deny the technical achievement of it. It just wasn't my favorite game. Yeah, Arkanoid, which uh, you Steve mentioned, is just a glorified breakout, but I quite like that one. It's, you can shoot a, them. it's a spot on. I mean, the sound effects were digitized from the arcade. So there's a rampage. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do believe Arkanoid was his last project for Radio Shack. Anyway, popcorn. Yeah, popcorn, one of his earliest ones. Yeah, shooting gallery where he had an un uncredited assist on it. Um. Yan, which he also had an uncredited assist on it. I have his axe on here. I couldn't find everything because I got stuff scattered all over the place. But I wouldn't want to take color. I wouldn't want to take credit for that color set either. <laughs> <laughs> and then some of the original discs, including Tandy stuff. So I've got uh, Color Computer. I know that's going to show up here. Color Computer Artist. Uh, here's the original Z89 I bought from him from Game Point. Gone to you have to excuse the writing. I had a, a brief spite where or spite of my life there where I was writing stuff to number my discs and it wrecked it. Sorry. Um, Warp Fighter 3D, which is uh, still the best demo of 3D glasses on the Coco. Yeah. There's the original Snake Pit. Another genuine sticker. Yeah, the original Mine Rescue. <laughs> Sands of Egypt. Which, Great because game. it came with two discs when the package, because it was copyright and they wanted a backup, so you had at least one working copy. You'll notice I cut the notch on it here and actually made it double sided because that was my second disc. So I made thought I could get a free disc out of it. Made a flippy. <laughs> yep. Um, there's Bash, and then some of the original manuals. I couldn't find my Mega Bug cartridge, but there's there's the manual for it. Stellar Lifeline, um, Super Pitfall. And this is of course when they shrunk them down to to cut the costs of. You know, putting stuff together. Right, and that's when I went to the blister pack instead of the uh, silk right. box. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rampage there. Roar. Arkanoid there. Ganabuana with the cover by the Marvel artist. Yeah. And of course, it has the actual comic book inside of it too. Yeah, that's a cool. There's the color computer artist. Artiste. And then some of the stuff from Game Point. I've got like Mine Rescue. And bash. You can tell you're a pro because you know how to turn it just right so it can be seen. Yeah, while well, I'm watching the reflection here, there's a snake pit there, which is the last Coco 1 and 2 game he ever did. Z89, where he got actually fancy with, you know, silver Ooh, and, and yeah. color on the actual. Silver. Allure. Allure. Uh, Warp Fighter 3D. Ooh. We just spent some Pitfall time 2 in its original package. Nice. Very nice. One-on-one basketball in its original package. Is he credited for that or is he uncredited for that? No, he's, he's mentioned on right yeah. on the title screen. Okay. And then Sands of Egypt was a collaboration between three of them. Yeah. And, of course, this got ported to other machines as well, too, from Datasoft. Well, yeah, because Datasoft made multi-platforms. So roughly yeah. half and this half one was... Co- what? I was going to say roughly half the Coco games I've owned, you've just shown me. <laughs> <Steven Jordan. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, the funny I thing is, went... is like some of these, like Zaxxon and Puyan Datasoft sold directly, and they were good enough. They actually impressed Radio Shack to get the exclusive rights, and then they only got sold to Radio Shack. Unfortunately, they did drop the disc versions of those then because Datasoft had disc versions, and Tandy only sold the cassette one. But this is one where they actually, you know, it was a disc game, and they actually yeah, put it onto no the There's no way you could do that directly. game off a cassette. Did you did you put holes in that to put it in a binder? Yeah, like I said, I went through a thing where I was trying to organize yeah. things. So I was like numbering disc jackets and disc covers and stuff. And I really wish I had not done that in retrospect, but too late now. Mm. Organization's right. really overrated. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to do is uh, because this is going to kind of tie in the fact that uh, although I'm working Curtis, on a new... I, I have a copy oh. of um, Sands of Egypt too that has the uh, holes in it already. Oh, it might, it oh okay. Might have been, I thought I punched it in myself, but maybe I didn't. Okay. Maybe that was just the Canadian version. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those are metric punch holes. Yeah. And an unopened yeah. copy of Pitfall, too, or Super Pitfall. Oh. $29.95 from Radio Shack. Hey. Oh, that's like the original price here. I picked yeah. mine up during the fire <laughs> sale at Rainbow Fest. Yeah, I'll take your un, I'll take your unopened Pitfall and uh, raise you an unopened Ghanabuana, right? Uh, <laughs> so what, that one is Pit Super Pitfall is the one with the gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was also on the NES and one other obscure machine, I think. Yeah. Um, so that that was like one of the early launch titles for the Coco Three when it first came out, and not knowing anything about hardware and how things what what you have to do to manipulate a screen i was not impressed with it compared to super pitfall or what's what's the coco 2 version is that pitfall 2 pitfall or is 2 is a coco 2 okay. version super so pitfall, pitfall 2 and the coco 2 was full screen everything scrolled there was music and then this one is in like a little window it's like one eighth of a screen and it seemed really slow so when I first saw that, I'm like, man, compared to the other one that was full screen and scrolled smoothly in all directions, this thing is a slow, jerky, small screen game. I, and I just and having that be one of the earliest Coco 3 games I've ever seen, I was not impressed. Now, of course, I don't know anything about what it takes to, to you know, how we went from a 6K screen to a 32K screen and this and that and the other and, uh, and, and anything else like that. I just kind of judged it based on what I saw. And initially, I just I wasn't impressed. Um, just, but, you know, I, I played it later on. I've learned to appreciate it. It's definitely, it's a large scale game, but compared to its predecessor, it's, it felt very underwhelming to me. This, it was, it just felt really slow and, and chunky how it moved, you know? I, I, I would actually agree with that. It is a bit slow. It did have background music without needing a cart though, which was also another yeah. feature yeah. that I had. And to be honest, when Sockmaster went in and six three and nine eyes did like some of the games I've been doing. Yeah, uh, he's the first one to do that. He, they, it became much more playable. Right. And I think I think that's the one I ended up playing. I think I ended up I found one somewhere and I did a video on it and not even knowing what version I had. But I think I ended up playing one where I had like, you know, pretty much infinite lives and it was yeah. better and smoother. And I think he ended up commenting on that video saying, yeah, that's probably the one I optimized. I'm like, OK, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just remember at first not knowing any better. I'm like, yeah, no, this is, uh, I'm not that impressed. Um, and, and I think it's, he like, took the music off, though, and it got Yeah, yeah, and I, would, and I think he said that did speed it up like 20% or something. Um, and, and like Rampage. Rampage is an incredible game, and it's like spot on. The RGB colors are spot on. The animation, everything is perfect. But Rampage was just never my favorite game. So when you say what's your favorite CBR game, as much as I'm not trying to dismiss the technical prowess and the technical achievement of creating Rampage on the Coco 3 to the level he did, it just wasn't my cup of tea, you know. And Arkanoid, I love on Arkanoid and the Coco 3 is pretty much arcade 
exact but just again not my favorite game i i think that what was most impressive is at the time when the coco one and two did not have a lot of triple a titles um data soft and steve york were bringing them to us and so they were bringing like triple a type stuff Uh, obviously the licensed stuff like zaxxon and puyan but even things like you know popcorn and clowns and balloons um were still in my opinion triple a um, title quality games on the Coco one and two at a time when we didn't were not every Coco one and two game was 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 gold. You know there was a lot of silver and bronze uh, out there, so they were always gold uh, on that machine. Well, listen though, you know um, we have uh, our down under guy here with his Ferrari. I wonder what uh, Steve drove. Well, one of them was a four wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> one was his dad's car when he went up to the uh, west coast computer fair skipped school on fridays uh, and I, I think we can say that yeah. i think we can say that steve bjork never rode a neutroid either no <laughs> i couldn't resist uh, anyway the last thing cool. i wanted to show myself and then i'm done as far as I, i'm planning on going if you guys have any last thoughts we can add them in afterwards <laughs> But he also did a, a bouncing ball demo for level one OS nine on the Coco and uh sneak peek. It's going to be included with the next version of EOU. So you can give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And uh, This VCC that I've got right now occasionally crashes. So I'm hoping it doesn't do it this time, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, Don't forget to share sound. There's no sound in this one. Okay. So it wouldn't matter. All right. SRB. You have, you have SRB's balls. Yes, his regular, uh, fast, and slow ones. All right. Yeah, Stevie, you're really here to class up the joint. Yeah, aren't you? <laughs> hey, Stevie didn't bring that up. Look at that. That's almost like the Amiga thing. And this yeah. is like a wireframe version of that. Yeah, and this is a Cocoa 1 and 2 program. I've been running it under EOU, which is Cocoa 3, but it, this was a Cocoa 1 and 2 one. Yeah. That's a beauty. So he's got smooth scrolling text as well as a pretty fast ball. And yeah. basically he had a parameter where you could set the speed of the ball if you wanted to slow it down. But but this yeah, is one of the like he didn't do too many games on on the on OS9 for the Coco 3. He did more, you know, applications like color computer arts, etc. And uh but this kind of showed that he could have. And of course he did work in Last Ninja and, and did get it far enough to do a demo that he actually brought to the fest the one year now and Huffman recorded some video off of it. But he deserves a Lamborghini. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the very few uh, people in the Koga community over the years, uh, besides maybe like Greg Sumwalt, Lonnie Falk, and a few others, that actually he made his living off the Coco for a decade. I don't think any of the rest of us can say that. So not even Nick with all of his, uh, you know, Ferraris and stuff can say <laughs> that. Well, I yeah. couldn't Coco in my business. So, it, you know, it helped me until I got my ibm pc stuff yeah i mean we used it at work I, i'm not saying it you know not using a coco yeah. to do the business stuff but to actually no, make your living off programming for the coco yeah. I, I don't know too many people that fall into that category especially as long as he did anyway that's all i've got any last minute thoughts from the chat or last minute thoughts from the panel and then we'll have a break that, yeah, i think so i saw a couple comments in the chat okay rattle them off there mark Oh, now I got to go scroll back and find oh, um, uh, So Mark Siegel mentioned Dallas Quest. Was Steve Bjork credited with that? Or did he have his hands on Dallas Quest? No, he didn't I, do that one. No, I think uh, Steve had already left Datasoft by the time that one came out because his, his name's not on the credits on that one. Did Frederick speak? Yeah. I must have missed that one. Went to the. Uh, it was when you nodded off there. Yeah. 
Good stuff. Uh, George George B. Jansen said his favorite uh, was Bjork Blocks. Yeah, I did mention that one. Yeah, I, yeah, I was mentioned, which is that was George's favorite one. And uh, let's see what else. I think uh, Mark Siegel said something uh, about uh, something that Steve did. I'll just uh, mention while you're looking that up here, Daddy Burrito says, I mentioned this before, but I will never forget the first time I met Steve. So it was at my first Rainbow Fest, and Steve and his girlfriend were dressed up in Star Trek Next Generation Federation uniforms. That uh, was Monique, who also did a lot of the graphics for his Coco 3 stuff. Yeah. Uh, oh, Mark uh, Scott- says he did do some work on Dallas Quest. I don't know. Where's yeah, our resident Dallas Quest expert, uh, David Ladd? Also, Brent Siegel said that earlier, did Steve ever bring up that he liked Greek food? Uh, Scott Cooper said his favorite Steve Bjork game was Stellar Lifeline and Zaxxon. I'm not sure if he did Canyon Climber. Yeah, Mark's saying that, yeah, as Steve mentioned there, that he did do some work in Dallas Quest. I had asked Steve about that way back when I was doing the web page stuff, and he thought he didn't. So unless they took some routines he had left over, but or could be remembering wrong, it is 35 to 40 years ago. That could be, that could be like I've said earlier, you know, it's been so long, people right. remember things differently. Yeah. So yeah. I remember yeah. saying nasty things to Sue Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why there was that restraining order? Yeah, that could have been it. <laughs> Frederick Provence said Arkanoid was one of his favorites as well, really impressed with how close it was to the arcade version. Absolutely. Steve did a really good job of looking at the arcade versions and trying to, trying to make him as close as possible. Did Steve ever make a library of stuff? He talked about that on episode 13 where he wanted to have a library of things to draw from. Uh, um, he must have had his own, but I was yeah. wondering if he was are you talking programming libraries or are you talking about a, a legacy uh, a thing? Programming libraries. That he oh, he did most from. of his games from his own internal programming library. That's why he could right. crank out Rampage in 31 days because he just took all the routines he'd previously written for other games and merged them together, added some stuff, and he was done. So we was that some of the stuff that, that might have been on the um, hard drives that got ripped? Right. Yeah, probably. For those that don't know the backstory, <clears throat> um, Steve had a storage shed that actually had most of his Coco 3 related stuff. So it was Coco 3 repackaged into a PC case and a PC keyboard and hard drives and everything else. And that's what got broken into and stolen. Uh, the Coco 1 repack that he did into a Tier City Model 3 case and some of his other stuff there was stuff he still had in the house, which is why there was initially that speculation when the auction started. You know, was that the stuff that got stolen? It wasn't. Um, that stuff disappeared, you know, a decade or two ago, but, uh, yeah. Um, did we mention eight bits in the basement? He said, uh, stellar lifeline was the one he liked best, but he didn't know it till Steve mentioned it in the show. Yes. Grant, yes, back. Grant, did we wake you up? No, no, I'm still here. I was just going yeah. to say too, I, do believe, and, and I'm 90% sure about this, I do believe the Glenn site did buy uh, a lot of some of the discs that were on the uh, eBay that were not in the archives. So I know that the club did buy some stuff. Oh, I didn't Just, know that. Yeah. And I have to say, Grant, after looking at some of the old shows for footage and stuff, I really miss your ceiling fan. He <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little beanie baby thing there. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I should uh, add prob- that uh, I've also screwed up all of my documentation with extra holes punched into it for no good reason, so I could put it in a small a binder or something. Yeah, uh, a lot uh, of us did uh, that earlier. Grant, when you were when you were not on camera, I was trying to show you that behind me I have the poster of Coco Fest thirty. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I got very, the thirty first one right small. behind there. 
Yeah. Yeah, I've got one back here too. Hey, so what done. is this? What is this I see on the uh, on top of the text about a virtual Cocoa Fest in uh, January? What's going on with that? Uh, I haven't been promoting it. <laughs> well, what is Basic, it? Here's your chance, Mark. <laughs> yep, I need to mention this. So I will get it. I've been sick the last two weeks, so I really should have gotten done this a month ago, but. Um, basically, the Glenside Club was hoping that uh, the Coco Nation would help do a virtual Coco Fest in January, kind of like when we did the 2020 virtual Coco Fest when we couldn't meet in person. But is and there like not going to be a real Coco Fest? Is this in in addition? Oh, no, no, in addition, in addition, Coco Fest. Okay, yeah, well, we want to make the real one. We're yeah, we want to try to hours on this one. <laughs> maybe it might come to that so basically i've set aside saturday and sunday on the 27th 28th i think it is last weekend in yeah. january to basically you know get whoever wouldn't be able to make coco fest or dragon meet up for that matter to be able to do a little presentation for an hour or so so uh, i need to get that written up here and promoted on all the the main things we've been kind of talking about it but there's nothing like officially written down but uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, kind of get people prepped and primed for uh, Coco Fest, and then of course the dragon. Well, don't meetup. steal the thunder from the real Coco Fest. Oh well, no! And, well, that's why. And, that's why uh, we wanted to promote the people that wouldn't show up in person. Yeah. Well, right, maybe right, you yeah, should right. block out a spot for vendors so that the people who won't show up in person can see the vendors who would be there in person that they won't see. So <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. Thing, and the other thing too is that hurts. we're finding that on Sunday, people do not want to go to presentations on Sunday because they're wanting to wrap up their show, oh. do their activities, get and their so stuff, forth like that. Talk to their friends. Exactly. So, so this, is, this is more like get some presentations out of the way, so we don't have to deal with that bullshit during the real Coco Fest. Exactly. And hang out and have fun. Exactly. Yeah. And plus, it helps with some of the international um, people or the people that don't have the means will, to get to. Will, will John Coast. Strong be presenting anything? He was one of the yeah. ones complaining about the attendance drop on Sunday, actually. Yeah. Yep. So if he wants to do a presentation, he should do it on this virtual cook. There you go. There you Here's go. A suggestion extended out to like uh, three days. So have it a Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Oh, good. We actually, talk then I need four days of room. Yeah. Who's so... got that much time? <laughs> Mark, yep. get with me and I'll make some art for it. If okay. it's Coco, we should make the time. How's that? There you go. <laughs> Well, I say anyway. we all do it. Oh, by the way, um, there I found a Portela's in Tampa. And so mm -hmm. I don't know if there's one closer to me, but I was going to say, <laughs> if you're going to do this, it should be there. Portela's needs to be involved at some point. Maybe <laughs> get them as a sponsor or something. Or... You can remote. Henry, you're muted Portela's again. Portela's in Tampa. And actually, there's a Portela's, I believe, in Orlando, if I remember correctly. Mm. I think there okay. is now. I knew it's, about it's the one in new. Tampa. I did not know about the one in Orlando. Thank you, uh, by the way, Curtis. Um, I knew about the one in Tampa. I uh, did not know about the one in Orlando. The one in Tampa has been there for a while. It may be the closest one to you, unless Orlando is closer to you there, uh, Stevie. Orlando is a little bit closer, yeah. Orlando is like All two. Right, Tampa is like three. So. so next time but I'm you know, in Orlando, you know we you have can... to go to Portello's. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, Stevie, uh, Universal Studios was much better than Disney World. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we went there for my wife's birthday. We did the whole Harry Potter experience. It was awesome. Yeah, I might need to make another trip down there, so I might hit, hit you up for that. <laughs> hit me up, brother. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. It's Like I said, it's kind of bittersweet, but um, Steve Bjork was a great uh, addition to the color computer and the community, and especially the, the modern Cocoa community and, and, and the, in this show. So I'm forever grateful for all the contributions he did software-wise, as well as just being a, a decent human being and, and being a cool guy that I got to know.
I, I pretty well would just, you know, say the exact same thing, even though I've been meeting him since the 80s, same thing. I never hit too much of his bad side. Uh, it was there. I got to, you know, see it from afar type thing, but uh, he was always really nice to meet. So what's uh, Stevie been doing lately? Is he uh, doing podcasts still or what's going on? Uh, working, dealing with uh, family stuff and playing uh, Starfield. So that's an cool. awesome game. I like Starfield. I freaking love Starfield. So, um, yeah, that's it, man. Don't crank them 240s up too loud. They really go up high. 240s? The headphones you got on. Oh, okay. Well, those, the, these are the Spinal Tap headphones. They ah, loud. Okay. I, they no, get they really, do. They really, do. really loud. I've, I've, I've got an eight-channel mixer now that I run they, everything. They go past so 11. You can... Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's been, uh, it's been really good being retired and not having to worry about anything on a Saturday, yeah. having coffee and watching Bugs Bunny, you know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm living on that Cocoa Talk money. I'm living the dream. And, uh, you know, I, whatever that's you, where it all went, yeah, wherever you poor people are doing, that's on you. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> what part He's of getting that biggie bag at Wendy's. <laughs> are we going to see a Cocoa Fest this next year? Oh, uh, is it in April? It's uh, the first weekend of May. May. Um, let me know because yeah. I am traveling more for business, and I might be able to squeeze that in as a business trip because uh, I'm doing a lot it's of I'm going to a lot of tech seminars and things like that, and getting lots of training on Active Directory stuff or the new uh, whatever the hell they call it now, the Azure stuff. Azure. So, yeah. So I'm I'm doing a lot of training around the country, and I got a travel card and a business card, and so you know. Uh, it might be able to squeeze that in. Last year, I actually had to go to something in Vegas the weekend, either before or after that Cocoa Fest, so I couldn't make it. And then same thing at VCF Midwest. I actually had to go to Jersey for something. I got a chance to meet up with Tom C. while I was in Jersey. Uh, so, yeah, work is, you know, work is work, but that's what pays the bills. So. And VCF Midwest yeah. has outgrown that location, so they may be moving to another location. So just FYI. I think that's <laughs> been confirmed they're going to another location. Oh, yeah. have they confirmed it? Okay. Yeah. I yep. mean, yeah, they had people selling stuff out of the parking lot. I mean, it but was honestly, if, busting if, at the seams. If I, if I come to Cocoa Fest next year, in a way, for me, it's going to be like, going to VCF Midwest. I've got nothing to do, nothing to show. I could just go there and hang out, you know? Just so have fun. Yeah. yeah. Because that's, that's the problem, you know? So it, just, it was always like, it was a gig, you Stevie, know, if you show up, you will be tapped as a director. Um, I will no listen. I, <laughs> I, I, I need, um, I, I need about nine pitchers of hundred dollar a gallon coffee, uh, there. Talk to, um, talk to Curtis about that. Yeah. We need, we need, we need, we need the coffee. Now you know how I make it through the news. Yeah, uh, no, Brian we, Weasler brought some a big deal of coffee last year. Didn't we yeah. have a donut dilemma last time? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh. And on that note, let's finally have a break, show. <laughs> anyways, hey, thanks, thanks, thanks for having me on, guys. It was it was good being uh, in the same room with y'all. Uh, don't be a stranger. And, yeah, yeah, well, they, by sometimes they don't come much stranger than me. Um, <laughs> all right. Didn't bother me. All. all right. Yeah, Ron didn't miss me at all. So, <laughs> no, what's your I name said, again? I said Merry Christmas to you. I, don't I know, know you did. Oh yeah, and David Ladd mailed me a Christmas card. He does every year. He's a good kid. That David Ladd. He's got a yeah, yeah, yeah. He I got mine too. Yeah, good. Yeah, he's, he's, good got, he's got. He's got. He's going to do great things. He's he's good people. He's good people. That David Ladd. Bless his heart. But he's good people. He's yeah. still waiting for all the floppy disks back to him for Christmas though. So. Yeah. All right, guys. I'm out of here. Peace. All right. Take care, later, Stevie. Right. And we'll Peace. go to a commercial break. Hey Amy. Hey Dave. 
Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should too. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like this should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Derek Smithson, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Wabke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichert, Kevin Holloway, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, TJB Chris, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? L. Tom 2100 number 0001 says, Hello. My name is Lloyd T and I love tinkering with retro computers. I primarily use a Coco 2 and just acquired a Coco 3. I also have a TI-994A. I love electronics and coding for different projects. Humble Hacker says, Hi, I'm David. My neighbor inherited a Coco 1 from his uncle and was super excited to show it off to me. I was hooked from that moment. I pestered my mom for one incessantly. Somehow, we didn't have much, my mom managed to get one under the tree that Christmas. It was a brand new color computer too, my first computer. I upgraded to the Coco 3 when it came out. K Zindi says, Hello, I'm Thierry. I got my first computer, a Coco 2, for my 12th birthday. I ran a BBS in Montreal for a few years called Coco Data that ran on software I wrote, mostly basic with a bit of assembly for the I.O. to the modem. I recently acquired a Coco 2 and a Coco 3. Looking to upgrade my Cocos and start writing kick-ass software for them. JCM1 says, Hey everyone. I'm Joe, from Joe's Computer Museum. I love all old computers. I run a website, jcm-1.com. Sloopy said I have to tell everyone that I twisted Joe's arm to come tonight. Ha! Malagos says, Your name? Jim V, I bought my first 8-bit computer a TRS-80 Model 1 in 1980, and after seeing what I was missing, color, I bought my first Coco in 1984 along with multi-pack and J&M disc controller. How do you retro? When I have time I clear space on my bench and swap in a computer to reminisce about bygone days. Where did you hear about us? Coco mailing list, long-time subscriber. Random Rotter says, your name? Brian B. First Coco on my birthday in 1981, with an Okidata 82A DMP, and one floppy. Your systems? Cloud 9 Coco 3 with 2 megabytes, 
6309, white cocoa 1, 2 gray cocoa 1s, and a damaged case cocoa 1 that I'll probably transplant into a TDP case I have lying around. Looking for? Info on things like new games, hardware enhancements, etc. Ed's Gimme X really has my interest as do some more modern video converters. Space Ideas says, my name, Charlie. My systems, I have several Coco 3s, a number of cartridges, and disk software, some 720k and one 360k drive, with controllers only used occasionally now, as I have a Super IDE and a Cocosg also have a Cocodac and Minimp. How do you retro? Real Cocos and on emulator and with toolshead write programs in Basic 09, my fave, and Radio Shack Basic, have dabbled some in assembler and C. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! And now, Coco Thoughts. Oh boy. By Samuel <laughs> Gein. I request! I don't think I've been with any Game On related way, thought this week. We go what out am I going to do? What am I going to do? Come on, relax. Um, um, relax and count. Relax and count. Go ahead and count. Count. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro. Gotta wanna.
once was torturous enough. There you go. You didn't even have to listen to me talking over that, uh, reading out the scores. You could have just read them for yourself and just imagined what I sounded like. What about Frogger? I could hear your... uh, Frogger's next week. I could hear your voice in my head. Right? I'm so sorry. Eh, Better than my voice. So... There's other voices you could hear in your head. Um, as you could probably tell from the scores, not a lot of people got very far in the game. Right. Um, let me just share something here as soon as I find it. There. This is a map of everything that's in Monster Mash. This is actually, if you're still interested in playing the game, it's available uh, in the... No, it isn't, Ken. What? That is now. There we go. What? 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 Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. confused. And now I see the map. Okay. I think he's still sorry. having bandwidth problems, so he's probably a little bit behind us. Yes, he's behind. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I, okay. Uh, where was my train of thought going? <laughs> it's all, it's uh, derailed. Uh, back up a uh, quarter mile and. <laughs> okay, so this is the uh, map of it, of uh, how all the screens actually fit together and uh what's where where all the um money bags are and he even the author um even included in the side there you can see a walkthrough best way i mean you don't have to do it this way but it's the easiest way to go through and collect things and actually beat the game is he going to put this on his website or upload it to the archive i don't know no, you have to come here. Who made this map? Mike. Mike did, yeah. Right. So, yeah, he went through and he uh, figured out the entire game for for us. And um, I think, well, he's the one that got the highest score. So I think he, Ooh. I don't know oh, if he actually yeah. beat it or not, but... Um. Eric Mont had said that he's going to beat it before the uh, time was up, but he didn't make it, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I guess there's a little bit of, um, with this game, it's a little, the, the controls are a little wonky, but it's actually a pretty good game if you get into it and kind of figure out what you're doing. So... I guess uh, obviously uh, there was no reviews for this, but uh, did anybody on the panel actually try it out? And what did they think? And tried it. It was uh, a, a bit hard, especially with the keyboard. Does it play with a joystick also? It plays with a joystick. Yeah, ah, it's okay. um, it's button combinations to do things like you have to push down and hit the button to fire and push up and hit the button to uh, jump. Oh, because he said when he was um, even though it's a Coco three game, he only had a Black Beauty joystick, so he didn't program it for the two buttons. Mm. What a lot of people did back then in other games that they would uh, make the joystick for the two buttons, but then. For the people that didn't have a two-button joystick, they would also have the space bar as the second button, but he didn't do that, so. Okay. 
think you're on the space bar track. Yeah. Oh, this was a game. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was more than just the opening um, screen there, Sloopy. I well, I did move around. I wasn't sure, I and mean, it was. I was kind of confused. So. Well, that's not hard. <laughs> and normal. I, I did play it. I didn't have much time to play it this last couple of weeks. Um, and I, I, I did get a square. I actually got the shooting down not too badly. Um, to sh you shoot the monsters that are coming across to you. And I did manage to get through quite a few uh, screens there. So I was kind of figure out where the hidden doors and stuff were. I didn't get to the point of actually finding a money bag yet. But uh, I probably made it to about, I don't know, maybe seven or eight of the different screens. So if I had more time, I probably would have got a bit further into it. But the controls yeah. definitely take you getting used to. You only get one or two or a couple of points for shooting anything, but uh, you actually, when you start getting the money bags, they're like 200 bucks for, mm. or 200 points for a bag. So yeah. that's really the only way to rack up a bit of a score <clears throat> because you, you are also limited to the number of times that you can shoot one of the creatures and get points for it. Because if you shoot, uh, if you stay on one screen and shoot the creature 10 times, then it becomes invulnerable. So, well, I only have one thing to say about this game. After playing this game, I don't want to hear not one word about how bad Neutroid is. <laughs> hey, this game is 10 times better than Neutroid. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say that too. <laughs> not the newest version, but the, the original Neutroid. Uh -huh. Okay, it's 100 <laughs> times better than the newest, the uh, original Neutroid. <laughs> My score says. Right. Uh, I'll just uh, remember the scale that I used last time on a scale of one to Neutroid. <laughs> I didn't know our scores went into negative numbers. Right, negative Neutroid. That's a that shouldn't it be on a scale of Neutroid to ten or whatever? Neutroid being the worst and ten being the best. Uh, Nick must be away from his mic here because I'm sure he would have been piping up by now. Right, right. He's got something to no. say. He's just not handy. I'm, I'm just putting the pins in the uh, voodoo doll <laughs> now. <laughs> oh, is that the tingling sensation? I was thinking that was a feel-good moment. <laughs> but yeah, no. actually, uh, considering it's a compiled basic game, it's pretty darn good. Hmm. Yeah, the only real fatal flaw for me is the controls are a little too different and, and I guess somewhat difficult compared to what we're more used to these days. Um, yeah. If the controls were changed, I would definitely rank it quite a bit higher. But the game itself, like the game's there. It just it just needs some tweaks. Unfortunately, the source code's lost, as Mike has explained. Well, um, as he did say earlier, though, you if you are playing on an emulator, you can actually use one of those little programs for um, programming your joystick, and you can program the diagonals into you, into a joystick through an emulator, which makes the control a lot better. Because that's the, that's the thing about it. It doesn't use the diagonals. It only uses up, down, left, and right. So... Like, for instance, when you have to jump across a cavern, you have to jump up and then over. Oh. Ken, do you have um, Italian bread there? Do I have Italian bread? There, yeah. Not In the, bre in the bread bin back there. 
Oh, oh my Commodore. It's a commode door joke. <laughs> I thought maybe you'd have a cocoa sitting back there, you know. Kind no, of like I, um, I have a cocoa here, I have a cocoa here, and I have yeah, a cocoa here. We have to enjoy that. Commodore back to there. Tease us all. All, just, all the cocos are just off screen. Look huh? what Rick does. <laughs> Well, put it this way. Ken's got all of his Cocos where he can actually use them, so they're yeah, on his desk, see. and the Commodore's relegated to the back. Coco. Well, that's why I asked you if it's Italian Coco. bread. Coco. I'll run Marty's Nightmare on you. I have, my I have a software problem. <laughs> you have a software problem? Yes, I have a hardware problem. You've got a, a lot more problems. I've got a software problem. It's called Neutroid. <laughs> And I have a hardware problem. It's called a 6809. Should be a 6309. Yep, yep. That's your problem. That's, your That's problem. why it's the upgrade. Anyways, other than uh, what we've said so far, does anybody have anything to say about Monster Bash? I had time to play with it. Um, been was it a graveyard smash? Yes. It was. <laughs> Did anybody know about that chart before the game? Yep. Well, he published oh, it two weeks. He published it originally two weeks ago. Wow. So that's the only reason I got four hundred points because I was following <laughs> the chart. <laughs> the chart. <laughs> Tell the truth. Beauty. Oh, so you're using insider secrets? Yeah, insider secrets. Yeah, insider are publicly available, available secrets. Yes. Don't worry, you won't get busted for that. Is that insider were... gaming? Public insiders. Trading. Secrets. Yeah. Maybe I should tell the uh, game on high council about you and your cheating. Hmm. And who is this high council of you which you speak? Jim Wright. It's, it's Ken. Jim. <laughs> no, we I blame everything on Jim. Because you know That's what interns are I for. can. Right, right. <laughs> yes, you're not here. Ken can. Ken can get it. So the other thing that we played this week was uh, basically any version of Frogger you wanted to. We which have included things from, like... We have a protest oh. from Jim in the chat. <laughs> well, he's just not here to defend himself. Out there in the uh, the, the uh, comment verse, I can just not look at it. I mean, who pays attention to the chat anyway? Exactly. It's, the chat's lagging. <laughs> and Paul says that uh, using a guide is not cheating. So there, I am. I'm good. Now, <clears throat> we are also playing any Frogger game that you would like. And uh, boy, the Coco had some interesting Frogger games. Plus, I think that's just too much to do for a, a game on challenge. I don't know if we should do that again. Maybe no, as a special, but not as a regular. We're, we're definitely not doing that again. Because it was a three-week one, I thought I'd give it a try. To just say people. Yeah. I did say any, and it's going to be hellish next week trying to <laughs> compile all of this. I thought stuff. that's the week uh, Jim was doing the uh, high score list. Oh, uh, no, oh, you were going right. to. I thought you were going to, Slippy. No, Jim. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why we have an intern to give mm. them all the all the the work we don't want to do. 
<laughs> Anyways, unfortunately, the whole playing any Frogger game you would like is a little unfocused. And uh, we had a so not much a different than the regular show, really. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and there's a lot more Frogger type games on the Coco than I actually had thought. I thought maybe we had four or five. <laughs> How many so far? Oh, I don't know. Like 27, 10 or 11 or 12 or something. Doesn't okay. I guess this really proves that there isn't a lot of pre-planning done on this show. No, no. I never thought we had to. I do that. believe that this actually was a um, suggestion from the panel while I was announcing the game on challenge two weeks ago. How dare you? That's right. Who's who's to blame? <laughs> blame the panel. That's it. Yes. <laughs> How dare you have a memory? I'm not. I'm not going to mention any panel name member's name oh, God, about who, me? who made this know. suggestion. But well, next time, of course, we'll then then the some of... idiot from the uh, high score uh, um, game gaming people agreed to it. So I'm not going to mention that guy's name either. Anyway, so yeah, we're still doing any Frogger game, and I think the way that I'm going to do it is I'm just going to do a list of who how many games each person submitted a score for and then I'm just going to do the top score from each game just to save time otherwise it'll be like a 10 minute video of me just reading out scores oh that sounds better cuz you know these shows always run short <laughs> <laughs> especially today a little, a little padding for oh, the yeah. for it right about the 3 o'clock oh we could arrange for some audio failure 30 yeah, so did anybody discover any Frogger games that they were surprised that the Coco had? I like some of the off-the-wall ones. Like uh, Kieran posted one. It's called Conveyor Belt. And I guess it just has different strips that run different speeds, different directions. But it's basically Frogger just with no... Without the <laughs> frogs. There's, it's a Frogger without water or frogs. Roach? Say again? Isn't that the same thing as Rainbow Roach? It could be. Okay, and also there appears to be a text space. So I'm looking at the uh, the Discord. Uh, let's see. Yesterday, about this time, is when Kieran posted Conveyor Belt Two, and then there's one shortly after that. It's a text based one. Uh, it says score for Mr. Dave sixty three oh nine scores eleven hundred twenty. You see a tractor coming from the left at fifteen miles per hour, and in the next lane, a race car is coming from the right at forty miles per hour. Per hour, your move. Jump forward. <laughs> And yes, Paul, that, uh, that Nick's kangaroo game thingy does count as a Frogger type game. I mean, it's yeah, when you look at a, you, you in North America, if you get a frog and tip it upside down, it looks like a kangaroo. I mean, it started <laughs> as a frog, but Australian style, it kind of grew. Well, it started as a frog, but because it was upside down and it looked more like a kangaroo. An Australian frog, it was upside down, looked more like a kangaroo. So there you go. The question is, does the Australian frog try to kill you? Yes. Yes. Everything in Australia tries to kill you. Except the possums. Know? From what I understand, the possums aren't going to aren't going to try to kill you. Hmm. And when the American possums kill them. Possums. That's what you they want American you. possums. Yeah. Amer <laughs> Yeah, I, I heard about American possums scaring an Australian. 
Yeah, scary. Wonder how many All frogs right. have been killed. Moving <laughs> right along. Moving right along. So, um, yeah, I haven't tried that. Well, that text-based one, definitely I had not seen yet. And uh, right. the conveyor belt one sounds interesting. I'll have to try that out. Frogger is a physics problem. I don't know if I want to really want to go there. <laughs> well, you can play the story problem version. Good thing we don't have smell-o-vision. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. I will jump to last Thursday. We had a the last Game On Challenge live of the year. Sloopy, did you want to talk about this? I would love to be able to talk. Okay, well. We'll give it a whirl. <laughs> go right ahead. Anytime I talk for a while, I oh. start coughing. I'm still sick. It's okay. We interrupt you enough that that'll give you time to stop. Light up the cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, switch to menthol. I'm already on menthol. Fisherman's uh. friend. Practically freebasing them. Peppermint? You need Spearmint? the Dix inhalers too. Um, yeah, we had a pretty uh, successful uh, show. We actually uh, did two shows because enough people showed up the week before and uh, we actually streamed it. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, because last Saturday I was like, oh, no, I'm late. I got to get on the show. And there's no show. And then a little while later, my mind was like, oh, my God, it's after two. I, I'm i not on the show. I should be on the show. And boom, nope, there's no show. So that was very confusing for me. Yeah, yeah, it, it was confusing for a few for se several of us. Hey, no. Yeah, but we uh, had a good show this week. Uh, we had up to seven people playing at once. The only person that we didn't have was you. Why weren't you there? Yeah, yeah. I was there. You, you, not, not you. You I were there. He's talking to me. I was sick. He's talking about the people there out in the viewer land. You weren't there. I was asleep. I don't want to hear this like, work, uh, sleep, uh, had to do something, had Wait. to wash my dog. I don't want to hear these excuses. Yeah, but Soupy, many people are lucky that I'm not there. Yes. Okay, we'll make an exception for David. <laughs> no, get a pass, David. for David. <clears throat> we, we have it all set up. Next time David joins the show, we're just going to all switch to Predator. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, don't worry. I'll get all the swear words prepared <laughs> with bleeps all ready to go. Really? Seriously? At any rate, on the on the stream here, you can definitely see a wide variety of Frogger games, and like we didn't have them all going at once. There's there's multiple other ones beyond these. Hmm. But yes, we did have a, a multitude of uh, of uh, jumping and uh, cussing, and it was uh, fun was had by someone. I don't know if they were <laughs> here, but someone was having fun. Not so the people that were playing Frog Trek. No. <laughs> yeah, my yeah, that was a challenging one. It's one of the earliest ones, so I'll give them a little bit of slack. But it it was an interesting, refreshing way to to 
look at it doing it left to right as opposed to uh, bottom to top. That was certainly a, a different way to uh, do it. Yeah, and having the fact that nothing moves until you're within three lanes of it type thing. So the, you know, the, the logs and stuff are not moving at the beginning, just the cars, and then you just move, the cars start to stop moving, and then the river stuff picks up because I don't think he had enough CPU time because of the way he did it to uh, keep everything going at once without running too slow. I, th I think Bryza had the best description of the game. What you was that? Have to watch the replay. Oh, okay, what were they smoking when they made this? <laughs> <laughs> what were they on when they made this? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's not the worst Frogger uh, implementation I've seen, but it definitely is not exactly uh, a AAA title. It's got what I would call a unique hitbox. Yes. <laughs> there is a decent Frogger clone trying to get out there. I mean, it is definitely a good down start. in there somewhere. Yeah, same with the frog, too. The frog, the uh, the keyboard controls are a bit sloppy. It, it kind of has delays and stuff, too. But visually, it's it's one of the best ones. Yeah couple more revisions and it would have been a uh, good game or great game so <clears throat> but oh yeah we had eight people playing uh thursday yay that's that's our highest in a couple months now so hopefully this Thursday we'll get nine or even 12. That'd be awesome. So any more comments about the uh, Game on Challenge Live? Well, other than somebody snuck an Atari game in. Hey, hey, hey. We needed a benchmark standard to compare against. Uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, I was going to ask people, because Frogger was one of the very few licensed third-party games for the Coco 1 and 2 back in the day, I was just wondering, what did people think of the official one versus any of the other ones? Did they think it was worthy of the licensing title? Take into consideration, it works keyboard and joystick and runs on a 16K Coco 1 or 2. I actually which thought it was the, a pretty good version. Um, which, which one's the yellow one? The that's one. the one he's talking that's about. That's the uh, official oh, okay. version, yeah, one with like the yellow that. road. I think that's the best one. Yeah, that is, uh, apart from mine, uh, yeah, that is the best <laughs> one. <laughs> it's Nick's good. modesty I love the most. I like <laughs> Nick's alligators or whatever he's got in there. Crocodiles. Yeah. yeah. The only thing Nick's that... modesty. I don't think I've ever heard it. <laughs> it's kind of an oxymoron <laughs> thing, I think. Uh... Yeah, Sometimes he leaves it in his Ferrari. Just let just let Nick tell you how modest he is. <laughs> yeah, no, have you got another two hours? Now, please take into consideration that Nick's version was written about forty years after the first one. Um, the only hmm. thing that I really don't dislike about uh, Jumping Joey is the second section with the um, with the, the cattle, cattle yard. yard. Yeah, the gates in the cattle yard. It's Frogger is supposed to be a, a, a fast action paced, a fast paced action game. And because of the timing and how you have to do that part, 
it really slows it down and it's mm. it's a low point and otherwise a great game. See, I have to disagree because if you hold down the key for key repeat and you can motor through as fast as you can to try to not have to wait for stuff, um, you can get through that screen in like a couple seconds. Yeah, it is pretty yeah. quick. Certain times, yes. Other times you have well, to. Well, yeah, well, you can't just, just run through blindly. You've got to sort of uh, think a little bit. But yeah, when you, get an open, when you get an open path, you can just fly through it. Yeah. yeah. But unfortunately, I don't seem to get those open paths very much. What you're it's kind of like something. when you get to later ver or later levels of Frogger where you got the snake coming across the central path. Sometimes you have to sit there and wait, you know, following a truck or something until the snake passes by, and then you can get on the logs because you just don't have yeah, any time yeah. to... There's waiting in all of them, even the other levels. Yeah. So I don't but... think that's a val valid uh, complaint. <laughs> it, it is an extra level, so that yeah. that is a plus. It's but one yeah, third more favorite. of a game than the other versions of Frogger. The other thing yeah. disappointing for me with Nick's uh, one is it wasn't quite as high res as Rail Runner in the other well, graphics entry in the category here. Well, it used uh, SG24. I used SG8. <laughs> Once we found out about the handcarts, Rail Runner was just wicked fun. Yeah. yeah, actually, I'm glad Ken uh, let that little secret out. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if you're yeah. playing Rail Runner, the handcarts do not kill you, only the uh, train engines do. Run right through them. You can run right through them. I didn't notice whether, I don't know if you lose any <laughs> points or not if they hit you, but. I don't believe so. Is, yeah, is, that, what, that, way. is that what they call a bug? No, I no, think it was no, planned that way. Honestly, designed that way. It's an undisclosed yeah. feature. No, I'd have to find the the review from Rainbow. But actually, after Ken had mentioned, I kind of faintly remembered. I think they actually mentioned that in the review because we haven't got a copy of the manual in the archive. That's a that's actually designed that way. Or so they say. <laughs> All right. Well, next Thursday. We are going to be playing during the live game on challenge. We'll be playing again any version of uh, Frogger that you want to finish Frogger. Before uh, yes, yeah. I think Rainbow version? Roach hasn't had representation yet, so that's one you could add into the list, uh, as well as some of the other you know hey, text-based low-res ones. Don't tell people. Don't tell people. I've got enough on my plate already. I can write one. Jeez, come on. I'm going to get it up to at least a baker's dozen for Ken to have to wade through here this next week. So. <laughs> And uh, because this is the uh, tribute to Steve Bjork um, game on or uh, show this week, we are going to play one of his games. Ooh. And which one? Which one? Drum roll, please. Super Pitfall. Now, is... in this case, we are allowing the 639 Stockmaster optimized version as well, I'm presuming. I guess so. It does. As long as it's not one that has uh, unlimited lives. No. It's faster, right? I think there there is a it's there a is faster, a mode yeah. you can play that there's unlimited lives. It's the explorer mode, I think. Yeah. No, we don't definitely the, want that. So it's just it's on the easy mode, not the explorer mode. So because yes, the frame rate was, on the uh, six or nine version is about double the original, so that'll definitely make it easier to. Play it. As you've heard multiple people mention, it does run a bit slow. Yeah. So 
Well, if you're running an emulator, you can just clock it right up anyway. Now, um, something I was going to mention, Curtis, because I saw you have a copy of it, is Mind Out. Uh, there's no copy of that on the archive. Is there? I couldn't. I there's the, the instruction manual is on the archive, but I didn't find the program anywhere. Okay. Hopefully it's not a copper protected one because I don't have a crease weasel anymore. I don't um, know if I have time to go through we, and figure it out by hand. If only you, we knew somebody that had a weasel. grease weasel. Yeah, someone just <laughs> had the tech. Tell you what, Mr. David Ladd, if, uh, if you bring your grease weasel again to Cocoa Fest and we haven't got it you know, handled by then, I will let you we'll scan that in and we'll get it going. Oh, you know I always carry a grease weasel with me. Unless maybe David Ladd has a copy of mine. Creepy. Uh, well, he's got uh, no, I too. do not. Actually, a couple of my Sundog games, the discs have been exposed to some heat and are damaged. So, yeah, those are not exactly um, working. So I don't have working copies of two of the Sundog games, sadly. So, yeah. Is there any Sundog games missing on the archive? Like Champions, is that on there yet? Because maybe I, we should make a list if I've got original discs for some of these, and I have, you know, probably about 100 original discs here. Uh, I might have some I can bring, and we can actually get them backed up and put on the archive. Kind of on the same subject, uh, speaking of original discs, I would really like to see if someone out there has one is willing to have it uh, grease-weaseled. Uh, uh, Mission F-16 Assault from uh, from DICOM have a uh, unmodified version since that uses the speech sound pack because the ones that are out there now have like crazy amount of lives and whatnot. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Who might have a website that could uh, record things like that that people might need? Well, if you guys can come on the list, I can't guarantee I've got everything because I don't. Um, but I do have about 100 originals. There's a fair bit of DICOM, Sundog, Steve Bjork, et cetera. So if there's anything that's missing in the archive or has corrupted copies on the archive, like you're mentioning there, Jason, compile a list, send it to me. I'll see what I have, and I will bring them down to the fest to get grease-weaseled. Oh, yes. Maybe some people will see your wanted list and have them. Yeah, share it, because I... I... You said that um, all those Coco discs that I got from you, Curtis, uh, that, that you'd gone through some of them, or I'd kind of done a first pass through of all of them. There was a few that would air out completely, at least on my okay. machine. Now my yeah. drive speed might be or alignment might be a little bit off. So I finally got time to actually start going through those. So I don't know if there's any programs in there that need to be uploaded to the archive. Yeah, I didn't right. have time to compare it with the archive, so I didn't really uh, check too closely as, as far as that goes. I was just seeing what was readable, what wasn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, if, you, if you're ever unsure, check the archive. And do a partial search, like pick one word of it, because some people will spell things slightly right. differently or put a dash or a space somewhere differently, yeah. and then it won't show up, and you'll think it's not there, and then you'll find it is. <clears throat> so do something like a substring search to, to search it on the archive. Yeah. Is it time for the news yet? Oh, I'm God, done. we got a lot of that, too. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to actually blister through some of these, and you'll get a screenshot of a video, and that's all you're going to see, because there's lots. Because we have two weeks of news here. You can reiterate next week and make it, yeah. We have a double interview next week, so that's going to just make it a long show, too. So <laughs> I don't <laughs> want three weeks of news one. next week. Trust me. So you're saying get, get a bigger pillow. Yep. Yeah. 
Oh, well, good night, Nick. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I'll fast, I'll fast track it today. All right. You All right, well, do I'm done the news, so dark. let's jump right into the game on news. Or I'm done the game on challenge. Let's jump into the game on news. I just want to see Curtis's hair uh, on fire again, and then I can take it now. It's coming. It's coming. Okay, so game on news. When you want the latest in TRS-80. All right, go ahead, Curtis. Oh, did the sound work or no? No, well, not for our headset, but I don't know what what happened. Everybody out there in Chatland, did you guys hear sound during that little intro? I'm kind of curious in case we need some other stuff with sound. Maybe it's not going to work. <laughs> um. Okay, now let's do this. Okay, go ahead. Now, now that I found what's going on with the sound. Okay, so game on news first, then I'll do cover the uh, upcoming show's schedule, and then we'll get onto the main news. But you can play your little break. We'll have a break before the main news because there's a lot. Uh oh. <clears> hey, <throat> okay, so first of all, Tim and AJ, and Tim was actually on earlier. Too bad he had to leave early. Uh, but their episode of My Drunk Sibling they released a while ago, not this yesterday episode, but the previous weeks. Uh, so episode 114 is covering uh, Panzer on the Cocoa. I don't know how many people here have played this. It's a two-player game for the most part, and it's one of the ones that was put out on TND software. And it's actually kind of a fun game to, uh, to play, especially with two players. So I'll play a teeny little clip and kind of get an idea what it is. AJ, this is my brother Tim, and we're going to play... That's preamble. I'll skip ahead a bit game. here. So many people hate it, but I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it. So just to give you an idea, the left player and the right player, the blue and red tanks on the very far outside are trying to kill each other, just like a lot of these standard games uh, that did this kind of thing. You have this road in the middle and you're supposed to not shoot stuff like ambulances or <laughs> motorbikes or whatever. But you also have secondary tanks that come in that are computer controlled that are outside the road, but they will actually try to shoot you. So you're not only playing against the other player, you have to keep track of these other computer control tanks on top of it. Plus, try not to kill any of the innocent civilians in the middle track because you will lose points when that happens. So as, as Tim and AJ both mentioned, as they play the game more and more, there's a lot to keep track of. This will keep your brain going. I wouldn't recommend to do this on a my drunk sibling because if you're drunk, you're going to suck at this game. <laughs> but anyway, it's a it's a good, good video. It's a lot of fun. Maybe we should have this as a head-on challenge at the at the fest here. <clears throat> Hey, Jim Gary uh, is the main reason that the game news is so long because he put out about 4,000 different games this week. Um, so I'll, I'm just going to basically show screenshots on most of these here. So the first one here is called The Night of the Vampire Bunnies. And this was originally written by uh, Jason or, yeah, Jason Dyer in the 1980s in PC Basic. Uh, and this was from the old Text Adventures blog project. So he's converted that and it's a text adventure. So the screen kind of shows everything you need to know. Next one is Journey to the Center of the Earth, originally by Greg Hassett in 1978. 
Um, and this is a text-based game that Jim has added a little um, graphical intro here uh, for the MC10 semi-graphics for. So let's fast forward a bit. Is that a parrot? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or a lava pit, maybe. I do not think it's a parrot. It is a nice parrot. And it's another, <laughs> excuse me, well-presented text adventure game. Next up is another text adventure game. This is called The Treasure of Elgon Adventure by Keith Hawthorne originally. I do like the nice little mixing of actual text and a little bit of semi-graphics to make a, a nice bolder presentation of the title screen. Um, this was also on the, the VZ200, 300, ZX Spectrum, and the Microbee. That makes it almost sound like this is an Australian game because aren't all of those in Australia, Nick? Yes, yeah, they are. I mean, Spectrum obviously was in, in the UK, but the Microbee and the VZ200, 300, which we yeah, should mention right. actually used a, a VDG chip. So it, it's the same graphics chip as the Coca 1 and 2, though it used as a Z80. That's right. And he actually did a whole, uh, this is an entry from the uh, Interactive Fiction database. So this is a game that's been covered on their site. It has a bit of a description and also mentions what the other ports were and ratings, et cetera. Et cetera. So if you want a bit of history behind the game there, you can get that from the website. Well, links are all in the show notes you can get on YouTube, which I are on Discord, which I have uploaded now, finally, Mark. I'm just downloading it now. <laughs> Next one is called The High Mountains, originally by Paul Brathwaite in 1984. And this was on uh, ZX Spectrum originally. And it first appeared in the Personal Computer News Magazine number 79. Now, if I remember correctly, that particular magazine in the UK was actually a cross-platform one. So they had a Dragon section, a Spectrum section, a uh, Commodore 64 section, etc. Um, this is a multiplayer text adventure game. Uh, it's loosely based on John Christopher's Tripods trilogy of books. Um, Jim added the intro screen that you're kind of seeing a screenshot of here. And this is a full walkthrough. So if you don't want to get spoilers, don't watch this video all the way through because he actually plays it from beginning to end. But the, the fact that it's a multiplayer and it prompts you how many players you want at the beginning and you enter the names of each of them. Now, his demo here only does a single player, so I'm not exactly sure how the multiplayer works. And I haven't had a chance to download and try it. But that sounds intriguing, having a multiplayer simultaneous text adventure game with one keyboard. I don't know how they exactly did that. So I'd be curious if anybody gets a chance to try this over the next week, maybe report back next week and let us know. Must be turn-taking. Right. Yeah, I would imagine. <clears throat> uh, next up, Oh Jello by Claude Perkins. Originally nineteen eighty two. Now, this is one that he's actually done before fairly recently. We covered it. Um, but his son came home for Christmas holidays and they discovered a bit of a bug in it. So we, they went in to go fix it. And they're not sure this bug was might have been in the original one that he ported it from. But now it plays more, much more intelligent. He's more challenging for the human player. And this is basically a fellow clone that actually fits in 4K of RAM. So it's uh, it's a bit more challenging. It was too easy to win before. And then he's got a better blog post. And if you scroll down here, the addendum, he goes through how the original program worked with weighting of the moves in the different spots here and then how they changed it to make it more challenging. So if you want some behind-the-scenes baseball on that one, you can. Uh, next up, we also have another, it's another Jim Gary one. So this one's called New York, New York. And uh, this is written by Hal Ranko and Sam Edwards in the book, Terrific Games for Your Tandy Color. This is a UK-based book. And uh, David Mitchell, uh, Davies Corner on YouTube, is the one who ported it to uh, the Dragon and, and has it available there. And then Jim ported it literally the day after to the MC-10. So there's multiple versions of this one. But it's, uh, as, as one person put in the comments, it kind of reminds them a little bit of Poltergeist. I haven't had a chance to play it to get the full details of the gameplay here. 
Um, but it does kind of remind you a little bit of the first level, though much slower, of a poltergeist going between houses and you got cars and stuff. And this is what the Cocoa version that Davey had ported the day before looks like. Which is basically the same thing. And if you want the source code for the Coco Dragon version of you can go get it on uh, Davey's website, uh, the Staff Spaniel on GitHub, Retro Corner Redux. And he's got all of the stuff he's poured. We've covered a few of these before. And he's got the uh, actual source code here you can actually download and take a look at. Uh, next up after that, he also updated, uh, this is Jim Gary again, uh, updated his Chess C4 program, modifying the semi-graphics for to make the pieces a bit more distinguishable. So basically the graphics of the two sides here is a little bit more unique, I guess, between the pieces. And a little bit easier to figure out what you're playing with as, as far as, you know, what piece you're doing. Is this a pawn? Is this a rook? Is this a knight? Et cetera. So basically a visual tweak to it. Other than going K for the king, it's pretty good. Yeah. Because I think the original one, it <clears throat> because he's only using like a, a three by three pixel to try to designate all the different pieces. Right. That's a challenge. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, yeah, that was probably just the easy way because otherwise the king and the queen would look pretty well identical. Yeah, no, that's good. That's a good compromise. Next up, a site called Arcade Games did a couple of super games for a particular platform. So they did two that are concerned of us. First one is 50 uh, super games on the Coco, and then he has 25 on the Dragon. Now, it's a bit unfortunate. Like, they just show them. They don't even tell you what the titles are. They just show little clips of them. And you can tell the guy's never played these before, never read the instructions. So, you know, he's he's doing things completely wrong in quite a few of the games. So it's it's not the best videos, but it does, you know, show some gameplay. And there's a few there that are a bit rarer, especially on the Dragon. Um, so, like I said, because we've got so much news to cover here, I'm not going to play them here. You can definitely get the links from the show notes. Um, but he did 50 for the dragon or 50 for the Coco and they did 25 for the dragon. Um, then you can see like some of the stuff, you know, losing the artifacting being in the UK with pal, but cover some of the other ones like shell and master and some others too. So there's some good games in here, uh, poorly played <laughs> and with no context, like, and it doesn't tell you the title. So if you don't know what the game is, I don't know how you'd go find it. It's just, it gives you an idea what's there. Next up after that, uh, Nostalgia Vault on YouTube posted a video uh, showing Glenn Hewlett's Pac-Man transcode for the Coco 3, which he's quite impressed with. Um, and it's, uh, you know, basically a, a straight transcode of the original, I think it's Z80 for the, or Z80 for the uh, original Pac-Man in the arcade. And this one here is, 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 it adapts to the fact that the screen is taller on the arcade camera because it's a 240 pixel high screen. Uh, it does the vertical scrolling to actually adjust and kind of follows you around. Um, personally, myself, I prefer Nick's method where he just kind of did the 225, but then he shoved the score and stuff off to the side so that it would still fit, you know, with a correct ratio of the pixels type thing. Just use some of the the wider screen to cover that stuff. But uh, and this one, this one's actual arcade logic. So, I mean, if you're good at the original Pac-Man and you can make it to the kill screen, you can do it the same way here because it's literally a transcode of the original code in the arcade. And he also did a Cookie Monsters Letter Crunch. Um which is actually uh, a, kind of a cute game. I didn't mind this one, uh, you know, for seeing what what some of the young children's games were like. Uh, this is a Coco 1 and 2 one from uh, the Children's Computer Workshop. James Diffendaffer, known as Phantom 8-Bit on YouTube, has done an uh, update video 
quickly here of where his uh, chess program for the MC10, 16K RAM expansion or higher required, uh, which is basically using equipment of P1 graphics. So he's got a bit more room. You can actually tell the different pieces apart. And right now he's just got a demo uh, that shows the, the blade of the board and then how the entry of how you're moving is going to go. So I'll just play a little quick clip. I won't even play the whole one minute here. Let's skip the loading screen. Of course, he's emulating it here, so you see a little cursor there. But basically, you punch in your from two coordinates, and it's not currently doing that yet, but uh, that's how the entry will be. Nice. And I believe this is going to be a one-player game against the computer. Next up, and this was kind of curious. Apparently, there's um, some more uh, high-score competitions going Dragon Games, and there was two people, ZX, Frankie, this particular video here, and then another one I'll show you in a second here called TGP High Score Runs, and we have covered his before, are both trying to go for records on Grid Runner. Um, and Grid Runner is a game that was done by uh, Jeff Minder, I think. He's quite famous for doing quite a few games, but this is one of the few he did for the Dragon of the Coco back in the day. Um, and it's a port from other machines that have the same one, so this is a cross-platform. Why he picked the pastel set, I'm still not sure, but that's what he did. So hey, he, this uh, ZX Frankie got 43,110 points on his playthrough. And uh, TP High School Runs got 34,460, so he's currently in second. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have played this game on any of the other platforms, too, because it's also on the Spectrum and some others as well. C64, I believe, has one as well, too. Uh, but it's one of Jeff Minder's earliest games and uh, one of the few reported to our platforms. So uh, I know they were mentioning in the Bruce and Jacob Moore video about doing you know a high score competition with Rampage. Uh, well, if you want to get one that you know you're going to have some competition against here, uh, this is a good one to pick there because there's at least two other people that submitted scores. Next up, uh, Matt Dar uh, on the Coco Facebook group posted a small game he wrote using low res graphics. Uh, he's currently going working his way through the basic manuals, actually. And uh, he did two videos the last couple of weeks. Uh, this one here is the second one. So the first one was basically just green. The, I think the blue buildings were still blue, but there was no color in the rest of the screen. It was basically just green and black. And you basically are trying to catch these things falling from the sky. This is the second revision he did where he added some color. And uh, I'll just do a quick little demo here. Put volume down a bit. So basically, you dodge the rectangular shapes. I get that on the frame, and catch the other ones as they're spinning, and not let them hit to the ground. So um, pretty, pretty cool. He's just going through the basic manuals. He already made his own game, which once again proves what many of us said: the basic manuals for the Coco were probably one of the best on the planet ever done. And uh, this is another video by uh, Matt on the Facebook group as well. It's a very simple minefield style game. And once again, just from going through the basic manuals. Oops, he's got a Coco SDC, so. So basically it's using audio tones to indicate if you're getting close to a mine that you can't see and you're trying to get your X across to meet the zero. So we get a low tone like this, it's going, no mine here. Now I'm near a mine. Now you got to try to use audio cues to figure out which direction you can go to avoid the mine. That's a, that's a cute little game too. Cool. 
Uh, next up, Richard Kelly. So he posted a new 4K puzzle game he calls Fuzzy Switches, or Fussy Switches, I should say. Um, he explains the rules in the poster, which we're showing on screen. I'll briefly read a little bit of it here before we go on to the next one. Um, but he mentions it's a redo of a game called Grumps that originally appeared in TND Software number 81. And uh, he mentioned uh, also that it's actually, that is based on an earlier game itself that was called Chinese Rings, which I'm not familiar with. But just to read his uh, little description here for the audio listeners. Fussy Switches is a 4K puzzle game. Fussy is right. All the switches are down. It's your job to flip them up. Now, these switches, if you want to flip them downward, they do so without resistance. But when you want to switch one of them upwards, that's when things get complicated. From left to right, the switches are numbered. Switch number eight, it only flips up when one of the other switches is up. As for the rest, they'll only work when the switch immediately to the right of it is down. But every other switch is beyond has to be up. So basically, there's a bit of logic in stuff you have to figure out, which is why I'm going to suck at this game. This game runs on every Coco, even a 4K machine. Minimum moves to win is 32. And then he mentions where the origins of the game are. And he does have a screenshot, I think, in here in the comments. If I can find yeah, here. So here's a picture of the winning screen. Anyway, it's available for download on the Coco Facebook group. So if you want to go grab it from the files section, you can grab it and give it a shot. And this one's a fun one. Uh, I don't know if Dale's or uh, Rick Adams uh, watching the show right now or if he'll catch it later. But uh, <laughs> Michael Klein says a few months ago or so, I finally won my first game on Shanghai. I never beat it back in the day. Tonight, I got to see the dragon for the second time. So we decided to actually record it. And this I've, I've seen it a few times. And this is one of the things where, you know, Rick himself was a bit disappointed because Tandy wouldn't let him go past the 16K ROM size or was it 32K ROM size like, you know, Greg Subwalt did on some of his games. And he didn't have enough room, even with compression, to fit the whole dragon uh, like the Amiga version and stuff had. So for those of you who have never seen it, because this is not the easiest game to win, uh, I will just play this little clip. Hey, guys, here it is. I have only ever won Shanghai one time in my entire life, and that was probably a few months ago. So here's the winning moves, and here's the dragon. Take out the threes. Take out the sixes. A little bit of pal animations, a bit of a crackling sound. I will mention Rick Adams himself commented. He says, what is that orange lines that are appearing on the dragon's head? Because that's not in the cartridge version. He was wondering if he was running in an emulator. <clears throat> but I think one of the cracked versions of was copied off of the... Uh, cartridge to run it off disk i think might have introduced that too i can't remember what the exact so explanation was copied the last 128 bytes after the end of the graphic to the end of the possibly ROM. but i think the graphic was actually mm -hmm. compressed because i know rick was trying his damnedest right. to put in as much of the dragon graphic as he could to fit on the rom card to fit on the particular rom size that tandy limited him to but i, I know it works mm -hmm. properly and it doesn't have this on the os9 port that we have so but it's still just chopped off in the middle of the head right or well, that even the original does that because he ran out of room to fit it. Well, right, I understand. Yeah, okay. And the last game on news, John Whitworth posted a Dragon VDK image that contains Fox and Hound from the August 1983 issue of C and VG magazine. At least I think it's a game. I didn't get a chance to actually check it. Um, I presume by that kind of a name. I mean, I have a bard nearby named the same thing here, but uh, I'm assuming that's a game. 
but that's early on. I mean, if it's uh, August of 83, that's only a year after the Dragon was released. So I, the Dragon 64 might have just been coming out at this point. Anyway, that's the uh, game on news. So I'm going to. When you want the latest in TRS 80, Tandy, Dragon, MC 10, and all of their hardware cousins. No matter what it takes. Or where news breaks. From around the world. To your nation. The Coco Nation News. With L. Curtis Boyle. Uh, my finger fell asleep and hit the button. <laughs> Okay, so before we get to the news, uh, first is to go through the uh, interview schedules and uh, upcoming shows. So the interview schedule next week, two special guests, Doug Mastin and Glenn Dahlgren. Glenn will be in the role of being a co-interviewer because uh, uh, he ended up uh, helping coordinate the project of the Contras by Doug Mastin. And we'll go through the history of that. And as I've mentioned before on previous episodes, if you were at Coco Fences last year, you probably saw some of the artwork that uh, Doug had brought of the original sketches and stuff he did for actually designing the game on paper. So hopefully we'll see some of that during the actual show as well. But uh, it'll be uh, Glenn and the rest of us interviewing Doug about uh, the Contras and also what he's doing these days. On January 20th, uh, Henry will be on uh, as our interview guest. Yep. All right. Henry on our panel right now. And he's, of course, been starting his new YouTube channel, The Break Key, where he's been doing all kinds of Coco stuff. And we'll be covering a bit of that in the news here because he's released a few over the last couple of weeks. Um, I will also mention, I don't think Brian Weiser, is he still on the call? I think he had to go. Yeah, I think he had to go. But uh, in between the Doug Mastin, Glenn Dahlgren interview and the Henry interview, so that would be January the 13th, um, he's going to have a bit of a special presentation and it'll also be a bit of a teaser to come out to Coco Fest this year in 2025. You really white might want to come out to that one. It's going to be special. 2025? Oh, sorry, 2024. <laughs> <laughs> Looking ahead. Uh, okay, and then on January 27th, uh, this is a date change from the original. Uh, Glenn Dalgren will be coming back, and this is uh, about kind of promoting his final book in this Chaos series, the fourth book. And he's also hoping to find some Coco-related stuff, uh, basically, you know, some of the handwritten diagrams and charts, et cetera, that he did for all the games he did with Sundog. So kind of a, be a double double episode there, too. So those are the interviews coming up. Next, after that, we have what kind of shows are coming up. So bring that up. First up is the uh, Vintage Computer Festival SoCal, Southern California. This is in Orange, California, February 17th to the 18th at the Hotel Fair Events Center. Um, I have not been to this one. I haven't been to any VCFs, actually. Um, but we're hoping to get some Coco people out there to help represent the Coco. Uh, I know Wayne Campbell's going to try to make it out to that one himself. So that's the first one. Next one, they've actually announced the dates now. Uh, registration stuff will be opening in January, uh, so it's not open yet. But this is the Interim Computer Festival, March 23rd to 24th in the Pacific Northwest area. I think this is, is this Portland? I keep forgetting because they don't ever put it on their stupid site. Mark? Seattle. Seattle. Oh, it does say Seattle up there. Sorry, I lied. Yes, it does. It says Seattle. <laughs> it's in the old Rainier Brewery building. 
which is right along the freeway. Okay. And yeah, I think you've mentioned before, this is one you're going to try to make yourself if you can. Yeah, I am. I tried going this last year, but stuff came up. So plan on going okay. this time. Okay. And next one is the big one for us in the Coca community, the 32nd annual last Chicago Coca Fest on the first weekend of May. May 4th to 5th in Carroll Stream, near Chicago and the Holiday Inn Suites. And this is one where there will be some special stuff happening, uh, some stuff that has never been seen by the general Coca community before. Uh, some pretty awesome displays. There's some going to be some pretty cool stuff in the auction as well. I know I'm bringing a box of stuff myself for the auction. Um, be there, be square. But uh, we'll be given some uh, more concrete uh, showings of what we're going to be bringing to it to show in person on uh, when Brian Weiser is going to be on as a special on the uh, January 13th show. So make sure you're here on January 13th to get, get an idea what's coming, but it might help entice some people that are kind of on the fence if they want to make it to Coco Fest or not. No, you, you really should go to this one if you possibly can. Yep. And I just want to make a couple announcements real quick. If you don't sure. mind. So just let you know, uh, I have, uh, start, we've started testing the registration link. So that will be going live, hopefully either next week or the week after at the very latest. So, be looking for that here very shortly so that's where you registered for tables and so forth um, okay. so basically everything is staying the same the only thing that increased the prices was two dollars for the dinner everything else is staying the same um, so if we do run out of tables just to let you know uh, we have been granted by the hotel we can oh, uh, put tables in the hallway if we need to do so 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 that's okay because our tables were fairly used well used this last year weren't they that is correct. And I also increased the numbers from two to three this year, too, because there was a few people that wanted to have uh, extra tables. So. Cool. so I want about... a couple of bigger ones, but I don't want them in the parking lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we, like won't BCF. The, we won't be putting them in the parking lot. That'll be in the hallway of the hotel. So the only downside is that you'll if you use one of those tables, if, if we run out of tables, you just have to make sure you put this stuff back into the locked room or take it back to your own personal room. So we must but, discuss uh, the map. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so things will be going pretty quickly here because January is the week, uh, the month I start uh, working on this pretty pretty uh, hard. So uh, so presentations, if you want to get presentations, we'll be uh, getting and limited today. time for presentations this time because we're not doing them on Sunday. So. Exactly. Yep. Because oh, Sundays right. we're going to be pretty much open. I think we'll have a Glenside meeting, and that's pretty much it. Everything will be uh, you know free for all for people to finish up their projects and purchase stuff from the vendors and stuff like that. So. Sunday's going to be a light day, so which will be a good thing because that's what that's more cool. people seem more people seem to want that. So, yeah, and we should mention again, as we mentioned earlier in the show, for those who are joining late or fell asleep during that time, um, we are doing a virtual Coco Fest as well. So, if you have presentations, um, first of all, if you can't make it to the Coco Fest itself, well, you can do a virtual presentation on the virtual day. You're first in line, actually. <laughs> yeah, preferential treatment. <laughs> Uh, but it basically, if, if, if it fills up too fast and you can't get in, maybe consider doing the virtual one. Now, when is that again, Mark? Uh, it'll be the 27th and 28th. So we're going to have to wrap it around uh, Glenn Dahlgren's uh, slot. That's, okay. That'll be fine. Yeah. So, or we can do an evening type thing, too, you know, just after well, the show's I'm, over. I'm planning, on, I'm planning on starting pretty early, probably, well, probably about 1,500 uh, UTC, uh, three in the afternoon, basically. Uh, and then go till basically just before uh, we would normally have Coco, um, the Coco Nation, and then you know carve out two or three hours, and then pick up after that if somebody's interested, and also be available Sunday for the same time period. Okay. So, so for those people in the, 
So for those people in uh, Europe and uh, Australia, there'll be available time slots. Yes, uh, I'm trying to start fairly early, so they'd be there at late afternoon for uh, Europe, and it'd be go clear till it'd be you know early morning, seven a.m. or so. You know. So what time uh, is that? Central Coast. time. So yeah, like Central Nation minus two or what? Uh, no, I'm thinking more like uh, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd be willing. I'm on the West Coast. I'm UTC minus eight. But from your normal Cocoa Nation time, um, we normally start at two p.m. Eastern. So what would it be relative to that? Well, that's eleven a.m. my time, and I'm thinking maybe uh, uh, five hours before that, six hours before that. Okay, so nine so, nine nine a.m. Eastern. So, so they're gonna. It's gonna be a breakfast so show. Three hours mm-hmm. before Cocoa Nation. Oh, my, right. more five like hours six before. Hours. Five hours. Five before to six hours before. Okay. Yep. Okay, so you're saying then that would be seven o'clock Central Time. Mm, yeah. In the morning. In the morning. Hey. It would be like five o'clock in the morning your time. Yeah. Well, I usually get up at five in the morning because I have day job that I have to be too. So. All right. So hey, Mark, be, have fun with be that hard one. for me. <laughs> won't be hard for me. It'll just be getting up like I normally do. Oh, uh, definitely be easy, easier for the European uh, people for sure. That Nick, what time I'm would doing. that be for you, though? I'm kind of curious for the Australians. Five <laughs> hours before we normally start. Halfway to Tuesday. <laughs> if, he st- if he starts out at four in the morning, that would be more like 11 p.m. at night. I think yeah, it's which like I... Tuesday of next week is when that is in Australia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and of course, well, he already like... fell asleep, so we can't get an answer to him. But right, right. like I said, I'm I'm willing to stretch it into the late afternoon here, which should be, you know, eh, yeah, you know, what we're usually done by what seven a.m. next time. So, you know. So, and, and Mark, have you gotten any speakers that we can announce yet? That have no, I, I haven't really posted any uh, anything really visual. Just talked about it. So, I do have a, a email address. I have a Coco Tech at thecocoNation dot com that will, uh, you know, basically if you're interested, send an email to me. And uh, like I said, I don't have anybody slotted down yet. But if you're interested, let me know. And like I said, uh, 27th, 28th, our time. So it'll be that weekend, basically, last weekend in January. So tell me tell me if you're interested and when you might be available. And I'll set up a, a, a spreadsheet with uh, basically slots so and get that posted. I'll probably use our, our calendar that shows up on the Cocoa Nation website so you can see where, where people have been slotted in. So, but nothing so far. Okay. I should have gotten this a month ago and then I was kind of not got together and then I've been sick the last two weeks. So now it's now. So <laughs> I'm sure we anyway. have plenty of people to talk. Yep. I'm hoping That's so. Never a problem with this show. It, it won't be because I, I talk too much on the show already. So it won't be. <laughs> no comment. Oh, anyway. <laughs> that oh, was I appreciate, I, re- I appreciate every bit that you do, Curtis. I do. Are Everybody, you, you, show. you appreciate when the laryngitis sets in on me. That's what you appreciate. Are we going to advertise the um, virtual elevator show in there? Oh, the virtual elevator. Virtual elevator. <laughs> no, I think we just need a video game made out of it. <laughs> yeah, that that's good. That would yeah. work. And speaking of video games, the next Boat Fest, the third annual Boat Fest, June fourteenth to sixteenth, twenty twenty four, at the Social Event Space in Hurricane, West Virginia. This is a retro gaming expo, though there's you know some computer stuff going on. I mean, obviously computers play games too. So there's tons of that, but there's even some hardware stuff to demonstrate. Uh, hard repairs because uh, Frank from Retro Rewind and some of the other Retro Rewind guys will be there to repairs on Cocos and Commodores, whatever you want. Um, it's a lot of fun. Ken and I have been to it before. Um, a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, Coco definitely has a representation there as well. 
Is that the so, same location as last year? Uh, no, it's uh, no. about two blocks away. <laughs> okay. No scary scares this yeah, year. The, the, the location that we used last year actually has basically been condemned, and they're, it's not open anymore. <laughs> oh, wow. So it was scary stairs. Oh, yeah, it was. It was, it was, it was a, a place that had been kind of abandoned for a while, and then you know we got use of it, but it's... Yeah, the floor is crooked. Yeah, that's it's 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 at a newer, much better conditioned place, and it's literally within eyesight of the original one. So if you you were there last year, you can literally just walk to where it was. Vote so first, br- all plugs out. <laughs> so bringing the video games up to that second floor broke beams. Yep, uh, you don't need to worry about that this year. It's it's on the main ground floor this time, so no no trekking stuff up the stairs. And that exact same weekend, and I was hoping I could actually make it to this one instead of Boat Fest, but I was taking a look, and I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. So I think I'm probably going to end up going to Boat Fest again this year. And then the year after, I'm going to try to make it to VCF Southwest, which is too bad because some of the Tandy guys, because, of course, the VCF uh, Southwest is in Dallas at the University of Texas, June 14th to 16th, same week as Boat Fest. But a lot of the Tandy guys that still live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area are planning on doing a bit of a get-together from what I've been understanding reading the Tears Eddie Discord. So there's going to be a kind of a you know gathering of, of, of the people involved with you know, Tears Eddie Mode 1, 2, 3, Coco, et cetera, coming together. And I would really like to make this because, I mean, those those guys are getting old too, and they're not going to be around long enough or long in the future for interviews, asking questions, et cetera, too. So uh, the fact that I can't don't think I can make it this year, I'm definitely going to make sure I make it the year after. Um, right when I lived in Dallas, they didn't do anything. I moved to Milwaukee, and now there's all kinds of cool stuff in Dallas. Well, to be honest, VCF Southwest was shut down for like a decade, and it just came back this last year. So, um, how long ago did you move to Wisconsin? It's been quite a while because I think you're oh, in Wisconsin man, yeah. during Coco Fest. So it was in the early '90s. So yeah, there was nothing going on in Dallas, and uh, I moved to Wisconsin, and all of a sudden everything happened in Dallas. And yeah, I'm disappointed. Yeah, move back. <laughs> uh, it's really hot and expensive. <laughs> yeah, hey, no, no sales tax. I mean, no uh, income tax, though. Well, I got no income, so. <laughs> yeah, you got that beat. <laughs> <laughs> Fooled them. At any rate, uh, this is a, a show that just came back last year. We do have Coco representation there already. Brendan Donahue of Coco VGA fame actually exhibited this past one. And I think it was one of the two other people there too. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one I, w- I do plan on making it to because of the the history of the Tandy people that are there, including Mark Siegel. He actually popped by last year as well. So unless a miracle happens and, and things change for me, I probably cannot make it this year, but uh, I'm definitely going to make it for 2025. So uh, Mark Siegel, mark that on your calendar. I'll want to visit with you in person in 2025 there. And maybe if a miracle happens, maybe this year, but it doesn't look like it. Anyway, that's all the upcoming shows that I have uh, details on. So I will stop that here and then switch over to the main news, which is going to be freaking huge. So I will blister through this. And long too, right? <laughs> so is Frederick still on the call? Yes, he is. Um, I, I won't play this right now. I'll just mute it if you want to kind of just give a description of what this video is about and what the whole series is going to be about for those who don't know. Oh, you're muted. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't aware I had to say something about this, but basically uh, this new series is about the uh, 6309E, to be precise, 
about building a homebrew computer. Uh, it's going to be Coco-ish in a sense because I do want to try to run a, um, an OS on it. Um, but uh, it's um, still in development stage. Uh, a lot of it is in my head and on paper right now. Uh, I've started to create uh, the second episode. This is the first one. Uh, the second one is just the basics uh, of the um, circuitry to do a no-op test, a no-operation test to see if it, the CPU works. Uh, I did purchase some CPUs off eBay, very dangerous stuff, uh, but <laughs> it appears to uh, to run. I've, um, I've ran the no-op test on them, and it seems to, uh, to be perfect. Uh, the um, well, you're seeing images because I'm talking and saying a lot of things, and I'm trying to match things with whatever mm. I'm script uh, because I've scripted things basically. Uh, so basically, it's going to be a storyline. I was thinking of doing a tutorial, but I'm not going to do a tutorial. It's going to be more of a, a diary type of um, uh, video. So this is what i've done this is how i'm doing it and here's the result and it's going to be bite-sized chunk it's going to be uh uh short and sweet so i can have more going out and i can actually concentrate on the production and producing the uh the developing the computer where versus producing video content and that's what i was i had issues in the in the past two weeks what do i do how do i do things uh, am I going to spend two weeks editing a video or or just two days, you know, so, and actually and and not do a tutorial? So I, there was a back and forth in what I, how, like I, would, how I was going to do things. Kick it so, out. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, second episode is going to be what it is. And then I'm going to change and, uh, and uh, eventually uh, find the perfect fit so that everyone can follow along. Yeah, okay. It. So have you got a schedule for the second episode? I know you you kind of recorded one, you weren't too happy with it, and you're gonna yeah. you're redoing it's, it. So in, in a couple of days, second episode is going to come out within a week. Okay, cool. Yeah. And what what is your uh, YouTube channel? It's micro hobbyist, I think is what it says yeah, in the bottom exactly. there. Yeah. At micro hobbyist. So subscribe and you can follow along. I was gonna ask you, I don't know if you've decided oh. this yet, but you were talking on the, the first episode we we're kind of viewing here in the background that you were thinking of which way to go if you're going to make a single board computer, if you're going to have one with card slots. Have you decided on that yet? Uh, no, not yet. Uh, yeah. Probably cool. it's going to be card slot because it's going to give me some uh, some advantages, right? I can say, well, let's... And flexibility for the system as a whole. Recycle things. Video card. Yeah. If it, that doesn't work, let's change it, put something else. If I do a single board computer, then it's changed the whole thing. If I do uh, some uh, overhauling yeah. Is it worth anyway, looking at the old Motorola bus? The what is it, the SS50? Oh yeah. As a concept to just maybe fold in some old designs into your own work? Uh, yeah. Just not to stop the show, but <laughs> No, no, no. Uh it uh, yeah, it's true. I could do that, but I did um hold on. I don't know if you can see uh... Here, I'll stop sharing some Mark and Zoom you up here. Yeah. This is cool. Basically, I, I did do my own um, uh, backplane earlier on, and it's basically a um, AT-style uh, ISA bus. Okay. 
and they're still readily available, whereas other connectors. Okay, so that's just free. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so and it, it is uh, compatible. The holes are compatible for the uh, the um, to be put inside a um, ATX uh, case. Aye. Aye. I could do that too. Nice. No. But well also, done. you know, there's. I can use a power supply, a standard ATX power supply. I can use um, uh, probably, I don't know. I'm still debating if I should go that way or not. I mean, do you guys have any uh, preferences or ideas? I'm always open for suggestions. Okay. Do we have a Discord channel set up for you yet? Uh, I don't believe so. We should, yeah. Yeah. We have a single board 6809 channel, but not one specifically for this project. Has, has right. Ron created a Facebook group for this yet? Not yet. <laughs> no, we, we need those two items, and then we yeah. can move forward. I notice you have a lot of AI on your uh, video. Uh, I, I haven't used it yet. Oh, oops. Is that a lie? <laughs> it's, it looks nice. Yeah, I used a lot of images yeah. from uh, from AI just because uh, I, did not creative. I did not... Not I, I didn't want know what to put uh, for uh, B roll. For right. what it was now everyone needs that heavily produced B roll, and that's the way to get it. Except this yeah. show, we're traditional. We just wing oh, it. Yeah, we, we got no sticking yeah. B roll. <laughs> we don't, don't have intro graphics. We are the B roll. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the BS roll maybe. Yeah. Well, no, that would be above A, wouldn't it? Because A through F wasn't big enough. Someone call for put... BS roll. Yeah, it's no, the BS roll. Want some, uh, some D roll. Oh, you know, you know what they say about you know what they say about sports commentators? They got to keep talking until they can think of something to say. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And on radio, you can't have more than ten seconds uh, silence. Also, so Ooh, I think that's two. That five. Yeah. 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 That's a law, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, they yeah, get a fine. Empty seals, shut right down. Yeah, at the very least, highly recommended. Anyway, let's let's get off that tangent. Please. I got <laughs> lots of news on. to plow through here, and my voice isn't going to keep keep up too much. All right, so the next thing up in the news here is that for those of you that have gotten a Coco or a Coco SDC recently, um, there was uh, a feature that Guillaume has on the Co Color Computer Archive where he kind of compiles the entire lot of everything and makes a Coco SDC compatible zip file. And he hasn't done an update to one of those in a while, but he did release one on December the 17th. So update number seven. And I'm showing the notes here of it, but you can just take a look for the Cocoa SCC download. And basically he breaks down by type and what all has been added since the previous updates. So there's quite a few games and magazines and operating systems, et cetera, et cetera. And here you can see the cutoff for uh, update six was back in March 20th of 2022. So basically everything that's been added in since has now been added into this new one. So if you want a one-stop shop to get the entire library for the Cocoa SDC, uh, you can go in the Color Computer Archive and just take a search for that, and you should be able to find it. It's I can't remember how big. It's about 650 meg or something like that with everything included. But you can actually get the whole thing and basically update your entire Cocoa SDC library in one fell swoop. I think that includes bug-fixed versions, Six or nine optimized versions for the few of those that have been going out, et cetera. So you can get everything in one shot. Does anything ever get removed? Just a question. I think it just gets updated. Um, yeah, I think it just gets updated. For, for what it's worth, the main page of the Color Computer Archive has basically a, a calendar 
basically. And so December has that link. It's in the very first section. If you look at the main page. Oh, so you can go Easy back find, and see. Don't even have to search for it. Yeah. Next up, uh, Thomas Cherry Holmes actually did a, uh, a longer form video giving updates that he's been doing on his FujiNet port to the Coco, uh, including some of the hardware he's got to demonstrate here. Now, since we don't, I don't want to keep this going forever here, uh, and it's a seven and a half minute video, but he's been actually asking some questions. There's one recent question he's been asking. I don't think he's got too many answers from the uh, Coco group yet, and it's concerning using larger disk images. It's a compatibility problems. I haven't been able to follow it too close, but I'm hoping somebody in the panel has. Um, but basically, he's got the core hardware is basically working at this point. Does anybody have been following that question he had about the uh, larger disk images and see if he's got a resolving that? Um, I think he's mainly asking on, on FujiNet, they have slots they mount things into. So I was pushing for the virtual virtual disk because you want to be able to mount either you know a regular size floppy or a hard drive image. But yeah, I don't know where he's going with that exactly. Okay. How do they do it in the Apple, just out of curiosity? You know what? I don't have the Apple one, and I haven't been following it very long, very closely, so I don't know how they're doing it with that. Oh, okay. It's a kludge. Yeah, so who knows? Anyway, he's actually made a lot of progress over the last month on this, so that's good to see that happening. Next up, um, Rocky Hill, is Pedro Pena, uh, did a video on YouTube under his Rocky Hill account uh, called testing the Sam X4 6883 replacement on some of my Cocos. This is a design that Kieran has done to replace the Sam and Rocky was testing a lot of the Coco stuff because there's a lot of models of Coco 1s, Coco 2s with you know various changes etc. Whereas Kieran was basically he had one Coco he was testing it on and the rest was on Dragons. So actually they've been going back and forth and helping him fix bugs and getting it to run with 4K, 16K, 32K, 64K um, and I think they got most of that stuff is now fixed. And, and Pedro actually did a bit of a redesign of the board in, in this video. You can see it where you actually shrank it a bit so it fits better in the Coco case because it doesn't fit quite properly with Kieran's original one. It fits better in the Dragon, which is what Kieran was working off of. I think the only thing that does not work right now is it doesn't perform the same thing as a SAM doubler, like uh, Brendan Donnie has combined with Coco VJ, where you can actually run full double speed RAM and ROM, like the Coco 3 does, because that is an option with static RAM. Um, I don't know if Kieran's planning on trying to figure out how to do that. It would be kind of nice if he did, because it'd be a nice way to, you know, bolster up those. It does require a static RAM upgrade from what I understand. So you'll have to replace 64K or whatever you got in your machine. But as far as just replacing the SAM, which is a custom part that uh, Motorola did for Tandy, basically, um, at least we have a replacement for that now, too. So once if the Gimme X does get it back into production, as Ed has indicated he's planning on doing, and with the SAM replacement and plus this, the pepper chip and that camera with the other one was there's four chips that are basically customized between the Cocos that we couldn't get anywhere to replace if they blow up. Looks like we're, we're slowly filling in those gaps and uh, you'd be able to resurrect Cocos that you might think are totally dead. And here's Karen's um, where he's mentioning largely thanks to Pedro Pena testing my repeated hacking across his dizzying array of Cocos because he does have a lot of them. Uh, and now supports 4K and 16K DRAMs and the extra 16K mode in a 785 if you enable that. No PCB changes, details here. And here's a little mock-up of his version of it. And he's got that publicly available if you want to make your own type thing too. I don't know if he's in the chat right now or not. In case somebody has any questions. Uh, next up, the Coco Crew podcast put out a surprise episode for December. Uh, episode 98, you can see the show notes here, and you can also download the podcast itself at their cococrew.org website. Um, 
This one had three main discussions. It was mainly a discussion thing. It wasn't so much news or anything else. Um, one was wondering about Steve Bjork, and this was recorded before we found out he actually had passed away because it was speculation if uh, he had actually passed away or it was just selling stuff off. Um, now, I think if I remember correctly, Neil Blanchard at the very, very end did put a little add-on afterwards that said that we had confirmed that you know he'd passed away. So it was talking about some of the auction stuff and you know the fact that we should all try to you know, make arrangements so that you know that doesn't happen to any of us in our COVID-related stuff. Um, they were also wondering whether anyone was waiting for the Gimme X, which is one of the dumbest questions I've ever heard because I know a lot of people are waiting <laughs> for the Gimme X. Um, just those three apparently don't. It is not. <laughs> um, and they also filled in like what what have they been filling their COVID time with since they last published an episode, which I believe is probably five or six months ago. So. It was kind of nice to get a yeah, catch up from all of them too. So end of June, as it shows yeah. on screen. Okay, so half a year basically. Um, Jersey Retro Programming did an update here, doing testing on a save game feature for his Tales of Siberia. <clears throat> and this is a game he's basing completely off of cassette. Um, so basically you have these little passwords you have to type in so kind of configure out from the password, you know, what objects you have and where you are, etc. Um, I still think he should make a disc version of this because I mean I, I know that's it, you know cassettes proper retro and all, but most people I know that had Cocos had disc drives by the time they got out of the Coco. I think you know in England, in the UK, and Europe, it was much more expensive to drives, much right. more rare for people that back in the day to have disc drives. Then it was a bit more like maybe 15 percent of people did, whereas in the Coco side, I'm, I'm sure like seventy five to eighty percent of us had drives coco stc is cheaper than a decent cassette player nowadays yeah and faster and <laughs> cooler and quieter and you know there's just so many just <laughs> using that i just i would not write it because i'd only game myself these days uh, so i hope he, he does uh take that as constructive criticism i don't mind that he's making a cassette version and he's had requests from some of the dragon people specifically for cassette versions or if people have what is it is it the gotech no gotex distress too isn't it or is it both i can't remember now i can only this drive Okay. What what's the uh, cassette emulators? Because there's a few I've yeah. seen on the yeah, Dragon. I'm trying to remember the name of it. MP3 what? players. Phones, MP3 players. <clears throat> Phones and MP3 players. No, there's another one that actually you can store all yeah, the cassette there, images on one, and you just you punch on the panel. And there's that. a thing you can select which image yeah. by name. I'm trying oh, to remember because okay. it. it can do multiple files. You know that have to preload in order and stuff <laughs> like that. Which most MP3 players, I guess you can make a playlist sort of, but. I can't remember the name of it, but anyway, he's basically getting close to being done the game, and then he's back to his Coca Ultimate project too. Uh, Alan Huffman actually got kind of busy this last while, and I was hoping he was going to come on because he had some really cool stories of, of meeting Steve, and he actually got to know Steve in a personal level that you know even went beyond Jacob and Bruce because uh, he used to meet up at Steve's place and you know tour Disney and stuff here. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it. Um, hopefully, he can create a video or something we can play in a future episode because I really would like to share that that stuff. But anyway. On a subby at the software side, he's been quite busy. And on Facebook, he's been quite busy. So we'll just kind of breeze through a few of these. So the first one here is a blog post where he's comparing Carl England's Crunch versus Alex Evans' Pack Utilities. And this is for crunching down basic programs. Uh, it gets rid of, you know, extra spaces that you don't need between uh, commands. It gets rid of REM statements, um, fixes up you know, uh, trailing codes where you don't need them to close a string at the end of a line. Packing lines together that you know don't have any if then dependencies, etc. 
So you basically can compress the code and get as much space out of it as you can. And he does a comparison here between the two main utilities that are that actually do this. I won't go into the details. If you want to actually find out which one wins, you can go check it out the uh, on Subetha Software site, subethasoftware.com. And then he's done three parts so far of the current Logiker 2023 Vintage Computing Christmas Challenge, which is to basically produce this pattern um, in as small of code as possible. And this is just exclusively a Coco or MC10 thing. This is across all 8-bit platforms, basically. And uh, basically trying to come up with a, a basic program as few lines and as, as little memory as possible to generate this, this sequence. Um and he's been fiddling around with, you know, Coco 3 because the original sequence, I think, is a little bit taller than the VDG, so it kind of scrolls a bit. And he's experimented with pokes, and he's taken suggestions for people that write in, just like he did last time. He, he entered the same contest. So he's already planning a part four, which is not out yet as far as I checked first thing this morning. But if you want to follow his progress, he's got three parts to it on his subject site. I'm just showing the latest one here. This is deeper than it looks. Cool. And then on uh, YouTube, he's actually put up a fair bit of stuff here the last few days, um, mainly Musica stuff. So uh, he's quite a fan of Musica, and he's a, a, a bit of a, a guitar player and singer, et cetera, himself. Now, when he did this stuff, he actually found some of his old discs and some of the stuff he generated Musica, including some original tunes that he made, uh, as well as you know trying to convert other tunes over. And he didn't really know how to read music or anything back then, but he kind of figured it out you know, somewhat by ear and used Musica to enter all these in. Uh, and he made a little demo for Doctor Who, et cetera, here. Um, I won't go through playing like all of these or anything like that, but I thought I'd play one of these, you know, original tunes here, just so you can hear what he was kind of doing, a nice little quick one. Just a little quick one, but that'd be a nice you know, looping sound effect or uh, music uh, for the background of a game, for example. And because the music uh, style uh, doesn't take as much CPU time, depending on how you know clear the voices you want it to be, but you can do up to four-part harmony, like at four kilohertz. That's what Xenix did. Right. It's kind of using that same routine. Right. Uh, so you could put it in the background of a Coco 3 game, and you know, if you have a little loop like that, and it's original music, you don't have to worry about copyrights, et cetera. That'd be kind of a cool thing to do, I think. So um, I'm glad he put these up there. Anyway, he's got a few of those, and he's got some Doctor Who stuff, and he did a couple covers. He did a James Bond theme and a few other things that he you know entered in from ear, basically. So you can go check those out. And then he's also been playing around with some stuff uh, that he's been posting on Facebook, uh, going through a bunch of Coco 3 stuff. And uh, some of these are uh, previously entered demos or graphics demos, et cetera, that uh, were either you know publicly available at the time or in magazines or you know PD on BBSs, et cetera. And they're quick, so I'm going to actually play some of these here. Um, this one here, first one is by H. Allen Curtis. If you don't recognize the name from doing a cat dance, uh, which appeared in, I can't remember which issue of Rainbow in 87, but he also did the uh, desktop publishing on a shoestring budget series. So he did a kind of a, you know, mini home publisher style thing in, in basic. And he had one for the Coco 1 and 2, and then he had it enhanced for the Coco 3. And then a little bit later, he did a completely rewrite, which he called Ultra Lace which was a Coco 3 specific one, but designed for the Coco 3 in the first place rather than just converting it over. So you might recognize his name from there, but this is basically just doing some animations of a cat dancing with five frames. Let's a bit here.
And of course, Coco Cat, for those who don't know or knew the Coco, was the mascot for Rainbow Fest and, and Rainbow Magazine. Anyway, cute, cute little demo. I kind of remember this one because it was not that big to type in, if I remember correctly. Um, this one I do remember. This one I downloaded off CompuServe. I kind of forgot about it because I don't think I have it anymore. But this is a five-line basic program to make a bouncing ball demo in basic on a Coco 3. It's not the smoothest, fastest thing in the world, but for five lines of basic, it's not bad. So let's play a bit of that. Oh, five lines, not including the REMS. <laughs> oh, right. Except for the machine you poke in. So basically, it's just doing get H, get H, put to move this ball, and then doing a PAL animation to kind of fake the rotation. I think it would have had a better effect rotating if he kind of divided the black lines into two different sets too to rotate the black as well because the straight color is a little bit too coarse, but it's not bad. For five lines of basic, it's not bad. Hmm. This is the one that I remember this one too, and I can't remember if I got this off of BBS or CompServe back in the day, but it actually is a pretty cool effect. Not a huge program either. Um, it takes a bit of time to draw, and he actually the programmer did a little bit of animations, of palette animations while it's drawing, so it looks like it rotates a chunk and then it draws the next circle around. You can kind of see the effect right now. But afterwards, he actually shuts most of the palettes off, and then he starts you know, animating through them. It actually looks like a spinning pinwheel and fairly smoothly done, so it actually looks pretty decent. Um, and this is one of the big advantages of the Coco Three over the Coco One and Two that a lot of us took advantage of, even in Basic, was the fact we had settable palettes. So you can instantly change all of one color on the screen to another color with one command. And do this. So a very short basic program can produce something like this just by animating, you know, drawing things 16 times and then just cycling through which color is active and the rest are black. So it'll only display those particular portions. So but that was cool too. Okay, I think we have the host of this show here on, on here. So yeah. this is the first of two. So I will mute this and just play a little bit. Uh, this is part two of a D-pad from scratch. So Henry, yeah. what uh, exactly is covered in part two? The short of it is it works. The first thing that I did was I went into the, uh, I went and checked the voltages because the resistances don't matter so much as the voltages do. And, <clears throat> excuse me, with the voltages working and being in the right place, okay, now I've got to go through and get it plugged in, figure out what wire goes to what thing. And that was a little bit of a trial. But yeah, in the end, it, in the end it worked. Um, if somebody were to go through and look at how it's put together, they might be like, wait, what? But it works. <laughs> and did you have you used it on a Game on Challenge yet? Um, I have not used it on a Game on Challenge yet. Um, I thought I was going to play be playing Monster Mash, not one of the Froggers. So I went with an emulator this time. Uh, this time around. Oh right, but right, right. I will be bringing. I will be bringing it in. Okay. Yeah, you don't have a Coca Three yet, do you? No, no. Okay. But you have brought up the central divide between PC and Coco, which is the voltage or the resistance. Right, because it, because I was I was just reading that today. Yeah, I was just reading that today where the Coco does a voltage reference, but the PC does like an RC timer or something like that. Right, so you have to calibrate your joysticks to the resistance of the cables, and yeah. Right, so. right. <laughs> and then you did a second one, which is actually the start of a series, uh, Custom Coco Rom, How Hard Could It Be? 
Um, if, if you want to kind of just cover um, what, what you did in this first episode, but also what the ultimate goal is. Well, this episode, I managed to get a something vaguely resembling Hello World screen up from zero. Literally, like, from zero. Powering on the Coco. Yeah. Yeah. Like, on an empty ROM. Nothing's in there. Not even an interrupt vector or not even a reset vector. Um, actually putting the reset vector into it and telling the reset and telling the reset vector to go to the custom code. So we're starting from literally a blank machine to a hello world. And what I'm wanting to do is take this to a full um, custom, um, call it the operating system because basic is kind of the operating system in the thing, but have it be based on fourth. Oh, okay. Are, yeah. are you going to be doing that totally from scratch too, or are you going to be porting one of the various implementations of Fourth that Coco already has? I want to do this from scratch because there's two reasons behind that. Um, number one, it's a fun it's a fun process of discovery for me, and number two, I look at this when I'm when I look at me making my silly mistakes, and I laugh. So if I'm laughing at me making silly mistakes, then other people are laughing at me making silly mistakes <laughs> and are having fun with it, you know and and that's the thing. I don't. I, I don't want to go through as being like, "Oh, this is how you do it." Why? Because I've done this fifteen thousand times before. No, I want it to be. Oh, this is what I've seen. Now let's try and bring this theory into practice. Oh, wait a minute, that didn't go right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and you go through extensively here on using the MAME debugger too, because um, and, oh, and also the fact that MAME you know does these stupid checks on the checksum or whatever the seriously of the ROM. Yeah. Yeah. So if you tell it to if you tell it to not if you, if you bring it up from the from the command line, it will gripe at you, but it won't keep you from running it. Yeah, that's and basic. that 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 whole main uh, BIOS checking to me has always been annoying as hell because it you know every not every time but you know every once in a while a new version of main come out the ROMs and the Cocoa haven't changed since 1982, and mm -hmm. it would bitch that you know oh, this doesn't match anymore. Well, yes, it does. You just change a header or something stupid. There's also the other thing that they did recently, and they did this between 2.2 and whatever the heck it is now. They the distinction between Coco One and Coco Two is gone. You have to go through all sorts of command line hoops in order to get a Coco One. Yeah. I don't know if they're yeah I don't know if they're emulating the salt in the co in the uh, one slash two, but they've got the machine the machine setups that they've got are Coco, which is one slash two, Coco Two B. So they're doing the uh, T2 Lower on that one, T1 on, on that one, and then the Coco 3, and then, of course, all the other cousins. But they've they've lumped the 1 and 2 together, I'm guessing because the salt doesn't really change anything functionally. No, in theory, in theory it's the same. The yeah. one difference is the uh, the speed you can drive the Bitbanger port at, though. Yeah, that is a, that is a difference. Um, like DriveWire yeah. 38.4 maximum on a Coco 1, 57.6 maximum on a Coco 2. All right. Yeah, that's not a that's not an issue on my uh, for me, but I can see where other people, depending upon what they're trying to do, what they're trying to emulate. Hey, how hard can I push this on a Coco One versus how hard can I push this on a Coco? Right. Yeah, there, there are enough of those tiny little differences that now we're like, okay, now we got to back up a few versions of main. You know, I don't have a problem with having the fun, everything that's functionally the same being in there, but Kieran also has run into the edge cases um, when he's been doing his testing and. When you emulate and you've got edge cases that people exploit, you have to be prepared to, to do that. Provide, yeah. yeah, provide for those edge cases. Welcome yeah. to Microsoft's world, right? Yeah, <laughs> tell me about emulate it. Emulate every bug that's ever existed. <laughs> 
Except Nick. Nick doesn't have bugs. Um, Tim Lindner is the uh, the main expert for the cocoa. He is the guy. So if you have questions, mm-hmm. ask him. And Rocky Hill said the cocoa one doesn't have a salt. I know the cocoa one doesn't have a salt. <laughs> yeah, I haven't opened mine in a while. <laughs> yeah, no, the cocoa one is the cocoa one is discrete circuitry. The salt was there to the salt was there to kind of rope some of the stuff together. Yeah. yeah. To, so that they could reduce chip sound, chip count by reducing chip count, they were, could reduce costs. And it also made a few things more reliable because if I recall correctly, the salt actually has the six-bit DAC in it as compared to the six-bit DAC being a discrete rat, uh, uh, resistor ladder. Right. There's nothing in the Coco 2.3 that's analog except the salt isn't the that's other it. isn't there a second chip on there that handles the DAC not the salt salt does RS-232 and cassette well ports. it does all the analog stuff and then I think there is a DAC but the salt does everything analog where the Coco 1 had okay. all kinds of analog things sprinkled here and there so that's that's why it concentrated in the Coco 2 onto the salt and by the way, Franklin Harris, the retro rewind says, Oh my God, you guys are still on. <laughs> <laughs> He's a smart man. <laughs> Which actually, I had to step away during some of the commercial breaks. So, Mark, did we do a retro rewind ad? Yes, we did. Okay. Okay. Cool. Anyway, check out this. This is the beginning of a series, and it's actually pretty interesting to go through how the whole Cocoa boot process works. So, actually, the 679 boot process at this point. Because you're basically initializing chips, initializing the VDG, and everything else from scratch, like you said, right from the initial power on. Right. Uh, next up, Primal Bits on YouTube uh, put up a video. Uh, he finally acquired a Coca One, and he made a video about it. Um, because of the, through a bit of his personal history with the computer and why it is special, Tim. Which you know, if we had a shorter show, I'd play a little clip out of it here. But since this is a hyper long show, I'm, I'm not going to bother. But it's a good video. You should go check it out. Uh, Simon Jonasson did a couple of updates here on his online uh, graphics editor for the Coco One and Two graphics modes. Um, he's got a short little video here. Uh, showing stroke circle updates with selectable colors. And then he also an update where he's got the flood fill function now working. Um, I don't think this is too long, so I can probably play a little bit of it here just to kind of demonstrate it. But you can just do this live on his webpage, and then you can upload files to convert and download files as you create them. So there's the dragon color. He's got a little toolbox where you can you know, select the pen or text or whatever else, and that's where the, the circle demonstration comes from. So you just drag it, and yeah, you can resize the circle as you go. And you have a filled circle option as well. And then the flood fill. Which is pretty instantaneous, a little bit faster than the Microsoft routines built in the color basic. On this. <laughs> you think? <laughs> so it's, it's good to see that's coming along. So some of the people that you know don't want to use a native Cocoa drawing tools, whether it be Extended Basic or say Bjork Blocks or Micropainter or Art Gallery or Coco Max or Coco Max Two or Graphicom or whatever. Here's an alternative way where you can actually do it 
you know, live real time, basically just on your standard PC or Mac or Linux box or whatever, and just do it online and then save the results to your computer and put them in that way. Um, we actually had some traffic here on the M1. Uh, Joel Evie, who's actually got a blue SCSI installed in his uh, M1 to replace the SCSI drive that was dying. Um, he's been experimenting with a C compiler now. So he said, fun numbers on the M1. I've been running benchmarks, which of course come with all the usual caveats. Um, and this is on the stock M1 with the 60,070. This is not the 68340 upgraded version. So he's been testing the dry stone 1.1 benchmark. And he compiled with standard microware C, then with GCC 1.4.2, and then GCC 2.7.2, and then list the dry stones per second that it is generating. And um, there's some noticeable speed increases going across there, like 931. I'm, I'm going to round them down to even 931 on the original microware C compiler. 1,360 on the GCC 1.4 and 1,542 on the uh, GCC 2.7.2. Now, as some people mentioned in the comments, Microword did do a much improved C compiler themselves called Ultra C, which All unfortunately right. Joel's does not have, so he wasn't able to test that. But, you know, just you're running on the same hardware, just changing the compiler, and you've literally sped it up like, you know, 45, double. 60%, yeah. yeah. Not quite double, yeah, but it's, he's, he's up past the 50%. Would be double, yeah, you're at 15. You're, you're moving there. Yeah. Well, basically, from the first one to the second one, from the original microware to the GCC 1.4 is a 46% speed increase, and then another 13 and, and a third percent past yeah. that on the on the next one. So that just shows you how much compiler tools and, and language tools can actually increase the speed of machine without changing the hardware one iota. And that's one of the reasons we during Nitrous 9 is because we think the hardware can be pushed, you know, harder than it was originally when it was, you know, because they're following scheduled deadlines and stuff. Mm. And see how far we can actually push the chips in the system itself. So it's kind of along the same lines. I've got a locked Ultra C. I don't know how to unlock. I wonder if that could be. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Like I know I remember seeing the 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 sixty eight three forty upgrade board basically sped up the entire M1 by about two and a half times, like two hundred and fifty percent. On average, but if you start combining your know, better C compilers, et cetera, too, uh, and get you know, another good boost out of it, you might have a machine running three to four times faster than the original M1. And then he did another follow-up uh, post here as well. Uh, this is exp experimenting with the weight state setting. So the M1 had options for changing how many weight states in your RAM. Uh, and you basically needed fast enough SIMs to, to do it. Now, the amount of speed increase on those is much much less <laughs> than the uh the c compilers which is kind of interesting in, in and of itself so like 54.74 then 54.07 53.66 um you know basically from 913 dry stones to 924 to 931 so it's very small differences on there um so the the, the compiler changes actually made way more difference in the speed than actually this little hardware setting for weight states on the RAM. Next up, Coco Town has the next video out as well, too. Uh, and this is a follow-up to his previous episode on how to get multiple color sets or modes on the screen at once. And if you remember the screenshots from uh, Alan's uh, Musica 2 stuff, Musica 2 itself used that technique because it had a hardware text screen on the bottom half and the graphic screen representing the notes on the top half. And it's basically just a timing when you switch the modes. And uh, so he goes through and explains how this all works. He shows some assembly language source code for doing it. And he actually goes through Dragonfire line by line, figuring out how it did, you know, multiple color set changes on the same line. 
and all the different timing things where they're pushing, you know, random stuff. Like basically, they store the stack pointer off into memory at a fixed location. And then they basically just start using push and pull because push and pull, if you need at least five cycles, every byte you push or pull after that is one cycle plus. So you can actually narrow it down to a single cycle, what speed you need before you have to change the color set onto the next one. And there's like a whole bunch of random pushes. It probably ends up pushing like hundreds and hundreds of bytes onto this pseudo S stack that's not actually being used. And then once it hits the V-sync, it actually just restores the stack pointer to normal and just trashes everything else it did. But it's it's quite a good deep dive on how Dragonfire pulled off the stunt it did. I found it very interesting because I've never actually bothered looking at the Dragonfire. I kind of knew what it was doing, but actually seeing the actual code was interesting. Uh, next up, uh, George Jansen, who was actually in our chat earlier here, the fan of Bjork blocks, um, is playing around with Paul Fiscarelli's uh, compiler, uh, sprite compiler, but could that sprite compiler also has the option of just importing images and, and creating the Cocoa 3 equivalent graphics of them. So you can take like a ping or a GIF or a JPEG or whatever else that has more than 16 colors, and it'll kind of like, you know, try to do its best to translate it down to 16 colors. And he shows some examples on here. And then he actually writes some machine language code that you can actually load these images in, set the palettes correctly, and then display them right on the Cocoa 3 screen itself. So if you want to learn how to load some of these images that are created with Paul's uh, sprite compiler, uh, this is a good demo of it here. And he wrote a little fade-in routine just to make it more interesting. So I'll play a little clip of that. You can actually check out the full video, of course, on his YouTube channel. I'll just mute the sound okay, for this for a uh, and as usual, he's actually uploaded the source code uh, in his own channel we've got on our Discord. So if you want to save yourself typing in all the code, you can actually just go grab that and take a look at the actual source code itself, modify it if you want, learn how to use it. And here he's doing it in little chunks. I think it's eight by eight. It kind of builds the image up from the original and displays it on the screen. But Paul's uh, expert does pretty good. That's a pretty good rendition of a Pepsi can for 16 colors. Uh, next up, uh, is Bob Emery still here? Yes, he is. I don't know if he's paying attention. Um, but he did a, a almost three-hour live stream, so I'm going to play the whole thing. No, no, just kidding. Um, he called it controller therapy. Uh, also, Coco 2 composite mod and mailbag, which is the first time he's had a mailbag on a show. So, Bob, if you want to just do a quick summary of what each of those three things were, and then we'll direct them over to watch your video. All right. Well, as uh, am I coming through? Is my mic on? Yep. Yep. All right. Yeah. So I got a few things in the mail uh, from Mr. Dave. Uh, some nice little cartridge boards there for a ROM pack, and I, I think some flashing LEDs. And then the red boards are just a basic ROM pack, and then there's a uh, twenty-four to twenty-eight EEPROM adapter and some keyboard uh the little plugins that go into the the <clears throat> ffc socket on the motherboard so i can actually solder together uh, a keyboard extension cable See how okay and then the next part was your we were fixing then, uh, a joystick here. Oh, the main thing there was also the keyboards that I bought from him, two bare keyboards. So I will be building some uh, keyboards for the Athena boards that I built. And oh, okay. yeah, cool. uh, basically did a cleanup, a disassembly and clean of a couple of uh, deluxe joysticks 
And this is actually the first one I had seen that was the old single button joystick. Oh, right. Now, was there any plastic parts that were broke you had to fix with 3D printing or anything? Or was this just more electrical stuff? Uh, Nothing that I need to fix with 3D printing, but that one, it's in particular the single button stick. The housing on the button is kind of cracked, so I've actually got some new buttons on order, and I'm going to replace that. And my own personal deluxe stick, the button is a little bit, you know, sometimes it doesn't register so i'll replace that in mine as well but uh, those buttons are available on uh, digikey and jameco but they're about five bucks a piece so i found a found a packet of them on uh, amazon for considerably cheaper <laughs> yeah that's yeah. pretty expensive for buttons for a and then what 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 yeah. did you cover in the mailbag which i have no idea where to grab that so the mailbag was mainly uh some stuff that i got uh an order from DigiKey, as well as that uh, package that I got from Mr. Dave, the, the okay. keyboards and the circuit boards. The stuff from DigiKey was mainly like, uh, can you switch over to my camera real quick? Okay, stop sharing. Mark, if you want to get over to Bob. Well, if he talks, it'll do Testing it. right now. You can oh, see where I am. Here we go. So what I have here is one of these, uh, the boards that Mr. Dave sent, the keyboard plug-in. And then uh, this end is something that I had ordered from AliExpress that finally showed up. And these are the little uh, magnetic, what they call pogo pin connectors. Nice. So that's a 20-pin socket that cannot be plugged in wrong. And will mate itself correctly. Yeah. And uh, it's not going to go in this particular machine. This is uh, Tom Cherryholm's machine, which is the third thing in the video. But I was just, uh, you know, testing the fact that it fits there, you know, nicely. I got the piece underneath. Pull this out. All right. So you just get close and it goes snap and it pulls itself left yep. to right and just kind of. And it looks. can't go together the backwards uh, way. And it will it not. will always line up correctly the right way. Mm -hmm. so nice piece. So I'm going to make uh, for my other portable uh, Coco 3P there, I'm going to put this inside of that so that I can have a remote keyboard which will actually be this guy that I made many years ago. Oh, and the mirror keypad and everything. Is that from a Model 3 or something? You know, I don't really remember what it was from. <laughs> we don't know what this it was. This is a solid from. metal, and it had a row of function keys up here that I literally cut off with a Dremel. Yeah, the fault doesn't look correct for a Tandy either. Yeah, you're right. No, it's it's, it's the, the color scheme cool. looks similar. That's why I was. We wondering. don't know what it's from, but look how we wired it. Oh God, that's gonna be nightmares. <laughs> yeah, it's like my and I need to make, keyboard. Basically, I'm gonna make a, a wooden uh, case for that. I already had half of one made, and then I lost it. But start over. So are you are you planning on live streaming your progress again? Like that was a kind of an impromptu stream. I don't think we had much warning it was happening. Did we? Yeah, it was a little impromptu. So I don't know. Maybe. Uh, 
uh summer break is coming up here at school so or spring break yes we can't say i guess i'll have i have a, a a week or two off for winter break actually and then i don't know we'll see how it goes i'll probably be able to do some streaming yeah, I just yeah, want to try I'll to try give people and... like a warning ahead of time so they can catch it because a lot of the hardware guys really yeah. like your streams, but I'll try and give sometimes we discover them like an hour in. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll try and do a little more notice. Okay, cool. But yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, playing with this thing actually, and I also got some uh, some smaller ones that I, I was actually intending to use with the. Uh, the LEDs so that if you take the lid off, you know, you can just pull off a magnet and pop it back on real easy. Okay. Yeah, yeah definitely keep us up to date because this is of interest. I remember seeing yeah. some of the hacked Coco ones back in the day with the American keypads, like the Model 3 keyboard to literally cut Dremel out right. the actual case to fit it in there. But it actually did work. I actually had a friend here that actually did that upgrade from Color Computer News and it was mm -hmm. nice, nice to type on. Yep, yep. And then this was actually the third thing that was in the video was the, uh, th this is AC's composite mod from uh, AC's 8-bit zone. And this is Tom Cherry Holmes' uh, original Coco 2 that he was doing his FujiNet development on, but the RF was so bad out of it that uh, he bought my Coco DV Coco 2. And let's see if I can... Switch over here. That's not it. That's Matrix. Still in trying. the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. Why is that on the We're Matrix? Stuck. I'm supposed to be. I'm looking for my uh, HDMI input here. Oh, it's the silly filter. Fucking, yeah, we're uh, just seeing a black screen right now. Turn that off. There we go. <sighs> Looks a little oversaturated, but... So, yeah, this is basically what I'm getting out of it. Um, pretty saturated, but uh, legible. Yeah, a little overamped, but... Yeah. And there is the uh, there is a knob on this thing to adjust. I can get that thing in there. You can adjust that, but it doesn't really. Oh, your video is too hot. I don't know why, yeah. but it just is. Could just be the way this board is put together, certain components or whatever. Right. That just made it worse in the capture than it did to my eye. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, definitely, definitely keep us up to date, and uh, if you can, give us you know a little bit of heads up when you're doing a stream, so we can announce it at least in the Discord. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not trying to push you off too fast here, but I still got a lot no, of news to get you. through, and we're already five hours, so <laughs> yep, fourteen yep. tabs to go. Fourteen tabs at least. To go. <laughs> I was just happy to see that thing working at all. all right. Yeah, I'm sure Terry uh, Terry Holmes will be uh, quite happy to, you know, get a, get something functioning. It's a bit easier for him to read because he had a he had a few complaints about it. I I did hear you yeah, see that yeah. on Facebook. 
Well, he's got the Coco DV machine now, so. Yeah, it should be good there. Okay, I'm not going to play any of these demos, um, but there was a, we, you know, because we kind of skipped the Christmas week here and had the week off. There's a, quite a few Christmas demos that got uh, put up on, on YouTube. This one from Vern's Misadventures is actually the whole story of uh, the first Christmas, and it's got a whole bunch of four-voice music done with the Musica with graphic pictures that were drawn in Coco Max. And it's like 17 minutes long, so it's an entire disc full of, you know, Christmas music and Christmas graphics are like angels and the, you know, Jesus in the manger and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of tells the whole story. So for those uh, of you that are of the religious bent, I think you will quite enjoy this. It's actually a whole, you know, almost a multimedia presentation of the whole thing. So I mean, grab that. Um, uh, Michael Zweifel, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, my apologies if not. He put up a bunch of uh, Coco 3 screenshots of Christmas related stuff. So he's got, you know, Merry Christmas and uh, Oh Great, a flattened one the reindeer fell over. Um, and basically, these are all Coco 3 unique. So there's, they're, they're pretty colorful and pretty well done. So there's some other stuff there. Um, what's, all so white, what's all that white stuff on the ground? <laughs> cocaine for you, Nick. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't even is have white stuff here. Go, what am I talking is, about? Is right, that why they go ho, ho, ho at Christmas time? <laughs> Um, I won't play this one. We played it before, but basically Simon re-put up his, um, uh, what does he call it? The uh, Roto. Ro Sorry? Roto. Roto, yeah. Roto, Roto Santa, Santa, I think he called it. The rotating Santa basically you know, scales and rotates the Santa thing and yeah. plays some one-bit uh, music in the multi-voice music in the background. He's a wizard. Because he, he put that up, I think, last year. This one, I, I can't remember if the one last year had four different tunes. This one does. Um, so if you didn't have all four tunes, that might be a change, but it, it basically it's the same demo you showed last year, but it's definitely Christmas themed. So if you want a fairly impressive, you know, a sound and music or music and graphical demo for a Coco 3, you can definitely check it out. Uh, next up, Retro Tech Repair uh, did a tier City Coco 2 that he's got that had the yellow bar problem, which you can see on the screenshot of the title card here, which we've seen, you know, various people have hit over the times. And he's one of the ones that tried the first thing that most people say is the first thing that usually goes wrong, which is the 555 timer chip. That was not it. <laughs> so he uh, he came up with a solution. And some of the comments uh, that were put on afterwards there kind of hinted that it could have been the other thing he didn't try because he had one thing that, you know, ramped something up and the other one would go down automatically. It might have been the other part that technically was the problem, but he basically adjusted for it. Um, I'll let you hard guys hardware guys kind of go through that and explain it properly because I don't really know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's good because there's definitely several things that can go wrong that cause the yellow bar. The 555 seems to be the, you know, 80% of the time is the thing that's replaced. But there's a few other things in that area of the circuit board that also can cause it. And it just makes the picture look a lot better when you do that, if you have that issue. Um. Uh, Joel Evie also in the multimedia one uh, group on Facebook. This time he's doing a thing a little bit different. He's putting open S CAD source files for making a removable front panel bezel. I believe it's 3D printed. And this is to provide easy access to the SD card and the blue SCSI that he inserted to replace his actual SCSI drive. So he's actually uploaded the schematics for that. If you have a 3D printer or access to one, you can actually print one of these out and actually seems to fit quite nicely. Um, he did have another, uh, I think he has a picture of the drawing of it. I don't think he's got a picture of the actual one yet, at least not when I checked. But if you have an M1 and you want to replace it with a blue SCSI and you want a nice clean 
bezel plate on the front so just electronics and a slot hanging out you can go grab the files from joel um, next up, Jim Gary had a couple things that were not game related on the MC10. The first one here is a quick video exploring where the MC10 stands regarding a Microsoft basic bug that actually is on multiple platforms. And I just saw it recently, it's actually on the Commander X16 by the 8-bit guy as well. Um, and this was inspired by a video done by Robin of 8-bit show and tell. And it's basically where you can actually do a, a val of a scientific exp exponentiation number that is too high and it actually will trash your basic program. Um, so don't do that. Um, but kind of exploring it and seeing what versions of Microsoft basic have it. So we can prove that the MC 10 does have it as well. And uh, there's various numerous machines that have it that were based on Microsoft basic. So kind of an interesting footnote, because I don't think it's ever been really fixed, at least not in the original 8-bit machines. Uh, next up, uh, coding contest entry from Jim Gary as well. And it's a Christmas snowfall program. And it's uh, part of a basic coding contest that's on a Facebook group. So it's not related to the logic or one we were looking at earlier. But it's a nice little uh, Christmas demo you can run on MC10. You can obviously convert this to the Coco fairly easily too. But if you see it's, you know, snowflakes kind of falling in front of a tree with Merry MC10 Christmas. And then he also ported uh, Melody Composer. And this is uh, from Dimax way, way back in 1972. And the original 1972 version just lets you compose. You couldn't actually hear anything or anything. It was basically just for recording music. So Jim updated so it actually plays stuff. So you can actually hear the results of your compositions. Uh, next up, this is a person I've not heard of before on the uh, MC10, but a guy named Greg Hamilton on the MC10 group on Facebook I started working on some animations for an MC10 game that he's working on. And he's put up some screenshots, which you can kind of see down here. Screenshot of the actual running on the MC10. And then the actual, you know, his designing of them using, you know, X's and dots to represent the pixels. <clears throat> and then he works on animating these uh, little aliens here. So I'll play a little clip of that so you can just kind of see it. And this is not the standard semi-graphics either. This is the... Uh, I don't know which PMO equivalent, probably PMO 2, maybe PMO 0. So it's meant for being on high res, so or higher res for the as far as the MC10 is concerned, unmodified. So I'm looking forward to see what he where he goes with that. On to some dragon news now. So Phil Harvey Smith has posted some photos of his dragon with the Dragon Pico uh, VGA installed, which he's getting a really nice crisp clear picture here, but he's got an actual photo here of it embedded in there. And this basically gives you like nice pure output. There's no, uh, you know, random RF lines and crap in that output for sure. So that was really cool to see. Uh, and Richard Harding went uh, delving into some uh, history that he posted on the Facebook group here. So there's a old wiki. Is that the right one? About the Dragon Professional. So this is an unreleased. We've seen a little bit of it at some of the Dragon meetup shows here. But he's got some of the original uh, you know, drawings that were the concept drawings of it and an actual one here as to what it looked like with the dual floppies on the top. And you can see the GEC. This is after Dragon Data went to receivership. Kind of showing it here. There's not too many of these around either. These are pretty rare machines. There's the actual logo they designed for it, for the professional. And the Alpha was another code name for it. And this is an early prototype of it as well. But really cool, he's been pulling up his history. He's kind of the official historian for the dragon. 
He's just got a ton of stuff. It's really cool to see. Uh, Tom Eric Gunderson is actually was in the chat earlier. I don't know if he still is because it's pretty darn late in Europe. Um, there was a dragon sold in Finland that was actually a rebranded one that was called the Finlux Dragon. And you can see it over here. Unfortunately, the picture is not very big and I can't really zoom it too easily here without pixelating it. But you can see the Dragon 32 and 64 here. And there's the rebranded one they sold in Finland. And this one, I won't play any of this particular one here, uh, but there's a Spanish YouTube channel uh, called Emmanuel Suenca. I'm butchering that, I'm sure. Uh, MMMC or MM Chip. And basically this guy uh, did this video here for 12 minutes and he received a dragon from somebody else in Spain. And of course, Eurohard in Spain is the one that took over the dragon for the, its last iteration. And it was not working, so he actually goes through the debugging the hardware to figure out what's wrong and gets it fixed up so they can send it back to the original owner. And he succeeds at that, so it gets going. But if you want to see some insides of a dragon and also how to you know, find a problem, fault, and how to fix it, it's a good you know, how-to video type thing. Uh, next up after that, we have John Whitworth, of course, of Dragon Plus Electronics. Uh, and he's added, now you hardware guys are going to tell me about this too, I-bomb uh, for the Dragon Power Supply Unit. If I'm understanding, I think that means interactive build materials. Is that I think some people have demonstrated before where you can actually check off as you use parts when you're trying to follow a schematic or something like that. I think Pedro Pena used something like that on one of his yeah, it's videos. Very cool. That's that's exactly what you're right on top. Oh, I actually understood that right. Awesome. One of these days I'll learn hardware. <laughs> Uh, he does mention, too, like he's got it up for the power supply unit right now, but he's actually planning on expanding it to some of the other Dragon products that he sells, too. So you can kind of, if you're one of those build-your-own types from schematics and parts, you can kind of check off, you know, I use this resistor over here, I use this capacitor over here, and not lose track and lose stuff. This is super cool, because like on my projects, the part number is always changing. Something is gone, something comes back. So by providing it in this manner... You're not relying on something he printed three years ago. Okay, cool. I never heard of it ever... before. That was the first mention I've seen of it, maybe just because I don't hang out in the hardware circles. And then speaking of a Dragon Power Supply unit, Phil Harvey Smith on another post on the Facebook Dragon group here uh, has posted free CAD source files to 3D print the bracket and box for the modern power supply units. Um, so you can grab that over there too. If you have a 3D printer or access to one, you can actually get the actual file to actually make them. And now the final one, finally. Um, Tony Jewell posted a link, and this is an old RetroWiki thread from 2011, I believe it was, that uh, goes into some of the history of Eurohard, who took over the Dragon after Dragon Data went to receivership. Uh, the thread even contains some photos of Dragon Alpha, which I'm showing here, which actually goes into some detail. But they've actually got scans of some of the meeting notes that Eurohard had just before Eurohard shut down, which was quite a bit later than I thought. I Actually, they didn't quit producing the Dragon until 87 or 88, I think it was. I didn't realize it had lasted that long. Um, it's all in, you know, Spanish, obviously, but uh, there's the Dragon Alpha. And this was actually taken by one of the employees that worked on the assembly line at Dragon Eurohard. So he you know, yanked these up before they completely shut down. And it uh, here's, a, you know, the Alpha completely torn apart and layered out. So you get the power supply, you get the main circuit board, you get the keyboard type thing. And I can't remember if there's any different photos on page two here. Oh, basically the same thing. But here's some of the official, you know, stuff that was written by Eurohard themselves at the time here. So it's kind of got a history. 
And you can run it through. I, I ran it through Google Translate here as a web page translation. You can read most of this, except for the photos, of course, in actual English. You know, I've got the link, with, including the translation. I've got the link for that in the show notes. So you can grab that if you want to kind of go through some of the history of the Dragon Alpha and Yorhard in general when they were producing the Dragon after Dragon Data went under. And at long last, that's the end of the news. <laughs> Are we about ready to wrap this up? It's already five hours and 15 minutes. No, we got yeah. to start all over again. We do no, record button. I, I don't think we need a oh, little no. comeback from the outro. It's just the outro and we're done. <laughs> we didn't push the record button, he says. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, push the record button. And, and don't forget, we have the double interview next week with uh, Glenn Dahlgren as host. Uh, co-interviewer host and uh, Doug Maston as the interviewee about Contras. Contras. Okay. We are ready for the outro? Yep. And we're not coming back after the outro. Bye, everybody. That's it. See you guys all next week. Happy 2024. (laughs) May none of your 3D prints come out like this. (laughs) See you next year. (laughs) Well, I have a feeling that uh, pretty much does it for the show, unless anybody's got something that's just burning to get in here. Crickets, crickets, crickets. Okay, (laughs) we'll leave it at that. And put this puppy to rest because we're over three hours. Why don't we go ahead and do that uh, exit video and we'll say our goodbyes. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever.